Star Wars The Last Jedi. It was just announced. I just heard it on the, in the car ride over. He told me that when we were making the movie, and I said, don't tell me these things. I talk in my sleep. And so they have us so jacked up with paranoia over leaks. But that's the way of the world. It's funny, because, you know, back when we were making the original, nobody cared. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 33, Amy's Icecapades. Joining me is a mild-mannered creature from the north with an R5-D4 focus alongside being a Star Wars vintage and modern loose completist. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Next is our Beyond the Toys Facebook admin, a Star Wars completist and TIE fighter pilot focus collector. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Hello. And next is the podcast's own BFG, a slave layer focus collector who's putting together a full run of mint on cards. Alongside that, he has also got an ever-expanding ESB grimy crack. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. I don't think I'm ever, 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 ever going to get a full run of cards. I think you need to move on with that one, Stu. <laughs> I'm just, just kind of like giving the old random one. I'm never going to get a Yak Face's face. Come on. You never know, Stu. You never know. Never <laughs> and finally, it is the running Stormtrooper, a Star Wars fanatic with an impressive Luke Skywalker X-Wing pilot focus. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, my lovelies. Um, Jez, have you added anything to that focus this month? Well, actually, I have. Now that, there you go. That surprised you, hasn't it? Been quiet <laughs> about that. Lee Jackal, bless him. Has, uh, has sent me a lovely little Luke X-Wing notepad to add to my uh, gimcrack oddball beyond the toys element of my Luke X-Wing focus. So thank you very much. That's uh, really, really kind of you, Carl. I was made up to see that in the post. Anything else? No, no, no. Just, just, a, free, just a freebie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a freebie at the moment. It's just, uh, you know, buying my time. Hey, it quite literally is a marathon, not a sprint. Very I'll, uh, true. I'll still be here. Very true. Uh, Grant, have you purchased much since the last show? Um, I, I bought that very rare plastic bag you told me to get last <laughs> one. Has it arrived? Yeah, the Stride Right, uh, no, sorry, Stride Light bag. So that's arrived. And I managed to pick up, if we could go back to the December episode when we had Matt Fox on, he was discussing the uh, the posters. And I managed to purchase from him a uh, Tom Beveau poster, which had a limited run of 295. It's a UK design, a landscape style design. Uh, but um, unfortunately, it wasn't chosen. Instead, Tom Chantrell's was chosen to be the uh, the British poster. So this was the alternative one that was never uh, never used. The Tom Chantrell one actually ended up being the US style C poster as well. So this is just 
little bit of uh, British Star Wars uh, cultural history. They're actually available as well. Um, I can't remember the, the web address. Is it Star Wars Space Club or something like that? So, uh, yeah, got a, got a nice little bit of modern vintage. Yeah, it's a lovely image, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. You know, it's really nice to have, you know, what could have been. Yeah. Um, Rich, leg in plaster, you must have been spending wildly with nothing else to occupy yourself apart from eBay. Well, actually, Stu, up until yesterday, I'd had nothing other than, you know, modern items and GW Click stuff and various other things like that. But yesterday, I did manage to pick up a couple of things. So I got a, a Trilogo R2 pop-up saver mock, and I got a Trilogo A-Wing pilot mock as well from the big Trilogo sale that happened yesterday. And I've also picked up, and I'm, I'm even more pleased about these, the full set of 16 Wonderbread cards in excellent condition. And I've got a great little deal, so they're winging its way over to me from Australia at the moment. Oh, they're, they're a nice little set, actually. Well, Rich, well done. Well done. Um, Peedy Weedy? Um, I've also bought some modern modern tat. Um, <laughs> my Ray collection ever burdens bigger, and sort of slave layer. But that, that's it, really. Yeah, I'm just kind of saving. Um, I mean, it costs enough to uh, to buy the tickets for... Star Wars Celebration, anyway, so I'm holding off. What about you, Stu? Have you bought anything? Well, as the one that's not collecting out of the five of us at the moment, I have added a few bits and pieces, nothing particularly big. Off my list, I got my second 12-inch figure. I've got the 3PO. I said one a month, so we're two out of two on that so far. I have completed getting the three loose complete Leddy figures. I've added the Gamorrean Guard, so I can tick that off my list. I've also made a few smaller purchases. Probably the most unremarkable Sigma for me is the four decal mugs. You might just see them, just normal mugs with like a print on one's droids, one's villains, that kind of thing. I see them come up as a set often in the States for around 40 to $70. But with the postage costs, I just can't bring myself to pull the trigger. So I was delighted to find someone selling the set in the UK and grab them posted for 27 quid. So great to knock all four of them off together. During the interview in this podcast... We recorded with uh, Amy Schoberg. She talked about her love of ceramics. We talked about Sigma. And she was quite into like the vintage bootleg. So I have actually bought myself a, a bootleg C-3PO mug, which I found quite quirky. Meant to be from 1982. So like always, anything we record on this podcast, I always end up buying something. I've grabbed one of the MPC Mirror A kits, little snap-together kits. Got the Y-Wing, so I want to get the other five of them. I've bought three of the Adam Joseph Nightlights carded. Got Vader, Yoda and 3PO. So it's another run I need to get the last few of. Uh, got myself an empty Return of the Jedi sticker display box to go alongside the album display box. That was great. And I was absolutely gutted, actually. I did buy the... Um, do you boys all remember the old wool sausages? Used to come with a transfer in them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I managed to find an uncut sheet of all the transfers from the factory... Agreed on the price with the seller. He sent it to me, but it has got lost in the post. So, not too good. Um, for real? Yeah, for real. The bloke's refunded me. He's been fantastic. And he said if it comes back his end, he'll resend out. But, yeah, lost it. Probably the most uh, thing I was excited for most on the on the list. You've done amazing. You've done better than all of us. Hang on a minute. He, he said, I'm not collecting, but... Yeah, he did a rich. He did a rich. <laughs> he, did a rich. He, did, he's, he is. He's Hutchinsoned us. <laughs> is that a term, Hutchinson? <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. We, we, we've been we've been Hutchinson. The problem is, I'm not looking for like mint on cards and stuff, so I kind of browse the kind of like everything the beyond else. the toys. Let's try to get to use the right expression. The beyond the toys things, and you sometimes get 
I'll get into a bidding war and then I will not lose something if I fancy it. Just, um, yeah. Right, well, so we go on to this month's question, which I believe is being asked by Pete. So let's hope this goes well. <laughs> it could go well, it could go badly. Uh, but it is an epic round of three rounds of wonderful Star Wars-ness. Now, guys, I want you to think very heavily about the films. All seven now. The Skywalker saga. Have a think. Now, I'm going to pick you at random. And I'm going to pick you in the people who I like occasionally. So, let's start. Round you're, one. You're buggered, Jez. <laughs> <laughs> round one is elements that feature in the film. So, let's go with Jez first. So, Jez. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Jez, now you have a point possibility here. Okay. If you, if you answer it all in one go, without yeah. any, any help from me, you get yeah. three English points. Brilliant. If you get a little tip from me, you just get the one point if you answer it correctly. Okay. okay? okay. There's no two points. Right. Okay. So, in the films, uh, which of the seven films... Uh, does not have naturally occurring water. Oh, very interesting. There's a time limit, Chess. Okay, okay. <laughs> naturally <laughs> occurring water. Indeed. Uh, it is that have to be in the liquid state, or can it be frozen water as well? Um, it... Loose, flowing, wonderful Loose. water. Episode one. No. Three. Episode... You got the booze. <laughs> Three. Three. <laughs> no. Four. No, uh, failure. Uh, for a bonus point, if anyone else can answer. Four. Four. Yeah, new hope. Who was that? Me. I got a first. Three flown in the trash compactor. It's flown all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Natu- that's not. Oh, 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 just calm down, guys. Calm down. Naturally occurring water. That is well, not. That's crazy. Slime water. Well, it's naturally <laughs> occurred. Stu, Stu, I, I saw your little thing flash up. What's, what's your, what's your bonus point answer? A new hope. Yeah. And I want to Stuart's inquiry on that. Correct. There is another one. There's no naturally occurring water. Can anyone answer that? There is one Jedi. more film without naturally. Jedi. Well done, Richard. Well done, Rich. All right. Next no, no, question. No, 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 no. I'm sure oh. in Jedi you can see a little bit Dagobah. of Dagobah's brook in nope. the background. No, no, no bubbling brooks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm moving on. Yeah, wait there, wait there. Grant's right. They did get the Dagobah in Jedi. Hang on a second. Grant and Jez are right. Flipping. No, no. There's no naturally going water. No. And, oh, Richard, right, Richard's seriously. Correct. You ruined this, right? Water <laughs> is a natural thing, and there's natural water. Granted, I wouldn't drink it in episode four, but there is definitely also water in Jedi. So there we go. Six points. <laughs> If you actually open the technical journal, though, it says in the trash compact that it's gravy, it's not water. It's gravy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, gravy is actually the, the basis of gravy is water. Don't embarrass yourself, Grant. Don't embarrass yourself. It would have been better for you just to it's stay not, quiet. It's not natural, though, is it, Jess? It's gravy. Oh, it's, it's where they scrape the stormtroopers' <laughs> plates, isn't it? Water is natural. It's one of the most natural things there is. Okay, Stu. Naturally occurring green grass. Green grass, okay. So I'm going to say not that and not that. Not that. Not that. Oh, he's thinking. He's thinking. I hear his little brain going around. I'm going to go... I'm going to say Empire. You are correct, young man. There is, there is green, but it's moss, mostly. 
Well done. That's a cracking answer, yo. this. Yo, yo, yo. If you yeah. go and watch Return of the Jedi at exactly 37 <laughs> minutes and 59 seconds, there is naturally a Kirin water underneath an X-Wing. Yes. What? Yeah. In your pipe. So 37 minutes, that, 59 seconds. Because yeah. Richard's yes. wrong then, because he's given a good point. So we remove Richard's point, yeah? I have removed Anyways, Richard's point. Well, been also, well also, I need a fresh question, because the question was, what's the only film... And, no, no, um, no, 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 any films, any films, yeah, yeah any films. You, you any could film. have had more than one answer, Jez, and you still got it wrong, yes. mate. No, just, no, I didn't get it wrong. <laughs> I just opened up possibilities for people to explore the world. Anyway, three points to Stu. Excellent. Okay. Jez, no, not Jez. Oh, sorry. It is for Richard. Now, you've got to think really careful about this one, because it's almost a trick question. But it's not. Ships being blown up in space. Which of the films or film does not have a ship being blown up in space? In the darkness, the blackness of space. Easy. I would say it's between two. I'm going to go with episode seven. Yes. Incorrect. I'm passing it on. Episode two. Grant, you are right. Well done. There is, there is a space battle scene, but no one gets destroyed. And it's your favourite film, isn't it, Grant? Uh, Attack of the Clones? Uh, it's an obvious answer, because nothing happens in episode two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally, Granty. Which film or films does not have space rocks floating in space? Okay. One, four, and six... Oh, hang on a minute. No, one. <laughs> one. One. Six. Yeah, one and six. Anyone want to... Uh, either, you, you have half, I'll give you half a point there, because you've, uh, you've got two out of the four. No, that's right. That's totally right. Uh, it, well, it is, but there's two more. No, there isn't. Four. Space rocks. The space rocks, nope. in, the space four, rocks no. in four. There's space rocks in four. There's space rocks in four. Yeah, there's space rocks in four. There's definitely four and five, so I'd say two and three. The answer, my little flowers, is one, three, six, and seven. There are no space rocks in those four films. Yeah, there, there are, are space rocks in seven. Two, four, and five. Seven, the, those planets blow up, creating space no, rocks. No, no, no. It's got to be like asteroids or that sort of thing. Not, not <laughs> random explosions. So I get a point then. You do? Well done, Jess. Hey, wait, what's he got a point you, for? You haven't got to say it so patronisingly. <laughs> he said two and what three. One of them's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, one of them was right. If, really if they were both right, I would have had Come two. Come on, bear with me, people. Let's make Jess bottom. <laughs> you got your Seriously. first point. You, you got, got your first point for the second answer. Jez, you were standing behind me then and claiming you got hair. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, round two. round two. Round two. Round two. On my head. Right, this is words. All about words. Uh, I'm going to go with you first, Jez, this time again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in which films is the word hyperdrive not spoken in? Oh, oh it's a toughie. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, not in that. what films? Six, or film? six I think. He's, he's Googling it. No, no, I'm just saying six. Uh, that, that, that's a hell of a Google if he's got it. <laughs> Six. 
just six or any more? Oh, you want more? Okay, I would say six, and I would also say three. Final answer? Yeah. Well, he is missing one. You are spot on in two of them, Jez. I'll give you that. There is one more for bonus points. Anyone else? Two. Yeah, it's going to be two. Well done. It's a good shout out, Jez. Well done, Jez. That is pretty good. Can I have have one point for that? Because you got one point for mine. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. (laughs) Jez took a real stab in the dark then and guessed right. He did. Well, that's that's a hand of a guess to get two. No, I don't (laughs) think it was. I just it's, know the films very, very well, more well so with. than my figures. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> and a bonus point for Grant as well. Right. Rich, I'm going to come to you next. And there is, there is an opportunity here for extra bonus points. The word said is human. Right, which film has the word, the word human in word human is, oh, Jez got is it. not spoken in. Pete. Um. No, let, let, let's Rich have his go first, please. Thank you. Film or films, the word human is not spoken. Seven and one. I'll give you a bit of a point because you got seven, but there are some others. Anyone else want to jump in there? Grant, you were jumping in a second ago. Um, I misunderstood the question. Yeah, Grant, Grant said nine, <laughs> eleven, and fifteen. <laughs> did you say? Did you say the word human is not or is said? It's human. It's all about what is not in a film. So, all right, the words, human. human is spoken. So, uh, Rich has one with seven, but there are some others. Human is spoken in number four. Okay, but which is and not spoken? Five. So I'd say six. It's not in six. Three. <laughs> well done, Stu. By post of elimination, you got it. It's actually. <laughs> I was just actually... to answer because he hang gets on, no on. answers. Hang on. I only ever hear the word human said in episode four. I'm it's fine. A, it, it's said in six, five, one, and four. It's not yeah. said in seven, two. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's have the yeah. context for that. Three PO says he's quite clever for a human being. Oh, that's good. Yeah, well he's, done. He's also. Anyone else want to come in with the Han Solo, uh, Han Solo says, "Jabba, you're a wonderful, you're a wonderful human, human being." being. Yeah. Yes. Well done. Anyone that's else? It. That's it. Surely. There, there is one more. There is one more. But I can't remember if it featured in the special editions or it's cut out, but. Admiral Piet says it very quietly in the background as he's talking about uh, Hoth. Does he oh, yeah, life yeah. Forms? Crazy, oh, eh? Yeah. They're, de- the, the... they're devoid of human life forms. Yeah. Um, Crazy. Crazy, eh? Right. Let's go to <laughs> Stew. Stew. The word food. Where it's not in the films, it's not said in. Is it film or film? Oh, I think Can I just see that you're picking on Stew with that question? <laughs> uh, I'm so going to so go with I'm going to say how, how many have I going to get? Where it's not said in I'm going to say 3 and 7 No he is, he is, It is not said in 3 and 7 so he's correct there but there are others Anyone else? What do you mean no? 2, 4, 6 and 7 No, 2 is because um they don't say anything about food. All I can think of is Yoda saying, "How you get so big eating food of this kind?" Apart Correct. From that, Correct. There is you know, one more. There is one more example of the word food. In anyone, em- anyone? Empire Strikes Back. No, no, there is food in Empire Strikes Back, but the word is not said. It must be Attack of the Clones then. Doesn't Leia yeah, say it to Wicket? Nope. nope. Oh yeah. You're, right, you're very. You were very close there. Hardly says to Anakin. Episode, Yo, episode let's go one. Get some food. Rich has when, got it. Yeah, it's episode one. Um, actually, have you thought of another human line? 
Attack of the Clones, Padme, to be angry is to be human. Pete, can Rich get three or maybe four points for that? What do you mean? I got mine. Mine was right. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, but Rich, Rich, said, Rich said about to be, to be, was it to be blah blah is to be human, Anakin? That's yeah, pardon me, to be, to be angry is to be human. I'm, I'm not too sure about because I've not found that mine, but there, it is in, it is in Phantom Menace. It is definitely in the Phantom Menace. Yeah, I think I Rich needs to lose points for that because it quite <laughs> clearly shows that he's watched that dire film far too often. So. I've, I've, I've watched it a lot of times. Yeah, I'm sure there's another one as well when something to do with the Camino wins. Put you out your misery, Rich, because I have two of these. Um, Definitely it is actually, episode it, two. Um, it, it is Phantom Menace, and it's Sio Bibble, says it, when he's talking about when, when the people are suffering and uh, they're, they're running out of food. Sorry, yeah. did, you just, did you just say Soggy Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Sio Bibble. That's got to be the best name. Best name. Right, and Rich, finally, finally your question. Now, the words, or words, sorry, love. Right, okay, I'm going to say... Four and one. Uh, incorrect. Anyone else want to want to have a go? Definitely. Seven. One, one. One is definitely said when she's saying goodbye to um Anakin, the mum. Seven. Who was uh, that? Jez. Yeah. No, Leia and Han. Yes, Jez. You are no. You are correct. It is not said in seven. That's really? the only film. It. it is not said in. It is said in all the other films. Now, who can give me a few love lines? I love you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> has has love has blinded yeah. you? He has no love for the Empire. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, yeah. a bonus point. That's a really good one. Who says the word love the most from the um, original trilogy? Ooh. Oh, Leah. Jabba. Well done. Well done. No, Leah says it three times. Just three yeah. times. Someone who, who loves who's you. Sec- who's second? Who's second in the love words? Oh, who did? No, be on it. Yeah, it is. Mm. And with two. Only two. But in the original trilogy, or sorry, the prequel trilogy, who says it the most? Anakin. He's always one. Any other? I loved uh, you, Anakin. Yeah, good shout. Padme. Come on, it's obvious. Well Padme. done. Padme was 16 mentions of the word love. Anakin says it 13 times. Oh my god, the those films are dire. <laughs> and then Palpatine and Shmi are both way in there with just around about five, I think it is. It's quite a lot of for me, considering she's not in it that much, isn't it? I know. It's like like 50 shades of a dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Final round. Final round. Give Jess something difficult. This is a last man standing round, right? Last man standing. I want you, using the the all seven films, is to give me your insults. You scruffy Poodoo. You came in that thing, you're better than I thought. Hang on a minute. Let's go in order, please. Thank you very much. Right, it's a last man standing competition, okay? This is good. <laughs> so, Jez, you start off. I want Scruffy you to look at Herder. Uh, I love you, Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Rich. Your overconfidence is your weakness. Is that really an insult? Stu. Uh, Flyboy. That's an insult. Come on. I need more than that. I need the line. Into the garbage chute, <laughs> Flyboy. That's oh. not an insult. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay, okay. It, it is a slimy bit. piece of worm-ridden filth. Oh, that's a oh I love that one. All right, Jez, back to you. Really? Already? There's only yeah. two or three of us have answered. That's the, uh, we're the only ones left in, Jez. Oh, right, okay. Stand, yeah, you're yeah, scrap pile. Nice one. Grant. Bamfa Poodle. Mm. 
Oh, nice. Rich. Someone get this walking quarterback out of my way. Love that one. Stu. You overweight glob of grease. Oh, that's a oh, that's harsh. Jez. Wormridden filth. Nice. Uh, you came in that thing, you braver than I thought. <laughs> Who were? Rich. What a hunk of junk. Oh, that is harsh. You. <laughs> um, you malfunctioning little twerp. That's one of my favourites. Jez! I recognised your foul stench when I was brought on board. Grant! Shall I get out and push? Oh, that is harsh. Very harsh. <laughs> Rich. Look how old you've become. Oh, good one. Good, good, good. Mm. Rich, Rich, but can we have your uh, insult, please? <laughs> oh, nice. Sorry, that was a fact, yeah, sorry. Yeah, cheers. Stu! Um, you slimy, double-crossing, no-wood swindler. Oh, Jez? I'm surprised you had the courage to take on the responsibility yourself. Was that really an insult? But go on, Grant. Well, I'm just saying that someone's a coward. <laughs> Grant? Uh, now the rebellion's become real for you. I've been fighting the Empire since I was six years old. Um, that's a great <laughs> bit of Googling there. Uh, but that's not the seven, is it? That's Rogue One. You said Skywalker. Yeah, I, I, I noticed Princess Leia was in Rogue One, so I counted it. It's got to be the seven films. He's out. Right, Rich. <laughs> oh, sorry, Grant. I didn't realise. He's going to be oh, your dude. mate, Grant. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he could at least have another go. Yeah, he's, oh, a he's, mate, like, he's, a, he's a mate like Biggs, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Rich. Your faith in your friends is yours. Is that is that a is that what? an insult? It's the emperor, but is it an yeah. insult? Of course uh, it is. I'll, I'll, I'll give it. it. I'll give it, it. Go on. Yeah, Stu. it is. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Jazz. Oh, do you know what? I'm too tired. He's out. <laughs> He's out. Okay, Rich. Yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. He's out as well. I'm Stu. Out. You're yep, the winner. But overall, I'm just talking the points up. Jez, you win with two points. Well done. Yes. Jez was an embarrassment during that. <laughs> Actually, Jez got some crackers. He like when he got the seven and the three. That was a that was a sorry yeah. six and three. That was a hell of a guess. Absolute embarrassment. I know my movies, and I can say CCP PBP. Right, let's go to a rebel briefings. GW Acrylic go plastic fantastic. Baggy Gate update. Chris G binds Facebook. Rebel Briefings updates. Completing a run in an unexpected way. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Rich GW Acrylic. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by J.B. Brown, who represents GW Acrylic for the UK and Europe. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, Jamie Brown. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm fine at the moment, Jamie. Thanks for asking. So, I've asked you to come on today to discuss some new products that GW Acrylic have launched. Firstly, Jamie, 
How is GW Critic going in the UK and Europe currently? Um, very well, Rich. Very well indeed. We uh, had a big launch, obviously, at Celebration last year. On the back of that, there was a website which was written to handle orders from the uh, Celebration show. And uh, things have really kind of taken off. I think that the sales kind of speak for themselves, really. A while ago, Christian posted on stores from UK asking for ideas for new stock. And I distinctly remember voting for loose 12-inch. And now they're finally here. So, Jamie, what can you tell us about these new 12-inch loose cases? Ah, the 12-inch loose cases that everybody's been after. Well, we've got um, three 12-inch loose cases. Well, not all 12-inch, obviously. We've got a 6-inch loose case, which is uh, for a R2-D2 or a Jawa. They're all 3mm acrylic, and so they are 95% UV protection on your figures. Um, they've got a lovely rear sliding panel for easy access. The 12-inch display case is for your standard 12-inch figures. Um, and then we've got a 15-inch case, which is for a Darth Vader and IG-88. You also need to put your Boba Fett in there as well because of his uh, his rocket pack at the back. If you go onto the website, you can uh, see pictures of them. So three different sizes will cover all of the 12-inch figures. Exactly, yes. All 12-inch figures covered by the three different sizes. Look, they look great together. Yeah. The 15-inch um, the is also a little bit deeper as well. So, again, because of Robert, uh, Boba Fett's uh, backpack. It's interesting that I've got mine in the Detolf cabinet at the moment, but um, they're quite crammed together, so it'll be interesting to see what they look like spread out a little bit encased in acrylic. Yes, well, your uh, your whole collection needs um, the GW Touch, I reckon, Rich. <laughs> Now, I've got a couple of questions about these uh, cases, first of all, Jamie. And the first one is the stands for standing up a figure in a 12-inch or a 15-inch acrylic case. I'd imagine that that would be a little bit tricky, so how have you got around that one? Well, we have the option of supplying you with a, a figure stand. So if you, again, on the website, if you choose to have a figure stand, a couple of quid extra will get you a lovely white stand with a little metal poles which wrap around the the waist of your figures and make them stand up perfectly ah right so you're selling those with the cases as well um as an as an optional extra oh fantastic and uh it's it's good that you said that boba fett needed the larger case because I'm, i was just looking at my boba fett thinking i need four 12 inch ones but i'll perhaps be a little bit stuck with that one well we got um gw acrylic uk have got a uh, facebook group and uh, someone already bought a 15-inch uh, case for a Boba Fett, and he's put some pictures up there. So if you go onto the Facebook group, you can see it in all its glory. As I was browsing your blog post on the GW Credit website, Jamie, I noticed you have been discussing these five new mint and box vehicle cases that you've got. What can you tell us about those? Okay, so yes, we uh, haven't had vehicle cases before as a GW product. So these are exciting new additions. The speeder bike case comes with uh, rails to for your speeder bike flap and uh, fits in beautifully and shows your speeder bike off in its all its glory. We also got a land speeder case, which fits both the Kenna and the Palatoy. Um, an X-Wing case, which is a rather large beast and fits, uh, again, all different types of X-Wings that are on the market. We've got a snow speeder case, which makes my rather tatty snow speeder 
um, boxed vehicle look a lot nicer. And then we have finally a, uh, well, we call it a tri-logo Rebo band case. But it also fits the uh, the Power of the Force boxed vehicles and also fits the Endor Ranger as well. And again, um, that one makes my tatty tri-logo Rebo box look the absolute business. Oh, wow. Do you think that these mint and box vehicle cases and or perhaps early testers of the market perhaps bigger cases that may be coming in the future well we're looking really to kind of uh, cover all star wars vehicles eventually certainly you know with this release we're dipping our toe into the uh into the market somewhat just to sort of see the reaction really from the general public and also if it's uh something that people are actually wanting at all with star wars collecting it does tend to be a little figure centric for want of a better word um but people do love the vehicles me i love the vehicles and they do make great display items what tends to happen when people do have the vehicles though they're the ones that seem to be sort of hanging around at the bottom of people's wardrobes and not out on display so we might sort of trip try and revolutionize the uh the star wars display market with these vehicle cases See how we go. I saw what you did with the, was it the Funko Pop cases, where they fit some of the mini wigs. Do you think some of these larger cases that you're releasing may fit, I don't know, things like the Imperial Troop Transport, or, or perhaps even if we really look at a loose Star Vader um, TIE Fighter? A loose, a loose Star Vader TIE Fighter? Yeah, perhaps a loose um, well, speeder case. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're looking for feedback really on kind of uh, different uses for these cases that people might want to display their items with. I mean, you know, people have asked in the past for a uh, display case to show multiple looser figures, should I say. And uh, certainly it might cover those kind of areas. Um, and not just Star Wars, but possibly other, other toy lines as well. But yeah, I mean, to make them as kind of as generic as we possibly can, to sort of cover as many bases as we possibly can, um, it seems to be the way forward. And um, But, you know, they are designed specifically for those particular uh, vehicles. And, you know, to get your ultimate display, you should match your, your case with your vehicle, really. And I've noticed that you've sneaked in a couple of mint and box diecast cases now. Um, do you have the full range covered now for the diecast vehicles? Yeah, that's right, Rich. I mean, we got um, we already did uh, cases for the carded diecast, and we do two cases for those, which is the deep ones and the standard ones. So your standard one is your land speeder and your and your X wing and your cloud car, etc. And then the deep one kind of covers your tie fighter and your Darth Vader tie fighter. Um, so to make sure that we got the full range covered, we've released a uh, a diecast boxed case, which is uh, one which I'm particularly fond of, I must admit, because I'm very much into my diecast at the moment. And uh, having just recently purchased a uh, a boxed uh, Millennium Falcon diecast from the last Vector's auction, I was quite excited to see the prototype of that arriving. And uh, yeah, I mean, it really, these things really do show off your box diecast. And so we're covering the whole diecast range now. And um, diecast is an area which I'm uh, particularly excited about at the moment. And I don't really know why. <laughs> I've, uh, I just kind of, I got a, uh, like I say, I got, uh, when I first uh, started working with GW Credit UK, I, one of the first uh, items I bought for a, a case 
was a, a die-cast TIE fighter. Such a beautiful card back and a beautiful toy. And a kind of, you know, a little bit understated, a little bit undervalued, I always, I, I think, at this stage. I really kind of love in the die-cast and the die-cast boxes. Yeah, some of those die-cast bubbles are quite brittle as well, so I think more protection for those, the better. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, with all these kind of... Uh, these older figures and older die-cast toys, and they're a heavy toy as well, you know, they, yep. can, they can find a way through those boxes, so, yes. When we're going to see die-cast loose cases? Die-cast loose cases, yeah. ah, okay, it's yeah. It's an that's... obvious gap, that one, because the, you know, some of the die-cast vehicles aren't that much bigger than some of the biggest figures. Very true, very true, Rich. I think we will, we will add that to the uh, would-like-to-have list, shall we? Yeah. Well, you, you, you tell Christian that um, even if I'm the only one who'll buy them, I'll, I'll buy them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rich. And I've noticed that you've also um, started looking at other licenses now. So, like you, you mentioned just before, non-Star Wars. I've, I'm sure I've seen some, is it G.I. Joe cases and things that you've had in Action Force? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the last the last case um, in this line, um, which was Star Wars-focused, was the uh, Glass Leak case, which we've um, released. Uh, that again is a lovely case to um i think nick reese has got a has got a prototype of that and i've certainly got the uh the stock of those but they look fantastic i haven't got a glass sleet figure myself but... can i just ask are all the glass sleet bubbles the same size or would that one case do all of the glass sleet um good question rich and i don't know the answer to that one <laughs> we'll see um... yes, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah um so yeah so the glass leak case is the last case that we've released in this particular line we've got a carded um gi joe uk version case which is slightly taller than the um than your normal mock cases um they go very well and um also you know our most popular um standard mock case is uh used for action force um i've got a couple of action force figures which look really good in those and um yeah i mean you know the idea is to you know to cover the whole of the star wars range as best we can i mean it's a it's a massive range as you know um but then kind of move ourselves out into uh the other toy lines where um you know there's a, a hell of a lot of collectors out there as well who are you know they love the he-man and they love the turtles and they love the um action force and so we um we really want to hit those markets soon and uh show them the uh gw magic like star wars has been experiencing for so many years now so jamie i'm a listener then of vintage rebellion i'm interested in some of your gw products whether it's for the 12 inch loose or for some of the props you know the products that you've had around for a long time now like the standard figure cases and the loose figure cases and the action display stand cases where do i go to order or even view these products okay so the easiest way to do it is to go on the website, which is uh, www.gwacrylic.co.uk. Um, that's um, for the UK and Europe only. There's a gwacrylic.com site coming very, very soon, um, which will cover the States and the rest of the world. So the gwacrylic.co.uk website is uh, the one where you'll see all our products that you can order from there. The uh, postage is all calculated, and it's a very, very simple ordering system, and it gets me out out the house into the warehouse and uh, packing boxes on a cold February daytime. So, you know, if nothing else, get me working. <laughs> and are you going to be at Father's From, or do you, are you planning on having a, a presence of celebration this year? 
Uh, well, certainly farthest from. I mean, we've done farthest from now. Well, I've done farthest from personally as Fuzzy Buzzy Toys since farthest from number one, you know. So uh, that's uh, something I've uh, taken to heart and I love it every single time. So we're always going to be at farthest from and uh, we've always got a lot of stock on the day. I'm doing uh, the Echo Live show as well um, this year and I'm hoping to do actually a lot more shows really um, as the year sort of goes on. But um, I'm not going to celebration, unfortunately, Rich. I'm not going to celebration. I can't afford it. I can't um, afford the time off. Got my daughter who's begging me to take her on holiday because it's around Easter time. So uh, I'm very sadly not going to be there. But I think um, Ian's going to be there. And Ian will be uh, representing, obviously, GW Acrylic USA. And everybody knows Ian. He's a great guy. Got to go and see him. And I think Christian's going to be there as well, possibly with his family, I think. So look for the little fella who uh, has got a lot of cardboard boxes under his arm. <laughs> well, Jamie, as ever, it's been a pleasure talking to you about GW Acrylic. Um, you always make plastic sound fantastic. <laughs> we might use that as a tagline. Can I steal that one, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> the moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes baggy gate update well we all know what this is about and rich can you give us the latest on this uh, saga well i can't Stu. and i've got to see after we broadcast our mini make broadcast whatever you want to call it with jeff uh, it was a little bit of a shame i think that some of the flack that we had back from that interview but i think we all stand by the fact that it was really important that we got that content out there now, obviously, since that time, which has been, what, three weeks now, um, there have been a lot of updates over on Stores Forum UK, and Ed, the owner of the forum, has created two stickies whereby all of the important stuff is going into one thread and all of the general commentary is going into another. And Jeff has also joined the forum as well, so there have been quite a few updates and allegations and counter-allegations made. So, guys, I think it's only fair that we put across some of the biggest questions that are found just for us to consider. And for those who don't frequent stores from UK, it's probably important that everybody is aware of the latest updates and where we are now. Okay, so I'm just going to go through some of the bullet points that have been raised and some of the questions that if we had have known these in advance, we would have put these to Jeff. So these are um, allegations and counter-allegations that's been going on Stores Forum UK. And for those who aren't a member of Stores Forum UK, I think it's important that this information gets out. So the first thing that I'd like to bring to people's attention is with regards to the red text baggies that we discussed in the interview. Now, back in August 2013... Jeff sends a photograph of red text baggies to Frank. And those baggies were a removable limbs C-3PO, a low grey, a T-bow and a prune face. And Frank said that they were suspicious. They were possibly from Strawberry Shortcake or some other kind of non-Star Wars toys line. And he wanted nothing to do with them. Then Jeff sells one in September the following month. Now, there are some legit red text made in Macau baggies, but these ones are made in Hong Kong. So the evidence here suggested that Jeff clearly knew that that baggie was certainly suspicious. The second one I want to bring up is the Empire Strikes Back B Boba Fett baggies. Now, he was told they were insanely rare. In the big pick that we talked about last year, an Empire Strikes Back B Boba Fett baggy was found in the Vader carry case. And Lawrence Dyer had spotted that and contacted Jeff, who, who was a known dealer of baggies, and asked him if he knew anything about them or if, he did, or if he had one. Jeff confirmed that he had one in his collection for five years, and he paid approximately £700, which was a lot of money certainly five years ago. Then, over the course of the last few months, lots and lots of badly painted Empire Strikes Back B 
Boba Fett baggies have appeared. So, where have they come from? Now, one of them has been sold on eBay, which was incorrectly labelled as a Star Wars sea baggy. So, there's questions to be raised there. Jeff, it confirmed he only had one. He knew they were insane anyway. And now we're aware of at least six, seven, or even eight of them possibly being in circulation. Next, the tri-logo FET baggies that were offered for sale with incorrect dimension mailer boxes. These baggies had incorrect position stamp markings, and several of them had been touched up inside the figures. Alpha had refused a couple of them, opened them, and sent them back for being touched up. Now, it was believed that these tri-logo FET baggies have come in nine num boxes. The next one is Return the Jedi I baggy, which was bought to return by Frank. There is evidence to clearly show that Jeff later sold this to a guy called Kev. This was a hand solo baggy with a very distinctive crease. So if you remember from the interview, Jeff was very clear that anything that he had returned would go into a separate box and it would be unsold or opened and went in his collection. The next one was a purple text walrus man and hammerhead. Now these baggies were bought by Frank in 2015. Now he did have suspicions about them but he wanted to buy them to have a good close look at them. Now those were sent back to Jeff in 2015 and yet both were for sale at Father's From and identified by one of the accusers who goes by the guilty one on the forum. He stated that he had them to his minty collection. Does this mean a loose collection or are those baggies still in existence? Next we have an Empire Strikes Back A baggy with a 1995 pinhead Han. Now that's correct, it was a Hasbro Power of the Force 2 figure inside an Empire Strikes Back A baggy. He is adamant that he brought along the forest from and it wasn't for sale, and yet Ed on the forum quite clearly re- recollects asking him how much that baggy was and he was given a price. There's another anomaly. Ian Sanderson, who went over at the States a couple of years ago, confirms that there is not large lots of baggies for sale on eBay.com. Jeff was very clear in that there were huge job lots of baggies on eBay. He could spend time going on eBay, scouring eBay, finding baggies. If that's the case... Why hasn't Ian been able to find these? UKG confirm a box Bosk mailer is legit. It's been graded, it's been checked, it's been checked three times, and they've confirmed it's legit. And yet it has the exact same mailing address as another one that's been outed as a fake on Stores from UK. Are these copies? Why do some of those mailers smell fresh? Why do some of them smell as though adhesive has been recently applied? Some ones have been graded, some haven't but they've all got the same mailer number. The boxes do not weigh the correct amount. The boxes have been opened for the legit ones, they've been weighed, and I believe it's 15 grams from memory, and yet these ones don't weigh that 15 grams. So what's going on there? Is it possible that Jeff has actually sold his legit one in some kind of error, and that he has copies remaining? Who knows? So, if you want to join the debate on Stores for UK, or if Jeff has responses for any of those, then by all means, go and check out the forum. You'll be pointed to the right direction. So guys, there you go. An update on the baggy scandal from Star Wars Forum UK. And I just want to rest assured everybody, we've always tried to remain impartial and we all believe that Jeff now has some questions to answer. Rich, I think you've capped that off um, particularly well. You've covered everything that has developed over the last few weeks. Bearing in mind that when we did, uh, when we rapidly put that interview together, it was just literally minutes after everything was breaking and we didn't, as you say, we didn't have a great deal of time to to prep for it. And there wasn't a great deal of evidence out there now. But one thing which strikes in my mind is um, how it immediately, uh, particularly on Star Wars Forum UK uh, and across the Facebook groups, 
uh, you definitely saw two camps, two big divides. It was just uncomfortable, wasn't it? I think we can all agree. Generally, I think the truth will always come out in the end. And uh, I look forward to, as you say, for all these questions to be answered, hopefully. But everyone who, who was involved in this, you know, there was people involved from both sides. And with regard, when I say involved, with regards to the investigation side of it. And there has been some really, really detailed and really good investigations taking part. Um, obviously, initially, we didn't see so much of that when the initial post went on the forum. But some of the work which has been done since then, I think, has been um, really, really worthy of note. Right, Chris G binds Facebook. It's kind of got like a scrapbook feel about that title, Rich. This was a great post by Chris Jorgulius over on the Star Wars 12 and 21 back or whatever. Keeps changing his name every other week, that group. But it was a great post by him. But I think this was Chris G testing whether Facebook can cope with this kind of information. But it was a fantastic post anyway. He started it off by taking a photograph and sticking it on there. And it was a white binder with Kenner 1979 New Products Confidential written on it. And he put a little bit of text there saying a whopping £7.5 of Kenner secret photographs. This would have been held tightly at Kenner during 78 as they laid out their product plans for the forthcoming year. Back then they used actual prints on photo paper for the imagery which contributed to the weight and thickness. And then he put there's a great story behind this one and he then, you know, asked for likes and things like that and he'll disclose some more information. Which is why I'm thinking perhaps this is a kind of test of Facebook to see whether something like that can get the kind of interest that the forums can. Now he took a shot of the side of the fold as well and you could see inside that there were colourful dividers which were labelled things like Megabugs and Dolls and Play-Doh etc. And of course Star Wars. When he opened the binder he showed two images. Those images have been on the Star Wars Collector's Archive for quite a number of years, but I think they've probably been hidden away a little bit and not that many people have seen them. The first one that I want to talk about is the Star Wars radio-controlled Jawa Sandcrawler. Have you seen this Jawa Sandcrawler, and does anybody want to describe what it actually is? Yeah, I don't know if I can uh, brilliantly articulate what I've seen, but I did see your picture, which at first glance you think, oh yeah, it's a sandcrawler. Um, as you then look at some of the text and, and look a bit closer, the tracks underneath completely different. And uh, and also it does appear that it's actually white polystyrene which has been painted. Yeah, Jez, that's true. My eye was caught by the remote control first. Because with the Java Sand Code, I've always thought that the remote control looked a bit naff and a bit weedy. But when you look at the picture of the remote control that comes with this Java Sand Code, it actually looks quite bulky and it looks like a real remote control. But what it actually is, is it's it's a mock-up of the Jawa Sandcrawler that, as you've said, has probably been made from polystyrene blocks, and it's been painted brown, and had the, the corners cut with some kind of craft knife, and it's been uh, bashed together, and it, it looks absolutely fantastic. I really think that is a really highly detailed toy, and it, it's, it's fantastic, 16-inch long, can travel in any direction, top hatch opens to reveal control rooms. It mentions things like the inside play area, elevator. It talks about hand-operated elevators, um, light fixtures inside, providing additional play value. Absolutely fantastic. And the second picture that you showed, which is probably even better, is a mock-up of the Imperial Troop Transporter. So, guys, who's looking at the Imperial Troop Transporter, and can you tell our listeners what this looks like? I want one. I want one now. It looks like a death machine, Rich. It's it's, be- it's better than the one the toy that they released. It's also uh, got a X-wing booster attached to the back of it. 
the front. I, I'm trying to think what the front reminds me of. It, it's kind of like a World War Two-y kind of that a bit with a bit of Star Destroyer, a bit of bunker mentality. I can't kind of put my finger on it. Do you know where I'm coming from? It's it, it's it, it's it's kind of a weird sloping kind of front of a spaceship. I can't think what what it reminds me of. It's really weird. It's like an Imperial troop transport a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether whether it's a it's got a bunker feel to it or a or a star destroyer feel to it the front of it 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 seems a bit out of shape but but it looks really mean because it's yeah, sloped with two sort of like eyelets yeah it's basically the imperial troop transport as we know it, isn't it so it looks thinner it's got a X-wing rocket booster on the back and it's got a sloped front instead of sort of like a spherical front but much more intimidating exactly I mean the the actual one that got released was looks almost soft. This it's one like looks a, like it's out to get to stab you with its kind of like pointy bits at the front. Yeah, I guess if, if we could compare it to Teeth, maybe that this one looks like a canine, and the original one, that the production one, looks more like a molar. Yeah, I think also if I had had this as a kid, I would have been going around my carpet in the living room, going, eh, 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 thinking it was some sort of Death Star little mouse droid just going around as well, because it's. Maybe that's just my imagination. Jez, I think if you were doing that, your parents would probably give you some medication. Well, yeah, maybe. I just, it just, yeah, it, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't look like Star Wars. Obviously, it looks more because, like GI Joe. Yeah. Type toy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But it's interesting to note that even back in the mock-up stage, they were talking about the six of sight and sounds, laser gun, the cannon guns, land speeder motor. Darth Vader's voice, C-3PO's voice, R2-D2's clicks and beeps. So they were, they were clearly designing that from the off to be some kind of, you know, a multifunctional uh, toy, which is it's fantastic. I, th- I would love to have had that as a kid. I would love to have had it. Rich, what's that first paragraph in the description about? It's a bit random. A replica of the Star Wars land speeder hovercraft used by stormtroopers to track down R2-D2 and C-3PO on Tatooine. It seems to suggest that it, <laughs> it was a replica of something that actually existed. How can it be a replica of something that wasn't actually there in the first place? <laughs> exactly. That is kind of odd. That's very odd. I think we need some explanation of that. I'm pretty sure that Chris will be sending us an email when he has this. He'll be doing it in his car. <laughs> where, where can we? Where can the listeners uh, see this stuff, Rich? Uh, we will post the links to the Star Wars Collectors Archive on our Facebook page, or you can go to the 12 and 21 back group on Facebook. But there's more to the story, and I think the the really good stuff's still coming. So, I just want to go to the the history of how he acquired this folder. And he says, back in the summer of 1998, he went to Cincinnati, and he met with the former head of the Kenner Model Shop. And among other things, he found a small, blue, three-ring binder that held together the Star Wars page that I just mentioned before that went into that big binder, including the tab page. And obviously they were dead excited, you know, because they'd never seen the true transporter, and they'd never seen the Sandcrawler mock-ups before. And then five years later, he's browsing around eBay, and he finds the 1978 binder. So he thought, great, he snapped that up, and was keep looking for the correct 1979 one. Now this is what's really bizarre, because if you remember, remember when Chris reunited the the sand person sculpt head with the sand person torso and, and arms that he'd found? Well, he's done exactly the same thing again, because it was actually in Anaheim, he actually bought the 1979 binder, which was complete, but was missing the Star Wars pages. How bizarre is that? So then he managed to reunite the Star Wars pages that he'd had in 1998 with the correct 1979 binder, which was missing those pages, put them together, and he's made the full package. 
I mean, obviously I couldn't wish that on a nicer guy, but how bloody lucky is he, you know, with doing that kind of reuniting thing? In the other pages, though, aren't they using Star Wars toys to advertise the other bashed-up kits? They certainly are, and this is where Chris really went to town with these. You know, if we hit 500 likes, I will post some more photographs, and we're definitely going to put these two photographs on our Facebook page because they are absolutely brilliant. I just want to talk about um, the small one first, guys. So, these were ideas for the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid toy line. And the first one, it looks pretty much like a a mail truck on wheels. I don't know if it's meant to be pulled by a horse or something or, or whatever, but it's got a little hatch in the top and it's got a Gatlin machine gun. And sitting there is a little action figure with a big blue sombrero or some kind of hat on the top of his head. Obviously, Grant, you've, it's not a sombrero, is it? was it? Stetson. It's not a sombrero, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a big blue Stetson on top of his head. So, Grant, obviously, you've seen this picture. Which little action figure is that? I don't know what kind of hat that is, Rich. <laughs> Is it Han Solo? It's Han Solo, Stu, yeah. He's got the bent arm, hasn't he? Yeah, Han Solo painted blue with this, you know, huge Larry Hagman hat on that's also painted blue with a Gatlin gun. What a bizarre little toy that is. But moving on to the second one, the second one screams, can I place it? It looks like, it looks like the cantina. It's it's a bank, isn't it? I think, is that is that a Han and Luke action figures behind the service desk? So you're right, Stu, yep, it's a bank, it's... You know, it looks a lot smaller than the cantina playset. Yeah. Basically, it's a bit of moulded plastic with two cashiers behind the bank, both of them with their hands up in the air. One's Han Solo, one's Luke, and you've got two other characters there. One's robbing the bank and the other one's outside the doors. The doors don't look like the plastic doors in the cantina playset. They look a little bit sturdier, actually, but it's hard to tell from the photograph. The detail is amazing on it, though. The You know, the little portraits of... You know, I'm assuming bank presidents in the background. One looks like a portrait of Jesus that's painted on the wall. And there's a, there's a couple of, you know, things spread around on the floor. And it's very, very small and very, very intricate. Have a look closely at Han and Luke, the ones behind the counter. They've been cutting off. They've been cutting half, yep. They've been cutting half and glued onto, <laughs> onto some kind of plastic <laughs> behind the counter by the looks of it. Do you think the, um, the one outside is obviously meant to be Robert Redford, isn't it? Do you think that's a Luke figure as well? I think it is. Yeah, I've been looking at that. Do you think, I think that is a Luke. I think it's a Han Solo with a Luke head on it though, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure, you see, because they're definitely Han Solo arms, because Luke obviously had the, you know, the telescopic lightsaber and the, you know, different shape arms, didn't he? It's, it's definitely Han Solo arms on the, on the Luke behind the counter. But it's quite a mixture of bits, because I mean, they're the legs. The legs are definitely trouser legs with shoes. I know uh-huh. they've been painted, but that's not vintage legs, surely. They're not Leah Bespin shoes, are they? No, she doesn't have quite a heel like that, but she <laughs> yeah. does have weird shoes. She yeah. slightly, Leah... slightly bigger as well, I think. Slightly more manly yeah. shaped. I it's think a cracking they're... picture. Isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, without the likes of Chris sharing this kind of stuff with the community, we'll, we would never see that. Would you have liked to have got that as a kid? Definitely not. I love that film. I wouldn't have want the truck thing. I couldn't associate that. But that top one, yeah, it's a great little toy. I've never seen the film, so... Oh, oh, what? Another <laughs> classic. How could you have not seen that film? <laughs> I mean, just the fact you might have been near a TV in the last 40 years. <laughs> what I really like about that is the attention to deal. I think it's absolutely brilliant. The paintings on the wall, the bookcase, the shelves. What is it? I don't know. It's hard to tell, but it looks like 
the guy who's holding um, Luke and Han up and robbing them, he's got looks like there's something on the left that's hanging down. Is he, is he holding something is in that, his hand? It, yeah, it looks like a safe door, because there's one on the floor as well. The grey <sighs> thing in the back, I reckon, is a safe. It's a safe. And the doors have been blown off. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you think that's an earwing pistol, endor black pistol he's got in his hand? I don't know, but he's going to look after it, it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. He's got a dinky little holster as well, so he can put it in there. And he's got a lovely pair of shoes, black on top and a, and a, a soft moulded underneath. Cuban heel. It's unfortunate that that was never produced. Chris posted on there, ultimately the idea of a set like this likely turned into the Real West Cafe in 1980. So, Stu, if you want to um, you know, have a look on eBay at some point, Real West Cafe, 1980, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. See what takes your fancy. Real West Cafe. That's will be arranged in five minutes. Rebel Briefing updates, Rich. I believe you've got uh, some previous topics to discuss. Yeah, I'm very aware of the fact that often in Rebel Briefings that we'll cover something and then there's new updates and we may not go back to them all the time. So we're going to go back to three tonight. I want to discuss a little bit about the UP update that Yehuda Kleinman had posted over on the KaiCast Facebook page. And I also want to cover a little bit about the Lloyd's toy store that we talked about. And then we're going to go to the running Stormtrooper to see if there's anything new on the running front. So, UP. Now, if you remember, we interviewed Yehuda, I think it was two episodes ago, where we talked about those small plastic food premium products that were available in Colombia. And there's been an update of that, and the updates are so good that I just want to cover it. And what he said is, instead of the 36 figures licensed by Lucasfilm that he initially thought there were, he's found that there were 40, and there were two others, which were, I think they're a bit like Transformers, Gobots, they sound like Transformers to me, whereby two of the figures, you had one in the robot stage and one in the vehicle stage, so that accounts for the four. Um, so there's a full set of 40. But that's not really what was interesting. What was really interesting to me was the fact that he's found a board game to go along with these figures, and this is brilliant. And I believe as a result of his post on the SWCA blog, which everybody should go and check out, a guy from Colombia contacted uh, Yehuda and said that he had the board game. It was sorry, I'm, I'm saying it's a board game. It's it's a piece of you know paper more or less. And Yehuda was you know delighted to receive a scanned copy of this because there's only one known to exist in the world. And I just want to describe to you what this this piece of paper looks like it's not very big i don't think it's actually that much bigger than a4 but on one side it's got a space scene and then it has a spiral game leading to the sun in the center and around the spiral points there are small spaces for you to move so it looks as though it's like a race to the middle kind of game perhaps there was some dice available and you rolled the dice and you moved your little yubi characters i don't know exactly how the game worked and there are obviously things in Colombian or Spanish written on the squares and, you know, I'm assuming that those are actions that you had to do, so, you know, like a bit like snakes and ladders where you, you know, went up the snake and down the ladder or vice versa. It is vice versa, isn't it? And there's there's also lots of planets on there and now these aren't Star Wars planets, these are, you know, our solar system planets, you know, Earth, Mercury, Venus, etc, etc. And it's, it, it looks absolutely great. But on the back side of it, as well as having some Star Wars characters, Vader, C-3PO, um, Luke Lea and R2-D2 it also has loads and loads of space facts and information on the back so it had like a map of the solar system that's been quite cruelly drawn but you know then you've got 10 celestial objects posted on there with information about distance from the sun temperature and things like that absolutely fantastic 
I urge everybody to go out and check it because this is a cracking little product and it's great that it's survived. The second story I want to move on to then is the Lloyd's store. Uh, we talked about this, oh, it was a good six months ago, maybe a bit beyond that now, uh, where we talked about a price sticker from Lloyd's on one of the corded figures that appeared on stores for me, okay? And it was only a couple of weeks ago that Ron Salvatore sent me a link to a photograph on a Facebook page entitled Abandoned Hudson Valley. Now, I'm just going to sidetrack for a second. If anybody wants to go and check out that page, it's absolutely brilliant. The amount of um, abandoned buildings, you know, whole high schools, there's um, asylums and hospitals and all sorts of abandoned things. It's it's a real ghost hunter's dream, there, this Facebook page. So, you know, go and check out if you're interested in that kind of stuff. But on that page, there was a photograph of the Lloyd store from 2005, and I was just blown away. It just looked nothing like I thought it was going to look like. I thought it was going to look a little bit like, you know, the shop from Open All Hours, Arkwright store. I thought it was going to look quite like that, perhaps a little bit bigger and a little bit deeper. But <laughs> from reading the comments on there, a lot of people have said, Walmarts before Walmarts, and that really picks it for me, because it is a huge store. It's massive. It's a big store, it's got Lloyds and big letters on two sides of it, probably on the back side of it as well, um, and it looks absolutely fantastic, and there were so many comments on that page, so many people talking about how they went to that store when they were younger, kind of things that they got up to. I think <laughs> for the thousands of people who were employed by the store for the amount of people who claimed they worked there, or, or did some deliveries there, but it, it certainly evolved over time. It had the restaurant that was built onto it on the side. Um, downstairs in the basement, apparently there was an area where you could buy um, handmade wooden furniture. Um, there was a barbers in there, a beauty salon downstairs in the basement. A lot of people talked about the trade-off between the family went grocery shopping and the kids were let loose in the toy department part of the store. Absolutely brilliant. and I love seeing stuff like this. It was brilliant. Um, I read about the guy who actually sold the piece of land to Lloyd's. It was owned by a farmer. Um, and there was some kind of contract whereby the guy who bought it, who was who was uh, Mr. Lloyd himself, he had to house the farmer's wife, and she lived until she was 93 um, in some kind of form. It was a, it's a fantastic story. It's a great tale. And, and thanks, Ron. I, I, you know, I had a good hour looking at that webpage and reading up about Lloyd's store. And finally, Jez, I believe um, you've got a Stormtrooper runner update. Quite literally, give me 10 seconds. I'm in the middle of something, um, but it, you'll understand. Well, if it's 10 seconds, I'm probably am understanding. Rich, guys, I had written down a lot of stuff that I was going to... I was going to say uh, uh, some updates and this, that and the other, but about 15 minutes ago, I just had an, an email which has actually changed changed the course of quite a few things and has kind of blown my mind a little bit, and I'm really, really excited about it. And you guys uh, aren't aware of this or anything like that, and uh, I've just had... Oh, weird. Uh, I've just had an email from uh, Pete Vilma saying, uh, congratulations. Hi, Jez. It looks like we've got a spot for you in the fan table section at Celebration. If you'd like to fill out both these attached forms and return it to Mary Franklin, CC'd. So, <laughs> oh my word. Yeah, it looks like the running Stormtrooper is going to be doing some treadmill running at Celebration for a few hours each day um, <laughs> for, for all of the days. Um, whilst I can spread the word about what the running Stormtrooper is up to, um, including uh, the different runs, the world record attempt and raise some money. And I should be able to raise some money whilst I'm at Celebration. So, um, yeah. 
pretty much you just blown my mind so sorry that's why i've been quiet for the last 10 minutes because this email just came through whilst we were um chatting about the latest discoveries so uh, just let me pause for breath just for a second Jez, that sounds like punishment. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's great, but it sounds really harsh. Oh, right, you've got to come with, bring, bring your stormtrooper costume and run in it. I don't know. I don't get this. I don't get this. Who's going to carry my purchases? <laughs> yeah. Who's going to wheel me around the floor now? Who's going to be my bitch? I will be able to do all of those things. I will be able to do all of those things. I, I must reiterate that it is possible that we might have to delete this a little bit <laughs> from the recording because I've just immediately replied saying, wow, Pete, that's amazing. Thanks very much. I've sent him immediately a few questions saying, right, I'm not sure how if much, I can... How much do I need to run? Yeah, I, I'm not sure <laughs> if I can fit a treadmill in my in my carry-on. Um because um, I've just opened the, um, you know, the, if you imagine all sort of legal waivers and this and the other, and just saying, oh, you know, you need to uh, provide this and provide that. And, and um, but I mean, first and foremost, I ran this past um, Pete a few months ago saying, look, there's lots of queuing and there's lots of standing around. And what better than to maybe have a, a stormtrooper on a treadmill? And I just quite literally, excuse the pun, let them run with it. And Pete just, came back to me saying yeah our legal people are looking into this and and i didn't know if anything would come of it and it, it's a really really great opportunity for for loads of people to see star wars nerd just running in a costume um for <laughs> make a wish i mean yeah how, how completely, you know you, you could leave all your modern sort of toys behind and, and all your vinyl pop bits and pieces it's going to be something a little bit different. So uh, each day, I'll be doing. I'll be doing something. Yeah, um, sounds fun. Jez, um, um, Grant said he, he would uh, he would fill in for you on most of the days in the costume. Oh right, yeah, what doing shifts? Yeah, yeah, he said do shifts for yeah. oh, I mean, he'd fit in there perfectly, about the same size. Yeah, 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 uh, ab- absolutely. Yeah, we. I mean, we could all we could all take it. Uh, well, it's a bit big for me and Rich to be fair, <laughs> isn't it? Which we're we're yeah, it's going to be a bit that, yeah, a bit tall for those. Little, little tiny kids costume you wear. So uh, I'm sorry because yeah. So this is all a little bit cock a hoop. Uh, what I plan to say, but so that's just um, completely throwing it um, off on off the tracks. But yeah. So I was just gonna. <laughs> what I was gonna start off by saying was yeah, the running stormtrooper. Um, the uh, attempts this year. Uh, the training's going really really well. So I've got um, Bath Half Marathon on the 12th of March. The London Marathon, I've now had um, confirmation from Guinness World Records that they're going to accept my marathon attempt. And uh, and that's all gone through. So they've accepted the costume and and all that. There was a little bit of an issue initially where they were saying, oh, no, we want you to do it in boots. Um, but they've accepted the fact that people generally have to run marathons in trainers. Uh, Are you going to be on the on the fan booth 9 or 5 then running on your treadmill every day? <laughs> yeah, well... Um, that's not what I initially said. I said I will do a half marathon uh, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I'll, I'll do a half marathon each day, but I'll be around, and I'll probably just do a few little joggets in and around and amongst it. And yeah, celebration is what it is, as long as each one's different and the whole experience for everyone's different each time. And it seems like it'll certainly be different <laughs> this time. So yeah, wow, what a way, what a way to celebrate. But yeah, things, things like seem to be going really, really well. I was blown away recently when I had um, 
notification come through from the Jabba's court, Jabba's palace guys. Did anyone see those top trump cards that they were doing? Yep. Yep. Certainly did. You see innovation and initiatives and various different charity stuff done on the variety of forums and Facebook groups. But the guys are looking at this and they've done four different sets of top trumps, all sold out. They've sold 200 sets of these so four packs in each set they sold 200 of them and they contacted me saying we think there's going to be in the vicinity of five pounds worth of profit from each sale and uh, we'd very much like to donate that to your just given fund blew my mind there they are awesome they've got the first 21 figures um really beautifully photographed lots of sort of typical top trump information on the back ideal for when you're in a queue it's celebration or any other uh, convention but particularly ideal if you just stood there bored watching a stormtrooper running on a treadmill um they're really really good cards and i understand steve, steve sansweet gus lopez and kathy the card lady they've all ordered some as well so these are these are proven to be really popular so jabba's court guys gonna have to get you on soon to talk about this uh project in and uh and who's who's done it. i understand it was a massive team effort amongst all the the Jabbers guys, but yeah, I was completely blown away with the generosity there. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And uh, Jez, I believe that you were on uh, another podcast. I, uh, I got a bit surprised to hear your dulcet tones coming across there. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was invited onto Radio 1138, which was great. I mean, if it wasn't for the likes of uh, Mark Newbold, none of this would be happening in the first place, because after all, it was Mark who put me in contact with the UK Garrison and uh, Steve Buckley. And uh, completing a run, a bit of a different run, in an unexpected way, Rich. Lovely story. Yeah, that's right. Ross Barr tagged us in a great story, also on one of his Facebook groups. Now, I have been in conversation with Christopher Gulsinski. Apologies if I butchered that. Um, it's spelled G-U-L-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. So I think, you know, you can appreciate how I might not have the pronunciation correct. But Christopher had initially tried to come on the podcast. Unfortunately, his schedule is very, very busy and he's off to London um, this week. So it looks as though I'm not going to be able to get the recording with Christopher. But I've sent them some interview questions over and these are his responses. Um, so I think I've got enough of a handle now of what happened. So if the interview does happen, then obviously I'll cut all of this out and you wouldn't have heard any of this in the first place. But assuming that the interview hasn't happened, this is the story. So around Christmas, he posted a picture on his personal Facebook page of a 12-back Han that his fiancée had bought him as a gift for Christmas. Um, and it's important to note it wasn't in a Star Wars group, it was on his own personal page. And he mentioned quite you know, innocently in the comment that the Han put him one Minton card away from completing his New Hope run and one away from completing his Kenner US Complete run. And a few minutes later, he got a PM from Jeff Actioncamp saying that he had a 12-back Vader and would he be interested. And he was over the moon. What luck? He sent him a link to his eBay page where he had it up for sale. What do you think happened next? Rich, is this the thing where it was a case of, uh, yeah, I just want you to have it? No, no, I, I can't just have it. Uh, no, I want you to have it. Well, hang on a second. And then it ended up being a third-party charity involvement? That's exactly what happened, Jez. He was blown away. He couldn't believe the generosity from Jeff. And initially, it was Jeff was kind of, have it, take it, complete two of your runs, you know, it's obviously going to go to a good home. I've had it hanging around for quite a while, and he, he, he refused to take anything for it. 
But as you've said there, there was a third party that got involved in there. Chris was like saying, you know, I've got to give you something for it. And, you know, eventually Jeff said, I'll tell you what, you know, make a donation to Toys for Tots and I'll be happy with that. Absolutely brilliant story, that. It's such a really feel-good story, especially from some of the, you know, the baggy gates and other things that's been happening lately. But I've never heard a thing of Toys for Tots. I mean, it sounds fairly obvious what they do. Um, Jez, are you are you aware of Toys for Tots at all? No, not at all. Not no. at all. Just a completely classy act, um, which, as he said, it was just the right time for someone like that to happen. And, yeah, what a great tale. Definitely worthy of you, of you bringing it up now, mate. Yeah. Is Toys for Tots a charity where people just basically drop in toys? So, I mean, I, I know um, on Star Wars Action News, Arnie, any any kind of like over overstock of toys he might have, he'll he'll take them down to. I mean, it's basically like a, like a drop in charity thing where you you take your spare toys and collectibles and stuff, and uh, and they get distributed amongst kids at sort of Christmas time and and well, probably other times as well. I imagine the stuff they have. So it's quite quite a good idea for charity actually. I mean, I suppose there's not, there's not one over here. I mean, obviously, this is such a great thing, you know, Toys for Tots getting not just a small donation. By all accounts, Christopher has paid quite a, a handsome and, you know, good donation. Because, obviously, you know, he, he would have probably paid that for the for the Darth Vader. So that's absolutely fantastic. But he's ended his comments there with saying, um, I'm now happy to call Jeff a friend. And, that, and that's great. That great act of kindness has hopefully put two collectors on their journey together. And, you know, we've all met great guys on Facebook over the last few months and... Just one Star Wars, one community. Okay, welcome to this month's Beyond the Toys section. This month we are fortunate enough to be with Jamie Bennin. Jamie is the uh, creator behind the filmamentaries and the making of the original trilogy, a different take on documentary filmmaking. Uh, Jamie, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jamie, am I right in saying that not only have you done filmamentaries for the original trilogy, but looking at your library, you've also done Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws. That's right, yeah. So when did I start? Back in 2006, I did Building Empire, then did Return to Jedi, then 2011, I did Star Wars Begin, 2012, Raiding, and 2000, and was it 14, maybe, Jaws? So I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment, but yeah, so there's um, two, four, six, eight, ten hours there of stuff for people to watch. Amazing. Um, you've picked the five greatest movies ever made. <laughs> 
yeah, it was a struggle to pick another one after that. That's probably why I haven't done anything long form since. There was, it did appear that there was a tease for Back to the Future. Would I be right in thinking that might be a possibility? Well, it was, yeah, it was a while ago that I, I interviewed, um, a guy called Kevin Pike that worked on the uh, original Back to the Future movie and was involved closely with the DeLorean and stuff. In fact, I spoke to him for my Jaws one, Inside Jaws, um, because he's, that's how he started in the film industry. So I did this sort of, here, this is how we did the opening sequence of Back to the Future. And it got like 200,000 hits or something. <laughs> I thought, oh, does that mean I have to go and make the whole thing now? There was a point where I was thinking of that, but the difficulty is, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, um, that it takes so much commitment to make a project of, of that kind of length. Um, it's finding the time that's the issue. But uh, before we uh, move on to discuss the film elementaries and the sort of like the concept and mm. the work that you've done behind that, there's no doubt in my mind from watching the film elementaries that you're a massive Star Wars fan. It's, that's completely undeniable. Um, but take oh, absolutely. Us, take us back to the, the beginning. Obviously, a big fan when you were a child. Yes. Well, I have. I was born in 76, so by the time I was, you know, three or four, Empire had come out, and Star Wars was everywhere around me. I lived in, um, I was brought up in Kent, in the UK, um, sort of southeast London, and I remember going to see The Empire Strikes Back, it was the first film I saw at Gravesend Cinema in Kent, and um, I remember also seeing it again uh, with a double bill, or with Return of the Jedi some some years later and I have a very distinct memory of being taken up to London to see Return of the Jedi for my my seventh birthday and having a little stop off in Hamleys and being sport rotten with a snow speeder and a, an Atat and a bunch of figures and a couple of Jabba's henchmen we didn't know much about them until we saw the film of course but I remember sitting there with my bib fortuna in my hand as I was watching the film so Oh, you know, I, I had everything. I had the books. I had the curtains. I had the slippers. <laughs> anything, anything that was Star Wars was welcome, um, for a birthday or Christmas. And my, my family knew that. Occasionally they got it wrong and said, Oh, we like space toys. And I'd get a Captain Kirk or a, <laughs> or a, or a Spock figure or something, which I'd, you know, just, you know, gently put to the side and carry on playing with my Star Wars figures. But yeah, I, I, I feel like it's always been, been there. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting because obviously you would have seen uh, Empire and Jedi in the cinema before any kind of home release. Do you think it mm. was sort of like the memorabilia that sort of sustained the interest? Absolutely. I remember, you know, just being in the playground, it just being a part of the consciousness of kids at that time, you know, being in the playground at school and I'll be Han Solo, I'll be Luke, okay, I'll be Luke's cousin, I'll be Chewbacca, I'll be, you know. <laughs> and we that's what we did at school. We just played Star Wars. All day. I remember that in the infant's playground. So when I was five, six, seven, eight, I remember doing that a lot. Um, and then I don't think I, I think I saw Star Wars when we first got a VHS player. Um, it was probably a bootleg, I would think, because it was definitely pre-home release. I remember some murky looking copy. Um, we had the top loader, uh, VHS player. And, um, I also remember when it was first broadcast on television, which I guess would have been 84, maybe. I don't um. know. October 82. Was it 82? Oh, that makes more sense then. Because I remember my grandfather had given me a tape recorder. We didn't have a VHS recorder at this time. And I remember a tape recorder um, that he'd lent me. and Or I wasn't allowed to use the VHS maybe. So I had a tape. And I put the tape recorder up against the speaker of the television. And I recorded the soundtrack 
of the film. And I remember coming running down stairs and having to flip the tape over and record. So there was always this gap that was missing, which was around the point where um, they just arrive on the Death Star to rescue the princess. There was a there's a portion of my Star Wars knowledge missing there because for years that was the only way I could watch it or, or re- revisit it, shall I say, in my own time. You know, the TV might have been being used by my parents or my sister, but I had my tape recording, I had my audio recording of it all. And that's how, to this day, I you know, I still know every little musical cue, every little dialogue cue, when the scene changes, you know, what's coming next. It's just sort of ingrained because I, I wore that tape out. Sadly, I don't have it anymore, but it's it was warped to hell. That's it. <laughs> that, that's really interesting. That's, that's sort of like the seed for uh, Star Wars filmamentaries was sort of created then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part you know part of the the joy of doing uh, the Star Wars filmamentaries was that I was able to sort of break that that expectation of what was coming next by putting in a different deleted scene or alternate take or whatever it is. Um, and it's it's sort of for for me as somebody who knows those things by rote, I kind of um, it kind of jars you and think, oh, well, hang on, what's this? This isn't what I expected. And by that way, I hoped in creating some some interest. But definitely, the seed of all of that stuff was was way back, yeah, 1982. That makes more sense now. Uh, did you carry on uh, being a sort of Star Wars fan throughout sort of like the end of the 80s and into the 90s? Well, I remember having all the figures and the ships and stuff, not all of them. Obviously my parents weren't, weren't rich, but I had plenty of them. And I remember getting into computers. This was the downfall. You see my sister <laughs> had a Commodore 64 Christmas 1984 and I had the Ewok village for my present. And I was looking at the Ewok village and I was looking at this Commodore 64 and she was playing a game called booty. Um, oh, yeah. not booty. that kind of booty, the old kind of booty <laughs> and a game called Mr. Freeze. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is interesting. And I, my, my interest was just diverted in, in a matter of a day, Christmas Day, 1984. Um, and, uh, from then on, I remember the last 17 figures appearing in the shops. I still wanted them, but I kind of, I kind of moved on a bit. And I said, well, no, you've sort of grown out of those now, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but they're only, they're only, you know, 59p in Woolworths and, oh look, there's a bag of figures there for only two pounds. Well, I want them. But I'd kind of, I had kind of moved on. And I know that I'd sold a few actually. We did a boot fair once, um, to raise just a little bit of cash, a bit of pocket money. And I sold a whole bunch of figures and ships. I think I walked away with about 80 quid, which, you know, 1985 it would have been, I guess, was quite a lot of money for a kid back then, you know, 10 years old, um, nine years old. Um, but I still regret it to this day. Um, so in the, uh, when was I? I was about 16 and I was at school with a friend of mine. Actually, this has only just occurred to me. The librarian in the school put a display on of Ralph Macquarie's artwork in some glass cabinets in the school library. And she also brought in some old chips and figures that must have been her son's, I guess, because he was around the same age as me. And I remember just going, oh, my God, I need to get my hands on these things again. I had this kind of lust for them, <laughs> like, this real pang of um, nostalgia. So my, one of my friends and I, um, we started going around boot fairs and toy fairs were just emerging then as well. So we bought, we, we bought up as much stuff as we could with whatever. I think I had about 10 quid a week pocket money. And we just would absolutely spend every last penny on those things. Mark still had all of his figures from from when he was a kid. 
and loads of them were still in their boxes and stuff, you know. Um, and there was me trying to rec- reclaim my my childhood collection. But I remember making some some massive uh, purchases back then. I remember buying an R2D2 with pop up lightsaber, absolutely pristine condition for 50p. Wow. Um, in about 1992, if I'd have known they were worth 200 quid these days, I probably would have bought every one of the ones I saw. But my intent was to buy up the collection. I finished my collection um, of loose figures with weapons by about 1993, 94, I guess. And then I, I sort of bought and sold a few um, throughout uh, the sort of university period because it was still not quite part of the public consciousness that they were worth something. And eBay was kind of just emerging as well. And that's, of course, when, when it was much more difficult to get hold of stuff. Um, but I still have my collection now. I have a little display on my wall uh, in front of me at the moment with a few, a select few prize pieces. But I've never been one of these big collectors, you know. I kind of, I just wanted to reclaim what I had as a kid, really. Amazing. So you're not such a proactive collector uh, now, just stuff that you sort of like. Well, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a uh, a 21 back Stormtrooper. I've got an original or Empire Yoda. I've got an Ugnor on an Empire card, a Snaggletooth on a Jedi card, a few things like Weequay and Klaatu and those cheapy guys. And I've bought and sold a few over the years. The one thing I really regret is my grandfather worked at a social club in Dartford in Kent. <clears throat> and it was right opposite the shop that was my toy shop of choice as a kid. I would go in there with my granddad and either buy a Star Wars figure or a Matchbox or Corgi car of my choice. It was my little treat. And in this club that my granddad worked in, this social club, there was a cabinet in there and he was going through it one day and there were some like leftover prizes for kids' parties. And I went to his house and there was this little Yoda figure sitting on the shelf. So where'd you get that, granddad? He said, oh, I've, I explained to me he found him in this cabinet at work. He said, I've got another couple of them upstairs. You, you don't want them, do you? You've grown out of all of that. This was when I was about 17, just when my interest had been re-sparked. And he had a Yoda and a Darth Vader on a Palitoy card. <laughs> wow. Um, he, the one he'd put on the shelf, he'd just torn open and put the packaging in the bin. It had gone a few days before I, I got there. So he gave me this Yoda and this Darth Vader. <laughs> they had a few little crinkles on the card and stuff, but they were amazing. And then a guy offered me 60 quid each for these things. I thought, 60 quid? You know, they had one pound... 49 written on them or something from this Phillips toy shop in Dartford. So I sold them. <laughs> and uh, I regret it to this day. Not because of the value necessarily, because they are worth, you know, several hundred pounds each now, but um, just because what they represented in a way is that, you know, my granddad's now passed away and they, they're a sort of link back to him and, and, and back to that toy shop. So it's a real shame. Yeah, I think uh, nostalgia does play a, a large part in why uh, people seem to collect the the vintage stuff um definitely what do you make of the actual prices of vintage these days because it seems like the, it's gone a bit crazy at the moment yeah i think with all, i think it happens every time that when i sort of get back into it with a bit of um a renewed interest it seems that everybody else has because it's usually of course when a new film comes out um the prices have gone a bit crazy i mean i'm, I'm a member of a couple of groups on Facebook, but try and keep the prices a bit, you know, fairer. Um, and I have bought a couple of pieces off there. The problem is now a lot of the things that I'm going for, um, you know, they're not 
premium quality things and sometimes I've had things delivered and they've fallen apart in the post and it's really difficult to sort of claim on insurance and prove that it's worth that much and what have you. But I just try and keep it sensible. I think the most I ever spent was I bought, uh, let me think, I think I spent about 140 quid on the carded Yoda, which is a lot of money, but that's me sort of, it isn't a Palitoy one, sadly, it's a Kenner one, but that's me kind of, you know, having a bit of nostalgia. I don't have any other habits. I don't smoke. I don't really drink that much. And, you know, I don't have a huge amount of hobbies, hobbies really outside cycling and then, you know, editing my videos and stuff. So yeah, there's a little, little bit of income that I can use, but I've certainly seen, you know, some of the things that are going for several thousand pounds. It's just, I'd be too afraid to, to have it delivered or too afraid to handle it or put it on a shelf in case it falls off, you know. So yeah, I, I'm, I think even if I had the money, I would stay well away from, from that end of the, um, from the collecting world. Has any of the uh, modern stuff caught your attention, or is there any other kind of Star Wars collectibles that you're interested in? Well, you know, when in '95 when they re-released, um, or not re-released, but they 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 started the, that new power of the Force line. I remember them because that was in the, my sort of fevered collecting of getting back to where I was in my childhood, and I remember being very disappointed by the extremely muscly Luke and the very manly Leia and <laughs> all of that stuff. So I did sort of collect a few of those when they come out on those red and yellow cards and then the green cards later on but after that I, t- I tended not I mean uh, I have bought a couple of Force Awakens figures I did look at a c- couple of the Rogue One ones but I didn't think they were sort of decent enough they looked a bit sort of shabby to me um, my, my connection to Star Wars really boils down to the movies and those toys those original toys um I haven't, I mean, there's probably a Star Wars item in every room in this house. In fact, I'm leaning up against a Stormtrooper cushion right now that my kid, actually my daughter got it for, got it for Christmas or birthday from someone. She wanted to give it to me, so I now have that. Um, but yeah, there's like an R2D2 cookie jar in the, in the kitchen and, uh, there's a couple of posters here and there, but yeah, I've not, there's, there's nothing that sort of, caught my focus as much as those original toys. Well, I, I think you're definitely in good company because the uh, majority of people who seem to listen to this podcast are either linked to the original trilogy films or the vintage uh, collectibles themselves. I'd like to I'd like to discuss your projects, uh, which really mm. exciting projects that you've developed over the last sort of 10 years, especially in regards yeah. to the original uh, trilogy. Filmamentaries is not a word I ever came across before I saw uh, Build an Empire. Is this a word that you've created? Well, yeah, I, I've made Building Empire and I've made Returning to Jedi and I came to make Star Wars Begins and I thought, this, this is a thing now. <laughs> I've, I've, I've invented a thing, so I need a word for it. And I jokingly sort of was just putting words together in my head, you know, movie-mentary, film you doco doco film and i just said filmumentary and i thought well that's a ridiculous word i'm going to go for that and it, it doesn't trip off the tongue very easily even for me who's been saying it for the last 10 years what uh how long has it been seven years um but yeah it was just a way to sort of describe that it's a documentary about film but it's also unfolding as you're watching the film um so it's a sort of new way to watch the film was the idea yeah, it's a really interesting sort of evolution from sort of like the DVD commentary that you would get 
that mm. actually show the visuals alongside the film that you get in, inside a documentary. It's a totally different uh, sort of take on it. Really interesting. Well, um, well, yeah, I my my view was kind of, you know, we've all seen these behind the scenes documentaries, be they, you know, exposés on a film's, you know, the story of a film being made or not being made. Um, and we've also seen, you know, the heavily uh, sort of branded marketing ones where everybody just talks about how great the script was. And I knew with Star Wars, or with Empire, um, that there wasn't a great deal of material that was accessible. Um, but I knew that there were snippets that were only released in Denmark or only released in Germany or America or the UK. And I, I found out via a community online called OriginalTrilogy.com, which was originally set up to try and get the original films released in an anamorphic DVD format, that there were people all around the world that had these different snippets from different documentaries from their own regions. And, you know, there were things like the records that had slightly different takes used in them and the, the eight millimeter version and the 70 millimeter versions had slightly different uh, lines in, in them for Empire. So it sounds bizarre, but I sort of knew that it was going to be a hell of a challenge because I thought that there's probably more footage available for Jedi. Star Wars has quite got quite a lot, but Empire hasn't got that much. So I set myself this challenge to learn a bit of software, really, to edit with. Um, which was Final Cut Pro 7 um, at the time. And I thought, you know, I can sit there doing tutorials all day, but why don't I do something that will really interest me? So I set about doing it, and, you know, that seems like a long time ago now. But, you know, I pulled off pretty much what, what I wanted to do, um, which was to create a, a commentary that wasn't just audio, but it was visual, visual as well. Because I, I, I knew that material was out there. And what I loved when I saw behind the scenes material was seeing it in the context of the film. Right. It suddenly takes you say, wow, look, that's the view from behind the camera as they're doing that bit that is actually in the film. That always gave me a buzz because I was like, you know, it sort of makes you feel like you're there almost. You're, you're there on set or you're seeing something that you wouldn't otherwise have seen. And of course I knew that there were dozens, hundreds, potentially thousands of interviews out there. I mean, this was 2005, 2006. So YouTube was I guess in its infancy, yeah. Um, so there wasn't all of that stuff available. So it was really me swapping VHSs and DVDs with you know guys from Australia and Denmark and Norway and and, and pulling all of this stuff together. And there's a great community out there of people that that exchanged all that stuff back then. And uh, yeah, just put together what I wanted to be like. I guess like a like a 3D commentary almost. Um, so it isn't just audio but visual and text and everything else. Do you have an interest in sort of the uh, behind the scenes or the deleted scenes before building Empire? Was this something that you were, you know, sort of like investigating before you started filming entries? Yeah, well, I, I tell you where it all started. When I went and saw Return of the Jedi in 1983 at the Dominion Theatre in London, we came out of there and my mum kind of whispered to me, you can have one of the, you know, sort of gifts from, from that little table over there. There's a table set up and... They bought us each a T-shirt. I had a little grey Return of the Jedi T-shirt. And she said, oh, I'll buy you one other thing then because I can see you're looking at that book. And I bought the storybook, which was the red kind of magazine-y storybook of Return of the Jedi, which I'm sure many of you will have seen before. My sister got the white uh, making of Return of the Jedi sort of magazine book, which I still have now. See, my sister with the Commodore 64 and my sister with the making of, I should thank her, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> so, but I, I was reading this this book magazine thing on the train on the way home 
And I'd never actually come to the realization before that films were made even by people. I thought they just appeared, you know, and you went and saw them. Um, we didn't go to the cinema much when I was a kid, so I hadn't really consumed that much film by the time I was sort of six or seven. Um, and I remember thumbing through this book and there was an interview with Phil Tippett and there was an interview with Ken Ralston and there was, um, scene like storyboards and there were concept, um, pictures by Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnston. And I just went, wow, this is what I want to do almost. So not even, it wasn't even that because I didn't know you could do it, but I was like, wouldn't it be cool if, if you could, if I, could do this you know and there are a lot of people i work in the television industry now um as a sort of live sports editor mostly and there's so many people in my industry that were inspired of my generation that were inspired by by those films by those first three films but that's really where it was all sparked and then i remember watching from star wars to jedi the making of a saga narrated by mark hamill and then later that spfx one for empire and the making of star wars and i would consume that stuff all through my teenage years like movie magic and all the movie shows movies 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 and film whatever year it was with barry norman and any any sort of sneaks behind the scenes of how a film was made i always thought those stories were quite often just as interesting or if not more interesting than the films themselves i've got a bookshelf in front of me now that's absolutely or several bookshelves that's absolutely full of books about those films we grew up with and how they were made because that's the part i find really fascinating because i'm you're always able to find out something else. Um, you know, just before we started talking on the podcast, we had a brief chat about how you, you always find a new avenue on the subject that you're, that you're interested in. And, um, I'm finding out new things still now about Star Wars. It's great. Really interesting as well. Like that red storybook as well. Um, what I noticed in it was, uh, one I know the, what you're going to say. <laughs> is it the Rancor pit? Yeah, exactly. With Luke swinging across the ankle pit underneath yeah but yeah. again it was like i don't remember that bit um and it was the same that i had a, a star wars story but where luke was stood there with biggs i was like who's this guy <laughs> right you know, yeah and what's uh, going on he's got a cape and a mustache okay but i don't remember him in that film and and sort of like the marvel comics as well would have deleted mm. scenes and then it's like is there is there more star wars than than what we've got yeah well i i used to get the return of the jedi weekly comic in fact they're all still in my loft because I sort of refused to get rid of them because I love all the adverts and the other comics in them and stuff. But I remember looking in there and there was like Jabba as a human, but he wasn't the human of Declan Mahond. He was some other alien. Um, and I remember, you know, bits in Empire Strikes Back that were different. And I was like, hang on a minute. What's going on here? So all of that stuff fed into my film entries, you know, before those deleted scenes were available on the Blu-rays and the uh, DVDs. I went and scanned the comics, and in the case of Raiders of the Lost Ark, I got a, a friend of mine to animate those comics because those scenes at that time weren't available. It was the sort of best way of um, best way of seeing them. But yeah, that stuff's always intrigued me because I just love the whole the whole decision making process. You know, I work as a as I said, a sort of live sports editor, so I'm editing stuff together very quickly. I've got seconds to get it in there ingested edited and turned around and back out on air so you have to make those decisions very quickly but what interests me in filmmaking is okay you haven't got an infinite amount of time but a lot of those considerations are you know done with lengthy discussion and, and it interests me really interests me about why you would drop a scene for and for what reason 
was it technical was it narrative um the driven you know um that that's the stuff that, that really interests me uh, but did you ever follow sort of like i remember in the late 90s there was a website i think called jedi net by someone called t-bone and they had sort of like I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no he was he was pretty good to me uh, back in the day as well because he had a few of the deleted scenes and things, didn't he? Photographs and tiny little videos and bits and bobs. And he he was a he was a nice guy. He was a, a good resource of um, of information back then. Yeah, there were there was another little one called Blue Harvest as well. It was around back then. Um, Star Wars with a Z dot com. Um, and yeah, they were great resources back then. But mostly when I was doing stuff, it was digging into books and buying magazines and. You know, picking out these little snippets and then trying to hunt down interviews and I love all that stuff. That's what, you know, that really, that's what really gets me going. Yeah, I was, I was kind of amazed at the, the, the depth that some of these, um, sort of archive footage collectors would go to in the early days. Like I wouldn't notice that on the Revenge of the Jedi trailer, the Millennium Falcon spinning inside the Death Star, there's a couple of extra frames mm-hmm. that's not in the, not in the original film. Just stuff like that was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, that one of the things I, I found when I was making, started making, um, Building Empire was you'd see a two second snippet of something from a documentary in Germany. And then you'd see a two second snippet of something in a British documentary. And then you think, hang on a minute. They overlap by two frames and I've got nearly four seconds worth of this scene, you know, and put, just putting that, it was really uh, a case of putting a puzzle together because what I tend to do is, lay the film down initially start to put all the pieces that i've got in in the relevant place you know so if it's a bit about tonton i I put it in the bit in echo base at the start of empire and then what i find is there's multiple versions of that and i might then have to put the best quality version i can find or the one that's in widescreen as opposed to four by three and then i find an interview where somebody's talking about that scene and then oh hang on a minute here's a here's an interview from 1980 or 1979 and here's one from 1995 when they were interviewed for the special edition and you can hear them roughly telling the same story and it's trying to create something that's a bit you know uh, adds to the sort of narrative of it i guess um and i'd love all that putting the puzzle together it's it's amazing how this stuff got spread around um you know one of the ones that really struck me is when a guy just came forward and said oh yeah i've got the last five seconds of the, the human jabber scene from star wars it's like what we couldn't find it anywhere. I say we, this is like the whole community of people. We had snippets from a CD-ROM, snippets from the press kit that was released for the special editions in, in 97, um, bits on behind on a monitor behind an effects guy who was talking about it, you know. Um, we'd stitched it all together, or I'd stitched it all together. And then this guy said, oh, yeah, they, they played the end of the scene on a, on a show I, I happened to be recording on, on cable. This was in Canada, I think. And he sent me the DVD, and there it was. And by putting together, I think it was nine different sources, we reconstructed that scene uh, pretty roughly. Um, but to this day, that's the only place you can see it. <coughs> Lucasfilm have never released it. All ah, right, well, uh, amazing. So, what's the what's the extra couple seconds then? It was literally um, the bit that you will have seen in the special edition, but without the big CG jabber, where he. He barks at him and he says, uh, oh, you're a wonderful human being. And he turns and goes off camera. And in the special edition, of course, they inserted Boba Fett sort of mugging the camera. Um, but it was those last sort of five seconds there. It was nothing particularly important, but it was then the cut point to the next scene, you know. Um, 
and it was nice to have it in its in its entirety you know from all sorts of different resolutions and all different colored versions and as i say cd-roms and vhs's and dvds um it was it was fun you know putting it all together and finding the best quality bit that we could get for for each each you know each second i guess my, my first degree was in filmmaking and i think the most exciting and interesting thing in filmmaking was the editing process of having mm. to make really tough decisions. Um, what did you find in making the film entries when you must have had some scenes which had so much footage and so much dialogue and interviews and, and things like that? How did you sort yeah. of whistle away what you thought would be essential to what you know you thought was whimsical? Well, what what would happen is that I would end up layering and layering this stuff on. So there might have been. 10 different people talking about this one scene and what I then kind of did is I would add and I would take away as I was going through and it's add, it worked as a very sort of organic process so if you imagine I've got the film there as it is it's kind of split up a little bit to, to insert these behind the scenes clips I've then got maybe a stack of eight or ten different versions that I can turn on and off and and then watch again and watch again and watch again. So I must have watched them thousands of times. So um, I guess ultimately the decision came down to, as you say, what I found in, interesting and whimsical and also what created, particularly when I got sort of building Empire because I was sort of refining things a bit then and then with Raiders and Jaws as well, refining things even more to try and create this kind of, this kind of smoother kind of narrative, I guess. I what I did like to do was, you know, say have Mark Hamill talking enthusiastically in 1976 about being on set and how amazing it was to be working with the robots and they would break down and then hear him again in 2007 talking about the same thing but reflecting upon it. Uh, and I liked that kind of, that duality there, you know, of having lived through it, talked about living it and then talk about what it means to him now. And, um, yeah, I mean, I probably could have released a thousand different versions of particularly stars begins and the late and the jaws and the raiders ones because by then it, it was out there that i was making these things and people offered me stuff and i just was you know getting tons and tons of material it, the, the, the fact that you're using sort of like multiple um timelines in which to construct these films plus getting all of the footage and dialogue recorded in the first place and edited ready to go onto the film Mm. It must take ages to actually put together one of these filmmentaries. Yeah, I, I th well, Building Empire took about ten months. Same for Returning to Jedi. Star Wars Begins took me four years. Wow. Uh, I, I, when I've said this before in interviews, I add this little caveat that I did also get married at that point. I moved house. I moved up to Cambridge. I lived up there for about five or six years. Um, I had my first daughter. Um, and I also had a massive hard drive crash that lost uh, all of the work. And I ended up uh, being very kindly helped with some donations to get the drive recovered. But only they only recovered about 60% of it. So I had to start again in many ways because it was difficult to kind of remember exactly what I did have and didn't have and where it went. And because... Um, yeah, not only did that main drive fail, but the backup drive failed as well. So it was a real moment of like, am I supposed to be making this? You know, I'm not a superstitious person, but when that happened, I was like, really? <laughs> um, so I, I found the motivation anyway. And, um, 
yeah, so that was about four years. And then raiding and inside Jaws took me about 12 to 14 months each. But this is, you know, in my spare time. This I have a full-time job. I'm a freelancer. Um, and I, you know, fly around the world working on sporting events. So I do have time in hotel rooms and on planes and on coaches and sitting in airports, airport gates waiting for my plane. A lot of that time actually is not when I'm editing. That's time for research. That's reading books and magazines and things I've printed out. A lot of the time I would be doing the editing at home because I only, I didn't have a laptop capable of it, uh, until I got to kind of the time of doing raiding. So, what I would do is that by the time I sat down in front of the computer, I knew what I was going to be doing for that hour or, you know, it might, sometimes it was like, oh, right. Okay. Uh, the, my daughter's gone to bed. Um, my wife's, um, you know, in the bathroom having a shower or something. Okay. I've got 20 minutes. Bang. Let's go. 20 minutes, 20 minutes of editing. And then the next morning I might wake up a little bit early and think, okay, I might as well get up and do 20 minutes. So I was always aware that I didn't want it to interrupt you know, my family life. And then it sort of morphed into doing stuff more when I was away so that I got myself a laptop that was a bit more capable. Um, still just a 13 inch MacBook, you know, it's nothing, nothing special. Um, it's amazing what you can do with equipment these days. And it is a lengthy process and it does take motivation and effort, but you know, I really enjoyed the results. Yeah. The the results are absolutely outstanding. Um, there's no doubt there. You said that, um, you struggled a little bit with Empire when it came to sort of like finding things like footage. Mm. One of the documentaries I've been looking for that I can't seem to find is by a filmmaker called Michael uh, Parbot. Yeah, Michel Parbot, his name is. Yes, he um, he uh, was a documentarian and cameraman that was given the task of documenting the making of Empire Strikes Back, and there is an hour-long <clears throat> uh, documentary. I know several people that have it, I know several people that have got it from sources that are, you know, considered high up in the, um, the credits of the film, shall we say? Producers, um, effects guys, and they have been sworn to not pass it on to anyone else. I have had a bunch of, um, snippets from it that I was given by a very kind guy who runs a website called Star Wars Archives. And he said I could have like a few snippets of each of the sections to use. Um, and he kindly passed that on, but it, it is out there. Um, it's not online. Um, I've been sort of hinted by other people that run groups on Facebooks that, you know, I can't tell you who to ask it from, but I can tell you that they are a senior person with a, you know, with a whatever letter in their name. It's like, wow. <laughs> um, so I kind of gave up on that one. I was looking for that one for about 10 years. Um, but one of my contacts said that if, if I'm ever around there, they'll happily sit me down and, and show it to me. They just won't be able to give it to me, um, which is a shame. But um, there we go. Well, why, why do you think that that uh, documentary hasn't been released? Well, it was it was it was um, broadcast on uh, French television. It was done by a company called Sigma Television. I I just get the feeling that maybe Lucas wasn't happy with it. I don't know. I certainly know that Gary Kurtz has it. Um, because one of my contacts did get it from Gary himself. Now, I don't know. I mean, you obviously know, we obviously know that Gary and, and George, you know, had a difficult uh, relationship come sort of 1982. Um, or maybe even earlier than that after Empire went over budget and what have you and over time. But, um, 
Uh, yeah, I'm not sure why, because it's great. It's such a document of the time. You know, you've got these lovely sit-down interviews with Mark and Carrie and Harrison, Harrison being his usual sort of grumpy, you know, uh, two two word sentence answers and stuff. Carrie looking gorgeous and Mark full of all that energy. And yeah, there's some fantastic bits of behind the scenes in in Fintz in Norway and in uh, Elstree Studios. It's such a shame that it's not out there for people to enjoy. I did release a few snippets of it on my Filmumentary's Facebook page. Um, these snippets that have been given to me. Um, some years ago and kind of hoping that somebody go, oh yeah, I've got that. Yeah, here you go, you know. But, uh, no, it still hasn't happened. So yeah, it's a bit of a mystery really. Yeah, you said that you source a lot of your, the sort of snippets that you got, uh, from around the world, like sort of, uh, gym and television. Mm. Um, is there any sort of footage that we're seeing in, uh, any of the filming entries that we've actually seen for the first time? Well, I think a lot of people were quite surprised initially with Star Wars Begins that I had the stuff like the big scenes and things because alright they kind of for, for people that were big into Star Wars they've been around for a while they were on that Behind the Magic um, CD-ROM from the 90s the LucasArts one that I think um, came in a box set with TIE Fighter and X-Wing and I think you could buy it separately as well and it was like an, uh, like a pre-website encyclopedia on a CD-ROM and it did have those scenes in low res. So lots of people saying, wow, I've never seen this before. Where have you got it from? Oh my goodness, you know. Um, but for the most part, I think for most big, um, collectors and people that are interested in this kind of stuff, I don't think any of it is a massive surprise as such. Maybe the Jabber, the human Jabber scene, but I think it's more just about the way it's presented and putting those bits of puzzle together, those pieces together to make an extended version of maybe what they've already seen. And the other thing I wanted to do when I got to Raiding and, and Jaws is that I went and did some of my own interviews as well. Um, so then there was definitely um, material there that people would never have seen or heard, at least in that form. And that was quite um, quite a nice thing to do. I mean, now that you, know, you, you can go to a Star Wars mini convention every other month, in this country at the moment and there were so many guests I would have loved to have interviewed but they weren't around at that time you know it wasn't like you could just email them or tweet them or or whatever but you know I made it to the best of my ability at the time and some of it looks a bit clunky and a bit amateurish now but you know I enjoy them they're they're still uh, occasionally I go back and watch them I haven't for a while actually but um yeah, hopefully they, you know, there's, there's still, there's still people out there finding them and emailing me every, every week really saying, oh wow, I've not seen this before. Um, what are you doing next? It's like, well, I did that one 10 years ago. I've done another five since, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just nice that they're still, you know, finding an audience. Yeah, but what do you actually make of, you know, obviously since you've made the film entries, more footage has been released again. I'm thinking of, you know, the Blu-rays were released. Even yeah. recently, we've seen a fresh outtake from uh, Star Wars in the Rogue One movie. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you make of all this sort of new footage that's being released? And is there anything out there that you're still looking for that you you know you'd, you'd like to see? Well, first of all, I, I love it. I love seeing all the new stuff. I mean, when um, J.W. Rinser released those ebooks of his making of coffee table books, that had a bunch of new stuff. There was a new set of outtakes. There was you know, loads of behind the scenes bits and bobs. There was, um, I did, I've done some short form ones as well where I did 
I interviewed Garrick Hagen, who played Biggs. I interviewed Toby Philpot, who was the Jabba puppeteer, and Dave Barkley, who worked on both Jabba and Yoda, and um, you know used some of the footage that um, that Rinsler managed to dig up. I mean, there must be an absolute mine, uh, you know, gold mine of it. I mean, Gareth Edwards said, you know, he was walking through the archives and said, "What's in all those tins there?" And some said, "Oh, that's that's Star Wars in there," and he suddenly had that idea of. Using the 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 unused takes of um, you know of the X-wing pilots and I, I thought that was great in that film actually there was a there was a few little cheers in the cinema when I first saw it um, so yeah I you know it would be my absolute dream just to just go in there and dig through all that stuff and and make something of it because it seems such a shame that it's all sitting there and it isn't being presented in any form that's uh, interesting to people I mean that was the one thing that always used to frustrate me. And it frustrated me with the Blu-rays. Okay, you want to see the deleted scene, right? Okay, you go Star Wars, deleted scenes, escaping the Death Star, behind the scenes, Mark Hamill interview, <laughs> and then it lasts two minutes. It's like, come on, we can present this in a way that's a bit more interesting and engaging and entertaining. Um, right, yeah. And that, that, that was my intention with the, with the filmumentaries. And, you know, I've spoken to several people that like them on in the background because they just like listening to them because it's this constant stream of audio interviews and clips from the film. And, you know, I, one of the guys who directs the Star Wars Lego little mini movies and stuff, he says he quite often has my filmumentaries playing in the background. And, you know, it's nice to think that in some way I'm helping to inspire a bit of creativity in people just by making these silly little projects of mine. Yeah, they, they, they definitely should have hired you for the uh, Blu-rays. It would have been a lot more interesting to have the deleted scenes presented more than just, a, you know, just thrown on the disc. Yeah, well, it's interesting that when the uh, Indiana Jones films then got re-released on Blu-ray, um, they did do a very sort of filmumentary-style thing where they had the movie clip with the behind-the-scenes clip with little text banners that came up that told you about it and little snippets of interviews. That was quite interesting that it... Well, I <laughs> I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, but I found out through a contact of mine that it was for the very reason that I'd made Raiding the Lost Ark that they went and did that for the Blu-rays. Wow. Um, so it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, there's a guy out there that I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have heard on heard of uh, Laurent Bouzerou, who is the guy, the guy who makes making odds, you know, he does, uh, he's done all the, the Lucas stuff and the Spielberg stuff and the Polanski stuff. And he made that big, um, coffee table indie book with, with, uh, Rinsler as well. He's the guy. And it seems that he, you know, he's influenced me massively to make go and make my projects and now I've sort of sort of come full circle again I'm, I've influenced him a bit it seems I did email him once to thank I got hold of his email address via another contact and just thanked him for you know the inspiration he'd given me and blah 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 I didn't get a reply but at least I at least I got to tell him <laughs> what I thought that's that, that's a really interesting uh, point have you had much feedback from either Lucasfilm or uh, film critics or uh, other filmmakers Quite a few filmmakers uh, and people involved in the industry. I've had a few, quite a few effects guys and a couple of editors, and you know Nathan Hamill. I've been in contact with for some years. Uh, Mark Hamill's son. Um, he's a, he's been very supportive. Um, and I, you know, I when I released um, Stars Begins, I woke up one morning to like 300 emails 
from magazines and I was interviewed on BBC Radio 4's film program and stuff for that. So that was quite a bit of a crazy time where it all kind of took off. It's like, oh my goodness, this guy made this thing and it's better than the things that we are seeing on the Blu-rays or DVDs or whatever at the time. Um, which was very cool, um, to sort of have people that I respect enjoy what I'm doing. You know, there was a guy who worked on The Last of Us, which is, um, I don't get to play video games very often, but that was one game that I thought was fantastic. And he was the sound editor on that. And he said that he loves my film inventories. And, um, I've had friends of friends who work in bits of other bits of the TV and film industries sort of, um, you know, send me, send me emails and it's great from, from anyone from like a kid who's just got into star Wars to somebody who's, you know, been in the film industry for years, who's enjoyed it. I think it's just great that they've taken the time to, to let me know. Cause that's the sort of thing that inspires me because as long as I feel there's an audience there, I'm, I'm, then uh, it isn't just me that wants to see these things because that's why I make them ultimately. Um, then yeah, it drives me on to do even more. So, so have you had sort of like a, a lot of, uh, downloads and viewings and, and things like that. Yeah, well, I, when I had the three Star Wars ones on YouTube, I had three and a half million views. Wow. Um, and then I stupidly uploaded um, a scene which was the original John Jimson cut, you know, what's often called the Lost Cut or the Lost Edit, which is the first assembly edit of Star Wars before that editor got sacked and. Marcia Lucas and, and Richard Chu and co got, got brought on board. Um, it was the cantina scene and it was very slow and very standardly sort of edited, you know, editing by numbers. And that appeared on the Blu-ray in that form. Um, so I got a copyright request to remove it. I'd never had a copyright request to remove any of my stuff because one of the things I think that saved me is I've never ever sold it. I've never ever made a penny out of making any of these things. I, asked for, for a bit of money once to recover that drive. Um, I've got a Patreon account, but all of that money goes straight into buying a new hard disk or a new, uh, a new monitor that I bought. I haven't got a sophisticated equipment, you know, this is all done very much on home equipment. <coughs> and I ended up donating a surplus amount to a charity, to a cancer charity, um, early last year. Um, so I don't make any money out of these. And I think that's the thing that's always kind of saved me, um, from, from having the, the sort of stormtroopers come knocking on the door, as it were. Um, but I did hear from a contact who said, he sort of sent me this anonymous email saying, I work for Industrial Light and Magic. I can't tell you who I am, but I just want to thank you from me and a lot of my colleagues. We've all been watching Stars Begins this week. And we're absolutely loving it. And we realize we've got, um, Lucasfilm need to step up their game, um, in making the, the Blu-ray, um, six film release. So that was amazing. Um, but I've, you know, I, I since then I put it to put it on Vimeo after I took stuff off, off YouTube. And I've had again about another four million hits. Some of my stuff goes crazy. Like I, I did one about Jabba the Hutt and it got a quarter of a million views in a week. I did one about Yoda last year, which I thought was one of my better sort of quality ones because we did a proper sit-down interview with Dave Barkley, the puppeteer. And it's had, to this day, a year on, it's had like 5,000. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I'm obviously not able to judge what people are going to find interesting. Um, but I think sometimes a lot of it comes down to timing. I think maybe by the time 
I'd put uh, put that out there, which would have been what February last year. People were a bit Star Wars out, I think, because there'd been the massive build up to the Force Awakens, um, and you know, Rogue One was a good year away. Um, and maybe 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 not as many people like Yoda as like Jabba. I don't know, but um, <laughs> but yeah. I still get, the, uh, you know, getting the views. I, I'm, I'm just happy if half a dozen people watch it. You know, the uh, the issue of copyright is something that uh, I think mm. is ice that uh, we walk very thinly on on the podcast. We uh, mm. we seem to rip everything off, um, but we, you know, we are a rebellion, so we're allowed to do it. Um, <laughs> the Lucasfilm seem a lot more open in certain mm. respects to people using their footage, but then you've got Paramount. Is it Paramount who did Jaws or? And, uh, uh, it was Universal, George. Universal, yeah. yeah. So, are, are film studios quite happy for to use? I mean, it's almost like uh, reissuing the entire film. Yeah, I well, I, do you know one of the things that, uh, and I've said this again in, in lots of the interviews that I've done, is that people, so many people contact me and leave comments on my videos and go, oh my god, I just watched your filmentary, and the first thing I did was rushed out and bought the Blu-ray. Right. Of the film. I don't think it's harming their existing product. So I think that's one of the things that I was speaking to a guy who works in Hollywood and a lot of making of stuff. And he said they, they can't touch you because they would have to prove that you are, um, taking away revenue from an existing product that they have. Um, and there is no other product like mine because nobody sat down and made a two and a half hour feature length documentary about Raiding the Lost Ark or, um, or Jaws or Raising the Lost Ark, sorry, or Jaws or Star Wars or Empire Jedi. Um, so until they do, they haven't really got a leg to stand on. I mean, there are guys at the moment, like, I don't know if any of your listeners have watched any of the Every Frame of Painting. Um, videos on YouTube and Vimeo. There's a guy called Tony Chu who makes these kind of video essays about, about movies. One week he might talk about how Edgar Wright uses comedy or he might talk about how Akira Kurosawa uses staging in the frame. But he uses movie clips all the time. And he's had some advice from some Hollywood legal people who've said they can't come anywhere near you. It's educational. It's informative. You're not making, um, you know, you're not selling this, this footage. Um, so it is a gray area and it is, I don't want to appear cocky because it is something I do consider each time I make it. But what I do hope that they've seen in my stuff, and I think given that it's been 10 years now and I haven't really had any issues, is that these are love letters in many ways to my, to my favorite films. They come out of a place of affection. I'm not trying to create a new revenue stream for myself you know if i did go down that path um then of course i would seek out the the, the right uh, legal advice and and through, go through all those procedures um you know i i in the last three years i came very very close to getting a deal with warner brothers to make some documentaries and earlier or late last year i got very very close to doing the same with fox I had a whole very popular franchise filmumentary lined up with interviews, archival stuff that we dug out. Um, I've been reading myself uh, crazy. Um, and, yeah, we were going to make four of them, 
for across four different film franchises with 20th Century Fox, and it all collapsed at the last second. But let me tell you, I know what it's like to go through the legal issues and the waiting and the, the questioning and the back to and fro um, with a studio, and it's blooming frustrating. In fact, it sort of made me lose my mojo a bit in making these things. The last one I made was the little Yoda one, which is about 25 minutes, half an hour, and that was last this time last year because I've spent the last three years pursuing it with two studios and both of them have fallen through because of cock-ups at their end, <laughs> which has been very frustrating. Little administrative mistakes that they've made that I didn't have any control over and suddenly the whole thing collapses overnight. Wow. Um, so there is a sort of motivation, I guess, in my part to go out and do things on my own um, and do things under my own steam um, because... If you try and go through the, you know, the proper channels, um, in, in my experience so far, it is so frustrating. It's like running into a brick wall a hundred times a day. Um, whereas, you know, I, that, that Yoda one, I shot it in a day and I edited it in, I think it was about a week and a half. And that's not to say that, you know, these, these, the legal framework is not in place for good reason. I'm, I, I, I totally get that, but just trying to convince studio executives of exactly what you're doing and how there is an audience for it and proving it with your statistics and having to do it again and again and again. And then when they do become convinced, um, it, it feels like you then have to go to the next level up and convince them. And I got to the top of Fox. I had Stacy Snyder who runs Fox saying, yep, yeah, let's do it. Love it. Brilliant timing. Perfect. And it still didn't happen because of, administrative issues shall we say wow that's to me it seems ridiculous because um the film elementary now that you've created it now seems like an obvious sort of uh evolution away from your dvd extra i'm surprised that they haven't sort of yeah. embraced it and ran with it it's ready to go you know i the warner brothers thing was originally um i was sitting at home one day i got a message via facebook messenger on my inside jaws page and uh Somebody said, oh, I, I work for Brett Ratner, um, the, the filmmaker Brett Ratner. He would like to have a chat with you. When's the best time? He's currently in Budapest shooting Hercules with Dwayne Johnson. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to Budapest tomorrow. Um, I was going out there for the Formula One Grand Prix. That's the thing I work on the most. I work on, on Formula One. And just pure luck, I was going out there. Anyway, we ended up, he ended up biting me on set and we went down there and he basically was just telling everyone how brilliant Inside Jaws was and how he was going to show it to Stephen and how Stephen was going to love it. And we should make some of these on other films that we love and we're going to make books. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then he, uh, I don't know if any, any of your listeners know this, but then he went from this kind of, you know, not a major director. He made those Rush Hour movies and stuff. And what was that other one? Tower heist or something. Anyway, um, to becoming a movie mogul, he runs Rat Pack Pictures, whose name is pretty much on. I think they've got a deal with Warner Brothers for the next 75 movies that they make, and the first two that they made with Warner Brothers were Gravity and the Lego Movie, which earned them him and his partner, you know, tens of millions of pounds each. So he went from this sort of, you know, small-time director-ish to being this movie mogul. So suddenly, uh, my projects were no longer um, of of interest. Um, and we got, you know, part of the way down the road with Warner Brothers. And then unfortunately, an exec left and 
the project kind of died is um, timing. Timing is the thing. But I'm, you know, I'm going to keep plugging away. But I just need to sort of build up my reserves and start again, really. Ah, that's amazing. That's such a that's such an amazing story, and to get so close as well. I'm I'm sure you should keep plugging away because I'm sure you know if you don't plant those seeds, nothing will grow, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it's just having two big hitbacks. It's like, right, which studio do I go to next? You know, I was lucky in with Warner Brothers that Brett had sort of invited me in, and with Fox, a fan of my stuff who'd been doing some other work for Fox, got me introduced to an executive there. So it's difficult to do it completely from the outside. You know, you need a contact. So um, if any of your listeners <laughs> have a contact, give me a shout. In um, making the filming entries, have you got any sort of new admiration for any of the cast and crew? Anyone in particular that's you know really captured your imagination or influenced you or your admiration in any way? I. I, you know, I love those guys already. Let's face it, those guys and girls. But one person that has sort of been consistent throughout is Mark Hamill. I think he's always had this. He such, seems like such a genuine guy. He's got this really. He had this real sort of childish enthusiasm back in you know seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, and even up to Jedi and stuff. Obviously, he had those years where he kind of wanted to get away from Star Wars. But I remember him coming back for the special editions and he was interviewed on the big breakfast and film 97 and all that stuff and that enthusiasm was back and you know he's got his new show now the pop culture quest thing that he's doing and again he's just got this he's one of us really you know he's he's a collector and he's a he's a geek and he's a nerd he's a a fanatic of these types of films and i think that really comes across um you know, I think it's interesting to hear the sort of cynical points of view as well. You know, there's a bit of balance in some of some of my stuff. But, you know, when I interviewed Dave Barkley as well, who's the puppeteer on Yoda, he's, he just talks about his job as a puppeteer like he's brand new to it. He loves it. You can you can see it. You know, he's got a real sort of youth about him when he talks about it. And um, that's what I've enjoyed um, digging up um, these, these last 10 years, those stories. And... Um, my admiration for the people who, who made the films just remains, you know, if, if anything, it grows. I couldn't, I couldn't say anybody else specifically, I don't think, but, um, yeah, I'll always be an admirer of, of what was achieved, much to the disdain of the rest of my family. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about the, uh, being a Star Wars fan, how about the sort of the prequels or the, um, the new films like Force Awakens and Rogue One? Mm. Um, you know, first of all, how do you feel about the the prequels and the new films? And would you consider doing a filmumentary later on down the road for uh, the the next five Star Wars films that we've had? Mm. Well, I'm not I'm not a fan of the prequels. You know, I like everyone else sat there in 1999 hoping for the best. For me, it didn't happen. I'm not going to start, you know, slating the people involved in the film because I'm sure they had the best of intentions. And it's blooming difficult to make a decent film. That's why we're still talking about those original films now. You know, 40 years later, they were exceptional and they they were amazing and they were a product of their time and they managed to capture everyone's imagination then. And, you know, it still lives on today. The prequels for me, I've stopped watching them in the early 2000s thousands uh after the last one came out i i found that they were sort of 
interrupting the memories of the original films for me. Um, and now I'm able to sort of comp- compartmentalize them away. The Force Awakens, to a lesser extent, because that had the original cast in it and was, you know, a continuation of those films that I love. I wouldn't say that I, I think I've watched it maybe four, four times. I watched it twice in the cinema, took the kids to the cinema to see it, and we've watched it a couple of times on Blu-ray. But it's not a film <clears throat> that I find myself wanting to to revisit that often. But, you know, the love of the original films is nostalgia over you know, all these years. So who knows in another 10, 15 years, maybe I'll be just as nostalgic about that. You know, I loved Rogue One. I really enjoyed it. I've watched it twice. First time I was a bit like, Oh, I didn't really like the Tarkin and the Leia bit. Sorry. If that's a spoiler for anyone, but come on, you should have seen it by now. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's what took me out of it a bit. But then I went and watched it again with my wife and, you know, just quite enjoyed the experience. It's like, Hey, there's Star Wars out there. You know, I'm not saying that I like anything with the logo on it, you know, um, I'm not about to buy a C3PO sellotape dispenser, um, <laughs> or any of those strange products that appeared, um, back in the day. But, you know, I know some people just love anything with it on. It's like, you're not a fan if you don't love everything. Don't watch the cartoons and read the comics. But, um, for me, it's just those films and it's those figures. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely a magic in the original trilogy that, uh, I don't think that we'll be able to uh, witness again and I think that sort of magic is uh, really profoundly displayed in your uh, film inventories um, oh, cool thank you and Jamie I just want to thank you for making those I mean I, I love watching them and I would suggest anyone who hasn't actually watched them to, to check them out where would uh, the listeners to the show be able to check out the all of the work that you've done the best thing to do is type in filmumentaries, have a go at spelling it. I think Google will probably work it out for you um, on Google. And then I've got my Vimeo page where I've got a bunch of those, those five um, feature-length ones, the short ones that I've done. Um, and also, if you go to filmumentaries on Facebook, I've been putting a few extra bits and bobs. What I've been doing recently is use, like, uploading all, my, all the resources I used um, in in, in you know, in little snippets, um, and just talking about other films, Blade Runner, The Shining, all those sorts of films that, um, so many of us love. Um, and also you can find me on Twitter at Jamie SWB. Fantastic. Well, uh, Jamie, thank you for coming on the Vintage Rebellion. Um, your passion obviously shines through, as you said, like a love letter to the original films through the uh, filmumentaries. And I think, you know, I greatly appreciate the amount of work and effort that's gone into them. And, uh, big thank you for for myself and I guess people who've already seen them for making and taking the time and making the sacrifice to make these. Thank you. That's really kind of you. And you know, we have got a great fan base out there. You know, there's people making all sorts of amazing stuff, all driven by this same interest and passion that we've got. You know, you yourself making this podcast. That's brilliant. You know, um, and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time to do. And you know, well done to you for for sticking with it. And uh, you know, all power to you. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Uh, take care, buddy. Cheers. I've thought about it a lot. Why does Britain create so many great filmmakers and actors? What is it about Britain that seems to generate these people? It's pretty phenomenal, the influence we've had on, on like global culture. 
we really punch above our weight. When we were making Rogue One, I sort of half-jokingly but half-meaning it said to the producers, well, wait, let's just shoot in Canary Wharf. There's all the guys in the suits, you know, coming home from work, and we're not allowed to tell anyone, it's really secretive, and we're thinking, okay, we're gonna film Star Wars, and like, we had hidden Stormtrooper outfits and stuff, and we go in, and within an hour, turned it into the Empire. I went up to one of the art directors and was like, how did you, this was so good, like, how did you do this so quick? And he said, oh, we came in last night and we did a practice run. Like the extra mile that the crew would always go to, it's kind of like a military operation. The great thing about British crews is they've been doing this, you know, for generations and, and they've all inherited off the previous one all these little tricks of the trade. We had an assistant director on the film whose dad worked on the original New Hope and his job on that was to direct the X-Wing pilots for the, for the battle sequence. And his son on our film had exactly the same job. It was really weird. That felt really appropriate. The great thing is on set is no one says no. And you'd say to them, like, you can say no, you know, you, is, is this a problem? And they'd say, no, we don't, we don't do that. Like, they, they sort of pride themselves on giving you everything you want. There's something magical about Great Britain. There's so many great examples of British filmmakers, people like Hitchcock and David Lean. And it's funny, because even people, like, from outside of the UK, like Kubrick, he ended up making Britain his home because, you know, the crews were so good. I'm Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and I'm very proud to say it was made great in Britain. Let's go to Jess for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Hooray! Oh, man, what a time. What a time it is for new acquisitions. You know, we set, we send out our little links and our notes, but it's been an unbelievable time, particularly on Star Wars Forum UK. The amount of things just in the last couple of days, lads are just kicking off all over the place. Lily Leddy, Burgundy K Bibbs, you've got three packs villain sets, you've got some amazing resealed 30 packs. I just don't know where to start. So rather than go off track, we'll go with what we agreed that we were going to go with. But as I said, lads, have you seen anything like it recently? Just the amount of stuff being posted? To be honest, I thought it had slowed down a bit up until the last, I don't know, maybe three days. I'd, yeah, it's pretty pretty consistently shit hot, actually, isn't it? But it has been awesome the last couple of days. I think last last couple of days have blown it away. I mean, you know, more on the amount of stuff which which we're going to see later on. I'll give a couple of little stats with regards to the amount of traffic on the forums in addition to the Facebook stuff. But, yeah, I just think in the last few days, I don't know if it's the fact that maybe, you know, we're talking 12 or so, 13 days after payday. Possibly it could be a case of everyone was broke after Christmas. Everyone was broke at the beginning of January. No, it's, ha-ha, we survived January. We, su- we survived that all. Right, spend. So maybe... Maybe there's been a big sort of market increase the first week in February because it's the first spare cash people feel that they've got after Christmas. Just a theory. Might be rubbish. But let's move on to item one on the newest newest acquisitions on Star Wars Forum UK. Grom, I'm going to come straight to you because you said, 
we need to check out page 2058 ian sanderson's kenna zuckus bounty hunters we don't need that scum so special about this one mate yeah, this one uh, is really interesting to me because it's a uh, Kenny because uh, <laughs> it's a Kenner sort of it's a Kenner forty eight C, but it's got the Paddy Toy sticker on the back, and the Paddy Toy sticker is the point of interest for myself. Uh, we know that the Zuckus figure came out as one of the last three, along with the Tie Pilot and Forlorn, to come out on the Empire Strikes Back line in nineteen eighty two. This one is a forty eight C, so it debuted on the forty seven. This is a forty eight C card. What's interesting about these uh, action figures with the Paddy Toy stickers is that they, you know, there's a Kenner import into the UK. The Paddy Toy sticker itself for the 47 back, which is the four-lot offer, was a black sticker. For the 48, which is the one that Ian's got here on the Zuckers card, that was a black sticker for the Akbar mail-away. And the, and the 48D was a white sticker for the 9-num offer. Now, I commonly see the 48D sticker quite a lot, but the black stickers themselves I found really difficult to come across. So this is something I really wanted to investigate. Now, the first time I actually knew anything about these black stickers was uh, in the Kellerman Guide when I purchased that a couple of years ago, but it doesn't actually go into any detail in that guide of which figures have actually been found with that uh, sticker on. So I did a bit more digging. I actually found it's really it's really hard to find any information on this. There was a Rebel Scum Rarity Guide uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was back in 2006, possibly, where they, uh, the, the, the collectors on Rebel Scum were actually di- discussing how difficult it is to find certain 48-C-carded uh, figures. And there's only a small mention there of the black uh, Palitoy sticker. Uh, with, with the Akbar offer on, and it only says on there that someone's actually seen it with the uh, on on the on the Zuckus card. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's the same one. But I've done a bit more searching. Um, going way way back, there was another uh, Rebel Scum thread that I found, and on that it actually had the um, uh, the Darth Vader action figure on a forty-eight back with a small black Paddy toy uh, Akbar offer on the back. It was actually a find in Finland, a Paddy Toy find in Finland. There was a few carded figures on there. So that made it two figures. And uh, from February 2016, I saw another carded figure, another example, which was an Imperial Commander uh, posted by Benny100. But I think this, these, these black stickers seem to be incredibly difficult to find. And I can't actually find any sort of correlated information where people have actually, you know, definitely stated which how many of these exist or on what cards they exist so it seems to be a really rare sticker to come across i'm you know obviously looking out for the the black one for my type pilot focus but i think these are uh, incredibly difficult to come across especially to find uh, on a figure which still has the bubble as well so yeah it's a it's a i think it's a pretty big find i think it's probably a very big understated find wow grant that's awesome thanks ever so much for that mate yeah so do you think whilst ian recognized that this was a special card, do you think it's even possible that Ian didn't necessarily appreciate fully what he's got? Have you spoken to him at all? No, I haven't. Um, I I just think that the whole sticker thing itself is quite understated. I don't think these, kind of like those clippy yellow stickers, you know the ones that come across the sort of corner of the card? Yeah. I think they're a lot like that. I think they're pretty understated in their rarity. The thing is, is the, the 48D white 9-num sticker, these will be on the uh, Jedi cards. You see a lot more of those, but the uh, the Empire Strikes Back black stickers, I just don't see them coming up. I mean, maybe I should have contacted some card back collectors, but all I could find in my investigation was an Imperial Commander, a Darth Vader, 
and two Zuckers. I, at one point, I thought it might just be Zuckers because it is at the very end of the uh, Empire Strikes Back line. So I wonder if it was just going to be the, the last couple of figures, maybe. But no, it definitely appears at an Imperial Commander and a Darth Vader figure. But I would like to sort of hopefully draw more attention to it. Maybe some more people can point the spotlight on some more of these carded figures. Yeah, so what we're talking about, just as a reminder then, it's on page 2058 of Star Wars Forum UK and its latest acquisitions thread. You don't need to be a member to see it, but you can check it out. What Grant's referring to is a black sticker on the rear of this uh, carded figure, which has got white text on it. I mean, interesting seeing that the white text is the one which says, send off six names and 14p postage. Your name, age and address. Now, I, I looked at this earlier on and I thought, right, yeah, name and address. I totally get. Why do you think that they wanted age so much? Mm, I have no idea. Market research, I guess. I mean, I, I guess that back then they would have known their market research. They would have known who their demographic was. It was generally pretty much school kids, wasn't it? I mean, I don't think there would have been many adult collectors back then, but I just thought, oh, okay, that struck me as weird. But going back to what you're saying then, so yeah, we're definitely on a search for more information with regards to these stickers. Who's got them? Is anyone categorizing them or cataloging them rather? And uh, I wonder if our um, if our podcasting friend Jason Smith has got something to say about this, because um, obviously I don't think there's many people who know much more about carbacks, uh, particularly Palatoid well, carbacks, than Jason. Well, I checked out his website, and it, they are just highlighted on his website, but there's no matrix or anything like that in which to highlight the ones that have been found or anything. And it's like Pete said the other day on a previous podcast, that some Palatoid information is really easy to find, and it's really in-depth. And other Palatoid information, I find it's, it's not so... There isn't so much scope for it, and I just just wanted to pick this figure just to highlight these stickers and hopefully you know it'll inspire some some really good conversation yeah grant it's a great spot uh, it's a great item uh, thanks very much just wanted to go on the next page 2059 this was just a quick shout out really to roundster because uh, apparently this is a podcast influence purchase he's got two micro collection pieces both sealed for 60 quid in prime condition a real bargain it has got the Bespin Gantry and the Bespin Control Room, both of which have got a line or price sticker on, showing uh, the how much that they've been reduced down to. Um, but I just thought, wow, for, for 60 quid, two sealed pieces, that's just fantastic. He's put on there, it's his latest fad, micro-collection sets. I blame the Vintage Re- Rebellion, episode 31. I got these two for just £60 delivered, both sealed. Amazing that you can get sealed vintage items for that price these days. I just thought, well worthy of a shout-out, and the fact that Roundster is saying that it's our fault he's buying this stuff. Um, yeah, see you next month, mate, when you've tried to track down yourself a Kenner with a Palatoy sticker on the back. Best of luck with that, dude. Rich, staying on page 2059, Adam P. Booth, £50 card backs with a build-your-own Lear. That's pretty much what he's put on there. What's brought your attention to this, mate? Well, two things I like about this story, Jez. As you know, I do like a good bargain. But I also like the story behind the bargain as well. So you're right there. That's pretty much what he posted as well as some images. But I just want to say that he said he bought a single card back from eBay. And he realized that the seller was only a few streets away from where he lived. So obviously the the next natural thing to do would be to contact the guy and say, have you got any more? And he went round his house and he picked up the following. Now, when I go through this list, I just want you to remember, 50 quid. Okay. So, we had a, a tri-logo Adat Driver card back and a loose, complete figure. A tri-logo Pap Liu card back. 
a Jedi logo card back, a Jedi Chief Chirp card back, a Tri logo Death Star Droid card back and figure, the Jedi Leia Organa card back. Again, the figure was complete, including the weapon, although the figure was in several pieces. A loose Ben Kenobi, an Ewok Assault Catapult Instruction Sheet, a Jedi Tuscan Raider, card back and figure, complete with cape, I didn't see the weapon, and an Empire, Empire Strikes Back forearm card back. 50 quid. Even the Leah weapon on its own, I've seen heading towards that £50 mark. So, you know, fantastic instruction sheet, seven, eight, nine card backs here, three or four figures, 50 quid, total bargain, all from a mate around the corner. How fantastic is that? Yes, brilliant. Well, what do you think about the Leah then? So, uh, obviously, I haven't had a decent look at this, but it's a Leah in pieces. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking as well. Is it is it possible it's a non-sonic welded Leah? If there is such a thing, I've got no idea if there is or not. To me, it just looks as though it's broken into pieces. What what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, as as I said, you can't really get in there with the quality of that photo. If it's a Leah which is broken into pieces, fair enough. If if it's a non-sonic one, I've seen Leah Hoths go for over fifty quid in the past. So um, so yeah, who knows about that? But with a forty-five B card. As you say, the two Palatoids, the Kennens, the Troy logos, it's a whole great mixture with 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 complete figures. Yeah, the guy's got an absolute, absolute steal. And it's just great to see people do that and be able to celebrate it. So moving on, Pete. Seen on page Star Wars Forum UK, page 2060, you brought it to my attention that old scruffy-looking nerf herder had been up to his tricks and buying all sorts of stuff again, in particular some stickers. What's going on, mate? You, he really is up to tricks, isn't he? Especially this one. Um, it does sound like a, a bit of a, an interesting liaison, because uh, young Simon ventured into London, uh, met with a strange lady, and uh, they exchanged money... And he got himself some very interesting sticker items. Um, apparently, the the woman who was selling this stuff, um, she had it um, in her mother's loft, and then she was going to throw it out. And there was a bunch of stuff in there, all sorts of stuff, including, which I'm really gutted he didn't get, because uh, he really should have got it for me, which was a John Travolta lenticular night fever poster, which I would have loved to have seen. But anyway, um, the daughter saw these this stuff that mother, mother was throwing out and said, oh, look, it's Star Wars. It must be worth something. And then um, um, has some other stuff on, online. Simon saw it, inquired if she had anything else lying around, and uh, turned up that they had these two boxes of rather sort of um, beaten-up stickers. Uh, one was opened. Uh, one was, well, if you look at the picture, it is technically sealed with a bit of sellotape, but it is sealed. And uh, inside the Empire Strikes Back FKS um stickers there's a bunch of well an entire set of sealed packs um i think all in all um he got himself 1600 empire strikes back stickers if you add them all together but you see i why why is with these with these fks stickers i mean obviously pre-panini i don't remember seeing them because they were only a british sticker apparently they were only released over here i don't know how true that is but um there seems to be a subsidiary of a Spanish company, um, and they sold mostly football stickers, 
or soccer if you're American. And they didn't really sort of do much else. They did. A, a, I mean, I, I managed to find a few bits and bobs. There was a. I don't know if you remember Johnny Morris, uh, his Animal Magic. There was a sticker book for him. Um, mm-hmm. and there were a few other other oddities, but mostly it was football. And they had a bit of a reputation, um, FKS, for being a bit odd, because originally they weren't really stickers. They were um, little cards you stuck into your books. You had to either use glue, and then um, <laughs> then over time they eventually found the uh, the world of adhesive. Um, plastic stickers and actually, you know, you could actually stick them into your books. Binds the galaxy together. Just, just complete the FKS story. I mean, it, it is very hard to find details about them. I mean, they didn't do a great deal of license. They didn't have a great deal of licensees. They certainly didn't have, have any more sort of Star Wars stuff in Britain anyway. And uh, they, they unfortunately, well, it seems that they, they went out of business in about sort of about late 80s. So they didn't really continue with that. But yeah, I mean, they are very sort of famous amongst the, uh, the, the, the football sticker fraternity. But these, these, uh, these little boxes, though, you've got Return of Jedi um, sticker box, but the, it's the Empire Strikes Back one. I always, I'm always been intrigued by this FKS thing because, like I said, I didn't, I didn't see it as a kid. I don't have any recollection, even though I was mad into the cards, into the Topps trading cards, the Star Wars ones. Um, I had a few, a handful of the Empire Strikes Back cards, which I don't remember seeing, and of course, Strange Return of the Jedi. So I don't know if they had a huge distribution or they, they were just more sort of a, a southern thing, but it never ever hit my radar. So. Um, I think myself, I think people like Simon, people like Stuart, I think, are, are going around collecting these stickers up. Dan Burgess has been <laughs> has been has been giving me his cast-offs for the last several months uh, when it, when it, when he buys a, a collection of them, and they do seem to be getting a bit more popular. But um, they do come at a bit of a price because Simon was looking at maybe you know testing the market and selling some of these these sealed packs. You, you just don't see the sealed packs that often. In fact, over the last three months, I've only seen one pack, and it was unsealed, and that went for about well, a couple of quid. But you just don't see the sealed pack, so it is an absolutely fascinating find. It's something we don't really hear much of. I mean, hmm. did they ever hit your radar, Jess? Certainly, seen uh, seen the pictures which he's put on, and I've got no recollection of them, none whatsoever. So I would automatically refer myself to the Beyond the Odd Gimp Crack um, specialist <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> which would be Grant. I mean, Grant, have you got many of these? Yeah, I think uh, Pete's kind of right there in some respects. So you don't see the loose packs come up for sale. I have seen a couple of the filled display boxes come up for sale, uh, but with a huge wide range of value to them. So you're looking at like £100 for a, a box, up to £300 that they've gone for. And I've seen quite a few of those recently within the last couple of years. Also, I think, you know, we've got to mention as well that the for Return of the Jedi, it went to Panini. I think yeah. you made that point, didn't you, uh, Pete? Uh, but FKS stickers are—it's uh, quite an anomaly in the in the in the collecting world. What I, you know, in doing a bit of research for this as well, what I found uh, really interesting is—you know—it's got the 255 stickers are there to collect. Uh, the album is 22 pages long, but the last stickers, the last 13, are Macquarie pictures, and apparently they're the more tricky ones to get. And I, I'm, it sort of took me back. Like, I remember doing like you know real Ghostbusters sticker albums. And you'd have like a special selection of like shiny ones on the front page, which were the tricky ones to get. And the fact that, you know, it seemed like a formula back in the day that there would be one page of awesome stuff and they would be, you know, your, 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 your harder to get stickers, your inserts. Don't you so. find? I mean, I mean, they're quite they're, they're a bit smaller than the, the, the regular stickers that we used to. I mean, if you if you get them in hand, they're much smaller than the, than the paninis, yeah. which which were the only sticker I ever came across to keep with paninis for, like I said, for either football or 
or um, things like E.T. and all that sort of stuff, and they're Buck Rogers' more, album. They're much more comparable to the uh, the Dutch trading cards that came out. They were a smaller size as well. But um, what, what what always makes me laugh with, with, with the album is that is the front cover. I find it completely bizarre. It's it's basically C-3PO. It looks like he's hanging around in space with the Millennium Falcon and the Star Destroyer behind him. There's, it's kind of like a. I'm always I'm always amused by the um, by you know, I mean how they put together this piece of art. I mean, is is that from any other kind of artwork? Because you, I mean, it, it is a, a rather odd one. And on the back, you've got Darth Vader in front of the same picture. It's just like oh. Well, they're two quite groovy characters. We'll whack them on in front of a space scene. There doesn't seem to be much much thought has gone into them. I mean, I'd have thought maybe that the poster from the film would have made made a better cover, but it is a, it is a it is an oddity. I got to say. I mean, inside the the, the first page is the the Empire Strikes Back poster. That's a weird one. Do you think there's a possibility that they just thought it was put some generic stuff on the front rather than give away the Yodas, give away the Atats, give away this, that, and the other? So when everyone just sees the front cover, we're not really giving anything away. Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm just trying to see when the actual year was, see if it was actually released slightly later. But it says nineteen eighty. I just, I mean, it, it is, it is a very odd car. It just, it just amuses me of like, oh, it's an album about robots <laughs> in space. <laughs> oh, it just always tickles me pink. Well, nice one. That scruffy looking Nerf herder. Man, he could fall into a trash compactor and still come out smelling of roses, couldn't he? That guy does get or some s- nice stuff. Or smelling of gravy. <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible smell you've discovered. Should we move on? Nice. Move one. on. Move on. Stu, coming to you now, mate, because on page 2062 of Star Wars from UK, we just saw something really nice. It was just one of those feel good, everyone could be chuffed for him moments. <laughs> And uh, and you pointed this one out as one which is definitely worthy of mention. What you got going on there, mate, on page two thousand and sixty-two? Well, it it wasn't so much the item that struck uh, struck me on this this thread was um, Nikki Rifle Smile has recently purchased a twenty-one back Greedo, but this figure actually completed a run of the first twenty-one figures all on Star Wars cards. Now I contacted Nikki to have a chat about the run. Uh, he's only been collecting for around two years, so a relatively newbie. Um, making completing this run even more impressive, you know, all 21 of those on Star Wars cards in the current market, very impressive. Right. Uh, when he started out, he had no focus and wasn't totally sure whether he wanted to properly collect. Uh, he was heading towards 40 years old and had a nostalgia itch that needed scratching. So he was purchasing Beta Return of the Jedi mocks off the forum. Then one Sunday morning, he happened to be the right place, right time. He enlisted a 12-back Ben Kenobi Beta, which was missing the pop at the back for just £50. Uh, Nicky jumped on it and he had his first Star Wars card. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Once the mock arrived, despite the flaws, the logo, the illustrated figures on the back, he said he fell in love with it and the nostalgia hit he needed to collect was there. You look absolutely beautiful. And at that point, he was going to collect just the first 12 on 12 backs. Had no intention of going for the 21 because of the price of FET. Then one day on eBay, he came across a nice FET mock that had sold in excess of £1,200 at Vectus just a couple of months previous. Um, I'm sure you might remember that. I think we might have covered it. It was the factory error FET with the missing rocket and was signed by Jeremy Bullock, which is something he doesn't normally go into, but I'm sure we covered that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, he put the FET in his watch list 
and noticed that no big bids were coming in. So he placed a bid himself and he won the auction for £690. So the seller obviously took about a 50% loss on that. So once he got fet, he then realised he would go after the first 21. So from there, he has purchased all 21 figures on Star Wars cards. The first 12 are all on 12 backs. Fet was his biggest outlay alongside Farm Boy at 610. Uh, he got obviously the Ben for £50, which is an absolute bargain. He got a Han Solo 12 back for just £350. So the purchase of the Greedo completed his amazing run. And I asked Nicky what his target was next. He said he'd like to upgrade a few of them and complete his loose run. So I just want to say, Nicky, amazing, amazing um, run. Congratulations. I must get Nicky on for a, an interview, or someone must at some point. Do you know, during talking to him, uh, during the Jedi period, his mum was actually a merchandising rep for Palatoy over in Northern Ireland, and she used to fit out the shops with Jedi displays. And he told me that during the Xmas of 1983 and the months before it, his spare room in the house was just filled with Jedi display boards, posters, toys. So... What an amazing thing. I can't believe he's not right. got anything kept back on that. But that's a story for another time. Yeah, man. Is his mum still around? Forget Nikki. Get her on. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Her name's Nikki as well. Ah. So there you go. Name wow. What? Well, I mean, I remember when that when Ian listed that £50 Ben Kenobi. And I, and I thought about pulling the trigger at the time on that because it was just, it was, you know, it was a beta card. But it was great, great price. I'm so glad I didn't now. Because as as he said, that was the catalyst for this, and now you see what he's achieved in in two years. And looking at that group shot, because it's the group shot which we all saw, uh, and uh, <laughs> Rich has just put something in chat saying, "Will his mum be the same age as Jez?" He sounded a bit too keen there. I should think she's <laughs> a bit young for Jez, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh dearie me, you guys take the mix so much. But anyway, yeah, going back. Um, I'm just, I'm just so glad that he's done that. But it's the group shot. It's the group shot on page 2062 where you just see all those Star Wars logos together. And yeah, you're right. It does look an absolutely brilliant group shot. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Nicky, mate, yeah, congratulations. It, it, it's brilliant. His opening line on the post he put is, so I'm feeling a little emotional right now. And uh, yeah, I think I think we all get that, mate. So, uh, so good on you. And it was uh, his last line, which is, I now need to go to a display cabinet shop in ASAP, but then what? Brackets, my wife thinks I've finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also said he's going to complete his loose run. He needs eight figures, but it does com- does uh, include the um, pop-up R2, which I think will probably be mentioning in market. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah best of luck with that. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll move on. At last, I'm able to go over to Rebel Scum. And I say that because I've wanted to go there for a while. You know, whenever we see anything, I do try and mention it. But I do think that whilst Rebel Scum is is a forum which is still used on a daily basis, and I've just you know, checked recently, and, and yeah, there are in the main vintage collection, there's lots of posts, there's lots of posts in the celebration area, and it's a huge forum. It's just got so many different threads. But they've got the new acquisitions buried in their limelight in focus, I don't think people tend to limelight so much there because people limelight more nowadays on Facebook. Hey, look what I've got. Hey, look at this, you know, collectible of the week. So I think on Rebel Scum, the limelighting area isn't so busy. So maybe that explains why there's hardly any posts on Rebel Scum. To put it into context, there have been six posts this year 
on Rebel Scum in their new acquisitions thread, only two of which include photographs. But there have been 21 pages worth of posts on Star Wars Forum UK. So that kind of puts it into context a little bit with regards to the traffic going on these different forums. But maybe it's because the Star Wars Forum UK thread is in their main vintage section. So it just gets a lot more traffic. But I was delighted to see on, on Rebel Scum that someone did post up saying that they've just got a really nice local estate sale score. So it's on page 179 of Rebel Scum. Defunder 415. I put this on the thread. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I did look at the photograph, Jez. You know, they are pretty decent condition, aren't they? Uh, nice um, mix of 21 EMB bucks. Yeah, so he's got a whole selection there. Greedo, 3PO, Vader, Luke X-Wing, Discord Commander, Ben Kenobi, Han, Luke Farmboy, Leah, R2, and Power Droid. You know, just some of the some of the primary ones like Chewbacca and Stormtrooper missing, but they, he's got a good collection, which he's bought at a, a local estate sale. Now I asked him about this, and he's come back saying he's a thirty-year um, he's a thirty-year collectible and antique dealer collector. So he's been shopping at estate sales for most of that time. A friend of his gave him a tip off about this estate sale that was coming up locally that had Star Wars figures. The day of the sale, I arrived four hours before they opened. He was number two in line, but the guy in front of the line was a furniture dealer, so he wasn't too worried about it. By the time they opened, there were about forty people in line. And he quickly walked straight to the cases where all the smaller items were. He didn't see them immediately, but when he asked the person behind the counter about action figures, they pulled out a small cardboard box filled to the top with 21 back figures and one 20 back power droid. Then he saw a boxed Evil Knievel stunt bike sealed and inquired about that too. He picked up a couple of other items and paid $500 for everything. Wow. So that whole lot, 500 bucks. Because I would have never known about this sale if it wasn't for my friend. I partnered up with him on this find, and we both went in halves, splitting the profits. He went on to say that lately he's only really been collecting Star Wars cast and crew items and micro-collection prototypes mainly, so the carded figures were of no real interest to him, um, and he's got a loose collection, so it wasn't too difficult to let them go for sale. He knew some other collectors would appreciate them much more than him, and they went out for sale on eBay about 10 days ago, so this was, this was about four hours or so ago. Um, he's just said he's waiting to hear back from them now. Uh, they were all in reasonable condition, um, suffered a bit of age-related wear, nothing too serious. Um, and he said, yep, so it was all good. And his favourite of the lot was C-3PO. He always loved the car back image and how the figure pops against the blue background. Um, but I just thought, yeah, fantastic. These um, these estate sales, you seem to hear them quite a lot in, in different countries. I mean, I'm, I'm not so familiar with them in our country. Am I missing a massive trick here? No, I don't think we'll have them over here, really. Well, you get um, people who, you know, pass away and their, their belongings are sold at auction and stuff. I'd imagine it's it's along that sort of lines, I would think, unless, unless it's something else. I always think when you say estate, it's like a big country manor with yeah. like some, some Star Wars figures in the court in a box somewhere. But, I mean, just to put it into context, it's $500, right? I mean, ooh, let's have a look at the list. You might better get the power droid for that. Um and then maybe half a, I don't know, half a Luke X-Wing maybe. Yeah. Um, but he's going to make, ooh, I mean, 10 grand out of that plus. Well, I really don't know. I mean, I could, we could check his, um, his eBay. He's actually said to me, you know, they went on eBay and his eBay name is Dumpster Monster. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. What a and great did, name. It is. And did you see he was number two as well? That's uh, That ties it up nicely. 
Sorry, what was that, mate? <laughs> you said he was a number two as well, didn't you? No. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I don't know. His, his name was Dumpster Monster. What was this about a number two? <laughs> you, you sleep on that, Jez. <laughs> so, so there we go. Great, great deal to be had. What an absolute bargain. But it's nice to see some stuff going up on Rebel Scum because I, tr- I truly believe that, in particular, I've used it the most over the last year with regards to celebration prep. I think uh, all the information which the guys and Chris put on about celebration has been really, really helpful. It, do, it is a good resource for stuff, but it does seem to have lost um, a lot of the traffic recently due to the Facebook stuff. So maybe, you know, people always like feedback. Just a suggestion from my point of view to maybe um, move their latest acquisitions over to the main vintage page. Do you think that would make any difference, lads? Or do you think no one cares anymore? I don't know. I mean, like I say, it is a good resource. But whenever I'm searching for stuff, you know, you always get a link back from either Star Wars uh, Forum UK or a Rebel Scum thread in the past. Um, obviously, things like price and stuff, you can't take too much into account because obviously they move on very quickly. But yeah, it, it, it's a, it is a shame. Maybe there's just too many threads. I mean, when, I, when I've been on there, there were so many threads for absolutely everything, from modern yeah. figures to celebration to... And, you know, and, and really, the one that moves a lot is the, is, is the vintage stuff. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it needs a bit of, a, bit of an archive and a, and a rethought. I don't know. I've got to be honest with you, man. Whenever we research anything, you can find some incredible information in some of those older threads. It's a shame that they're not sort of highlighted or prioritized because there's some golden information in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there really is. There's uh, one of the threads as well. I know we've highlighted it before. Um, I think it's like, what, what is your favorite archive thread or what is your favorite lost th- thread or something? And if you go in there, there's, um, you know, you can see chronologically where big finds have happened or, you know, um, or a lot of investigations and stuff like that. Real quality stuff that I think isn't on any of the other uh, forums or Facebook uh, groups. So uh, it, it definitely adds to some of the stuff that we've been quoting. Because you fear that stuff could get lost. I mean, let's say I don't know who who runs it, but I mean, you know, if those people would decide that you know the, for whatever reason they're just going to take it offline. I mean, I mean that must be quite a lot of um, hosting um, power and 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 bandwidth all the time to keep all that information online all the time. So it must be costing. I'm sure they do get advertising revenue from something, but it, it does cost money. And at some stage, that it's going to get to a, to a point where they're just going to have to make a decision to take it offline because it would just it would just you know drain resources. So it'd be a real shame if that stuff is lost. Yeah, can I just just looking at that thread now? Uh, share your old now deleted favorite threads. You've got stuff like information needed, non-sonic welded figures, Italian trilogos. Who has knows about them? Anyone who knows this Italian sticker, Jason and Sky's car back rarity threads compiled. Factory sample stickers, 1977 mock-ups, Luke's in robes discovery, uh, proto-molded versus fur shop, how do you tell, uh, prototype three and three-quarter reference thread, the state of proofs. I mean, there's just some amazing stuff there. Yeah, um, Peter stands a couple of points here. Um, Philip Wise is the owner of Rebel Scum, um, and obviously the, the Rebel Scum website, which has you know quite a lot of banners on there, that that's huge. And I think I'm correct in saying that him and Chris Wyman um, own official picks together so there's a lot of money getting ploughed into that place and I, I'm not worried about that website, dis- uh, the forum disappearing at any point at all but 
I do want to bring something up about Weber's and in particular for why is that's happened in the last few days for those who weren't away. Um, and this, we should have really mentioned this right at the start of the show. Um, within the last, we're going to say, possibly 10 days, Philip Wise has had his prototype rocket firing FET stolen. And what? it was, yep, it was, it is Texas workshop. Um, he does a lot, I think he does a lot of, um, I don't know if it's woodwork or something, but I know he's been involved in the Ark of the Covenant project for a long time now. And at some point, he took some friends, um, you know, I don't know if it's on a tour of what he does or whether he's got other Star Wars stuff there. In fact, he must do because I've heard of his Star Wars museum before. So he's took people to see Star Wars museum and he's got um, a cased... Um, alpha graded rocket firing FET. It's just the I'm saying it's just you know it's a, it's an L slot FET um, with certificate and um, there were photographs taken of it and he went back a couple of days ago and it's gone. It's been stolen. So there's a huge appeal out now for this rocket firing FET. Now I think the general consensus is although there's a the very very narrow view of who could have taken this it's clearly one of his friends or one of his friends' friends or, or somebody there who, who's done this um it's very likely that this now has been broken out of its case so a lot of um good workers went into identifying different little anomalies of the actual figure by people blowing it up and i know there's some guy on facebook has done like some highlighting saying that there's a there's a dimple on the back of the knee and all this kind of stuff so if anybody is aware of a rocket firing fet appearing you know just you know get the message out there we're not saying that you know this is definitely a stolen one but if there is a rocket firing fet out there that suddenly becomes available for sale please check it against the Philip wise's one that's horrendous. Oh, man. That's almost worth keeping quiet for a while just to see if it does appear because how many people would have known that it was stolen? You know, I mean, if, if that appears, I mean, on some of that, maybe maybe it's worth not advertising it too much because, you know, if, if the person who stole it gets wise that everyone knows about it, they're gonna probably going to hold on to it for a while or seek more, you know, um, dodgy deals to, to pass it on. But um, if you don't mention it too much, then maybe... Maybe it will appear because it should be pretty. I mean, how many of those are, are around? Is is that the only one? No, they're about. I can't remember really. Chris Forster did mention the number. I think it's somewhere between eighty and a hundred of those L slots. Yeah, but this is a non-painted one, and yeah, there's, there's between eighty and a hundred of those non-painted um, L slots. Oh, is that? I, mean, I thought it yeah. was about eighty of the L's and the J's altogether. What's no, the, the 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 J's. I believe the seventeen of the J slots. What's, oh, okay. the va- what's the value of those, Rich? Roughly, the L slot FET. You're probably looking over if, thirty thousand. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would say it's probably a little bit less than that. Actually, I was. I was. I was going to say between twenty and twenty-five. I think you'd be able to prize one out of oh, somebody's okay. hands for. Okay, so 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 someone who's stolen is going to try and hawk that for. You know, they're trying to get ten grand for, it, weren't they? I mean, they just go they're, right. Yeah, they're not going to. They're not going to be able to sell that. Well, no, no, no. That, that, that's what I mean. But at some stage, they they've stolen it. They've stolen it for a reason. You know, I, I, part of us does agree with what Grant's saying, but part of us, the cynical side of us, is thinking somebody may have actually said, I know where there's one, can you get it for us? And, yeah. and it's going to disappear in a black hole collection. And I would I would really hope something bad happened to that person if that was true. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll, it'll have to surface someday, surely. Oh, that's, that's there's so many, Yeah, there's so many reasons why someone might steal some of that. I mean, 
you know, all sorts of awful things. I mean, they yep. might ran- ransom him. They might, they might, like I said, there might be someone going, look, you know, you go and steal that. I'll give you ten grand. You know, I mean, it's cra- that's crazy. That is crazy. You know, sometimes you just can't count for criminality and whatnot. And and the sad thing is, with the great work which is being done, sort of cataloguing any imperfections and this that, and the other, if someone is of that sort of crooked mind to steal it, then they'll probably think, "All oh, right, well, what I'll do is I'll put a couple of other minor marks on it to try and do you, know, do you know what I mean? That doesn't take the brains of a criminal mastermind to think, "All oh, right, yeah, we'll we'll try and." I know often yeah, but truth always comes out, but. A lot of these things have to come with providence. Yeah, you know, you have yeah. to prove where you got it from, and if it's been taken out of its, uh, um, you know, it, its COA AFA graded case, yeah. then people, you know, where did you get it from? Especially if you actually look at the photographs, it has actually got quite a lot of distinctive markings on it. So, oh, man. give it back. We well, have Mr. Wise, yeah. I mean, let's just let's just all hope that. The, the good will come of this uh, and he will just be reunited with it because I can only imagine how he feels right now. Mm. Something a bit happier, Jez? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, see Jez. you next month. Yeah, Jez, you've taken us real down there, Jez. Well, um, hang on. Let me just uh, get us all back on track because, um, so there we go. We started talking about Rebel Skull and we, said we actually started saying that I was delighted that we had this uh, we had this great estate sale found uh, find on Rebel Scum, and then we just started talking about the merits of Rebel Scum, and in fact, what a great resource it is, and how fantastic it is. And I do urge people that as they're preparing for Star Wars Celebration, um, just to go and check out Rebel Scum uh, and start there, and then look amongst it and look at what Grant said about the the hidden and uh, and the once were threads, because it really, really is a gold mine. And uh, but as I said, check out the whole celebration side of it and work from there because uh, Rebel Scum definitely worth checking out. Let's move on. Facebook, Pete. Now this is something which we uh, we looked at about a month or so ago. I think you you first showed me this, and it was a Vader phone on a Facebook group, and it was yeah beyond the odd gim crack or something or other. Um, can you just explain to me exactly what it is you've seen? It was, it was beyond the tour. I mean, it was a guy called Dave Moore. He's probably gone mad thinking he was going to be on the last podcast, but due to a number of reasons, <laughs> that we, we had to bump it to this one. So apologies, Dave. He's a lovely guy. Um, and I promised him the earth, but delivered nothing for him. So, um, yeah, it's a Darth Vader speakerphone. Now, I, whenever I've seen this, I always, I always thought, and I think it's probably because the artwork on the box, I, it never occurred to me it was a vintage item. I just thought, ah, that doesn't look vintage to me, as in the box. So I just kind of passed it by. But um, when it appeared on, on Beyond the Toys, Facebook, it suddenly thought, ah, oh, yes, it must be vintage then. And, I mean, it's something I have always never never had an interest in because it's a, a bizarre item that, that um, only seems kind of a, a one-off item. Um, it was by a company called ATC, who didn't really do anything other than a few other licensees like Mickey Mouse phones and that sort of thing. And it's it, it, just to describe what it looks like, it's a sort of tall Darth Vader. I think it's sort of like in the sort of 12-inchy kind of scale, um, sitting on top of a box with buttons on it. And it is just literally exactly what it says in the box, a Darth Vader speakerphone. It doesn't do anything particularly interesting, apart from, you know 
phone calls. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Um, and so David has got it. And, and the way he saw it was he was actually on the Imperial Commissary Forum or Facebook group. And there was a person who had a big haul of stuff they'd got, you know, one of these, oh, look what I've just picked up kind of kind of deals in the back of their car. And in the corner, he just saw this little, I think, well, I guess it was like the corner of the box picking up. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make a little offer and got it for $20. Now, to be fair to these items, they're, they're not worth a great deal of money. Um, if you get them sealed in a box, which I'm not sure you can really find them that sealed, you might be paying like you know over a hundred dollars sort of sort of region. But people seem to pick them up between anything between about fifty to a hundred in in various conditions. Um, but it's I mean it's the box is outstanding. I mean it's got the the old Revenge of the Jedi kind of artwork on it. There's no mention of Star Wars on there really, or or the, or the film it's from. It's just just the artwork. Vader on the front, Luke and Vader having a scrap on the side um and that's it really i mean and, and, but there is a, a, a kind of a weird thing about that poster the, the revenge of Jedi poster jez do you know what it is that that kind of stands out a little bit well apart from the fact that there's no decent logos or anything like that and as you say it looks like it's a complete bootleg are you saying about the lightsabers completely around the wrong way I am, I am. It's kind of weird. So just something, you know what? I ne- when I was having a look at this, it never occurred to me that I never took any notice of it. I just thought, oh, it's Luke and Darth having a fight. But um, there we go. Well, what, what a bizarre item. Now, I do believe that two members of the podcast do actually have one of these, Stu. I, I, I do, um, Pete. Um, bought it many moons ago, but I'm going to let Grant go with it because mine is boxed up and I probably looked at it. For thirty seconds, but I think Grant <laughs> probably has a bit more in-depth knowledge of this item than me. Come on, Grant! It's just gone in Stu's garage, never to be seen again. <laughs> it has, it has. Oh well, see, I was hoping it'd be in his office as his main phone. Um, <laughs> I, I think you pretty much covered it, Pete. I have got a uh, section of uh, an interview because uh, the revenge poster was obviously done by uh, Drew Struzan, and he actually discusses in this uh, brief interview why the sabers are the wrong color so maybe we should just uh play that yeah well, the return of the jedi poster was a very iconic poster i think you're referring to the poster i painted for revenge of the jedi we did a teaser poster which was revenge of the jedi the poster stayed the same but the wording changed it makes an image that sticks with you touches you impels you and that happened to be objects that you're familiar with and interested in just made it the more so the poster really wasn't done for the title. It was done for, in essence, what was in the movie itself, what, what we were trying to portray in the movie. You are unwise to lower your defenses. Well, I haven't seen the movie and knowing it was Star Wars, I couldn't do much and said, oh, let's feature Darth Vader because he's cool in the sword fight. <laughs> or the lightsaber fight. And that's all it is. It's just a nice design and powerful. And obviously it was portraying you know darth vader and you know it's the the end of the entire series so it was really about the confrontation between luke and darth vader combine the two things that i really always lean on in my work combining two opposites again power and beauty in the same piece a painting of darth vader you you get the feeling of pure evil and all the things that are associated around that we had done some work 
with Darth Vader, but at the same time, uh, nothing that was quite that articulate. There was a, a lightsaber battle between Luke and Darth. I don't know why I painted them the colors I did, I think, because I thought it was pretty. It's usually most of my reasons for doing things. And it never crossed my mind that people would pick on what color they were. So it wasn't until years later when everything became so specific and everybody knew everything about every detail of Star Wars that they started to recognize they were painted the wrong color. And it became, you know, one of those great Star Wars issues. Very interesting. <laughs> how tall? How tall is it? Is it, is it a total of twelve inch size? Yeah, it's around about the twelve inch, probably less than that. But the box is massive. So you say, Pete, that this is made by ATC? ATC, right? yeah. They, I mean, it's one of these these things where, and and I don't know how common this is. Maybe one of the guys can can answer. But it, it it's, it's kind of an unusual item that one. It was only a one license kind of deal. I mean, they didn't do any other Star Wars kind of license, you know, unless it's well hidden, but. It does seem the, the only thing they did. And I'm wondering whether they, they weren't allowed to put on the logo for some bizarre reason. Maybe it was down to that whole Revenge Return thing. I don't know. But um, yeah, whether they just thought, you know what, that's not, it's not worth a hassle or maybe they removed it. It, 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 I mean, it. it doesn't make any sense. I think it's the only thing I can think of, really, that doesn't have, especially a box that big, that doesn't have the film logos on it. <laughs> can I, I, um, I'm just going to go and check something. Okay, I'll be back. I'm going to check something. Okay. He's off getting another carrier bag, isn't he? I know his game. <laughs> but it, but it, is, it is fascinating, though, isn't it, that, that these, some of these companies just have this one license, and then that's it. I mean, like I said, all, all they really did was, if you look at their, you know, some of the things on vintage websites for sale, it is just kind of, they kind of like a potted history of the odd occasional license. I mean, and they're not that interesting. I mean, I was hoping when I saw it, it would have like a, a slightly distorted voice, maybe to try and imitate Darth Vader. But it isn't. It's just a pretty bog standard speakerphone. I mean, you'd, you'd even hope maybe his eyes glowed or something. I don't know, or lightsaber lit up. But it, it's the same as the other ones, like Mickey Mouse phones and stuff. They just they're just a figure on a phone, really. Right, I'm back. Uh, yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> have you have you ever plugged it in and used it? No, I can't. I it's stuck behind loads of other stuff. Like, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that would have been a perfect time to end it. Brilliant. Maybe, okay. maybe you should sell it. I, I, do, I, I might buy it off your Grant for something. If you, don't, if you don't want it. Grant's cast off Gimcracks. <laughs> I love Grant's Gimcracks. And guys, finally, I went over to Tantiv 11 because check out that every month with regards to their vintage purchases. Before I go into this, who amongst this uh, podcast crew is a Tantive 11 member. Grant. I am. Rich, sorry. Grant. Yeah. No, I'm not. <gasps> Stu? <coughs> I'm a, a member, but I need to use it more often. Yeah. You guys don't know what you're missing out on because I've said it before. Um, not that I go on the forums a great deal nowadays, but when I do, whenever I do go on Tantive 11, I am always massively impressed, massively blown away with the quality over the over the quantity there it's just what they do have is exceptionally good it was on page 36 and i'll I'll just hopefully paint the picture for you um that on page 36 there was a gentleman who goes by the name of our chicken shack (laughs) shows a collection uh, that he brought 
And uh, immediately, Commander Clint comes on and says, oh, that's a great collection of gimcrack. So I don't know what's happened, Pete. Already, people are using your recent terms with regards to oddball, beyond the toys, call it what you want. Really? Did someone actually use that word on the forum? Yeah, absolutely. The immediate post, straight afterwards, saying, oh, that's a a great collection of gimcrack or something (laughs) like that. In fact... What I wanted to do now is I'm just bringing this up. And I said to you earlier on, I am going to have this page open. So this is on page 36, uh, Our Chicken Shack on uh, January the 8th. Mostly vintage oddball stuff here, but a few 1990s items. Anyone want these Tazos? Um, I got it all for a good price. And there's quite a few items we need for our oddball library. So this is obviously one of the main contributors to uh, Tantive 11 saying we needed it for our oddball library. Now, his name's James. Uh, and the best part of this is that there were a few items that wasn't weren't pictured, he goes on to say, including a large stack of newspapers and TV guides, articles and advertisements. He started taking pics and they'll be adding these soon. So some of these uh, people really, really do add some extremely good quality uh, images. Immediately, Commander Clint, who we've had on, says, James, that's a fantastic haul of quotation marks gimcrack. What in particular were you after in that lot? And a few people are commenting and it goes back and forth. And then he comes on saying, the item which most caught my eye were one of these we needed for the picks in our oddball library. This Factors charm bracelet has been on my hit list for a couple of years and has been a difficult piece to find. And he shows some exceptionally detailed photographs of a Factors charm bracelet, which has got the bag with it, with 1970, uh, 1977 Star Wars um, and all the details. And it's a charm bracelet, which is far from charming in my opinion, uh, but it's got a three-legged R2, C-3PO and a Darth Vader's head on this. Really, really good. Uh, he goes on to say, these character pins seem to be fairly uncommon, certainly when compared to how much more available than the other Adam Joseph jewellery is. He goes on, the salacious crumpin was one of the items that wasn't shown in the auction photographs. Also needed these two factors, three-inch buttons. And again, exceptional, exceptional image quality. I mean, th- this is really good quality imagery uh, and work. Um, he goes on, people talk about various different stuff. And then someone straight away just says, yep, check here. Um, this is just small pins made by the company Adam Joseph, one of many items made back in the day to capitalise on the Star Wars marketing frenzy. See here. And then it takes you to a whole dedicated thread. And this is something which I thought might be up um, Grant's alley in particular. Um, a dedicated thread within their um, whole thing, um, jewellery, keychains and magnets. And this is a thread titled There's Something Odd About Ula." odd being the key to the whole oddball thing and in there they've just got photograph after photograph of really really decent examples of necklaces metal pendants back in with with bags nestle crunch stuff with the uh mailaways for the different pendants and the wrappers so much information so many different bits of packaging which i've never seen before first star wars logo bag and tag with c3po it goes back and forth and this has just all been beautifully categorized like i've not seen before on a really aesthetically pleasing forum i mean i I know that we've had various forums in the past and the imperial gunnery is a great resource it truly is but for some reason the way they've done this it's just um to my eyes in particular really really well excellently categorized some stuff which i've certainly never seen before and it's just a fantastic example of the sort of quality of stuff which you're getting on tantive 11 nice and then he gives an update and he says yeah update from this purchase i've discovered a hidden gem and it was a reed magazine 
magazine for reading in English, uh, and it was dated the 18th of May, uh, 1977. And it's got some classic images of uh, Star Wars characters on the front. But on the inside, on page 16, he's showing that it's got the Star Wars logo, but with a very distinctive W in the wars, which almost looks like a sharp M upside down. And it just shows uh, the release date and the Star Wars logo. And then he's saying, see here for more information and photos. And again, it's another link which takes you to pre-release and early promotional Star Wars items. And it shows you the classic badge with that pointy W of the Star Wars um, pin badge or, or button. So I say, this is what these guys are doing. They are just extremely helpful people on threads just saying, see here for more information, see here for more information. And this is an absolute goldmine. I really, really urge you, and I need to use it more for our research or for whatever we do. Tantive 11, there's something about this forum now which I'm seeing some stuff which is updated and kept readily updated more than, if I dare say, some of the other ones which we've classically gone to in the past. Jez, I just think that the Read magazine, just go back that second, you yeah. said it was the magazine for reading and English. What, what I really love about it is that directly underneath that it is volume XXVI. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that just sets me off forever. But um, y- you're right. Um, I-, I looked at that link with those um, pin badges and various other things on there. It must have took about five days for that page to load because there were so many high quality images in there. Um, but what I'm astounded by is the volume of jewelry that was released by companies like Adam Joseph. Yeah. I, I was. If I had bought one of those as a kid, I would have been beaten to a pulp. I just <laughs> can't imagine who who would have... What was a target market for that kind of stuff? Who wanted a, I don't know, a jewellery charm that looked like Medusa's head with Darth Vader dangling from it? It's, it's, it's bonkers. And then if you look at some of the Adam Joseph jewellery as well, you had, um, you know, oddities like Salacious Crumb. Um, you know, Emperor's Royal Guard. You know, it wasn't really the you know some of the you know the hand looks and as always. It was some really really oddball items amongst oddball items. Yeah. It, it, what what they've done here, what this team of guys have done, and as I said, I, I know that some of these people had worked on previous forums in the past, but this it, it's linked me to this whole there's something odd about Ula sub forum w- within Tantive Eleven. And just the separate threads, drink and vessels, eating utensils, in-product catalogs and promotions, fan club paperwork, stickers, decals, food items and premiums, pre-release and early promotional, buttons, badges, pins, magazines. It goes on and on and on. There are dozens, nay, scores of of threads here, um, which which standees, it's brilliant. And it just makes me think that we all need to look at this and grant... I certainly hope I've whetted your appetite for something, mate, because it it really is a great source of information. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go check that out. That sounds right up my alley, mate. It's it's fantastic. Tantive eleven is uh, tantivexi.com, uh, but the stuff in there is um, I I think we're extremely fortunate in the collecting world because, as you know, we've got our spiritual home, Star Wars Forum UK. Rebel Scum is just that place which people can't do without. But you check out Tantive Eleven, the way they've got it laid out. Vintage toy discussion. There's something odd about Ula, odd stuff, general discussion. And R2's projector beam, that's the stuff where people are putting on their latest acquisitions. It's got games, it's got charity stuff. It's just a really good user-friendly 
um, forum. Uh, but at the moment, I don't think it's being used as well because I don't think people really understand it. But yeah, I'm glad you're going to check it out. Pete, I think you need to check it out. And uh, maybe it'd be good if we hear from some of our listeners who can check out this absolutely awesome forum themselves. It's got gimcrack on it. I'm there. <laughs> that, that's that's the final line. Nice one, Pete. So there we go. That's uh, that's the end of the new acquisitions. We've seen some fantastic things. We've seen people uh, complete their collections. We've seen people get some amazing Kenner and, and Palatoy stickers. We, we've seen some of the bargains. And we've also heard a really, really disappointing tale about some theft um, from a stand-up member of the community who runs Rebel Scum. We've also learned a little bit more about some of the forums and some of the great sources of information which are out there. So please keep on posting. Put stuff up there. And yeah, everyone, check out the forums. Star Wars Forum UK, Rebel Scum, and Tat of Eleven, because the community wouldn't be the community without these great resources. is an interview with the excellent Amy Schoberg. Sadly, we had some sound issues with the recording, and as a result, there is a bad echo throughout whenever Amy or Grant speak. However, you can hear everything, and the interview was too good not to use. So apologies in advance for any of the sound issues. We are the E-E-E-E-E-E. Then it is from the My guest this month is Amy Schoberg. Amy is hugely active in the hobby. You may have heard her on the Star Wars Collecting Cosmos podcast, which is part of the Galaxy of Toys Network, or maybe you've read the blog of hers over at the SWCA. You may have seen her panel she presented at Celebration Anaheim. She's also a member of Sarlacc, R2 Builders and Ewok Builders, and Amy had an entry in the Vader Case Project at Celebration 7. I'm certain there's loads more you're up to. Amy, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Uh, It's a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Also joining us to take you through the theme, Ewoks is one of your areas, and it's uh, outside of the toys. It's such a vast range, so there's only one person from our podcast that could join me, and that was Grant. So, evening, Grant. Evening, 
Stu, Amy, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. It's a joy to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to getting an education about all things Ewok. Now, Amy, you appear to be the busiest person in the hobby. Have I missed anything in that intro? There must be more you do. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty busy these days. So, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up. I'm working on the 3PO uh, vintage case art project right now for Celebration Week that's coming up in April. Is it a similar sort of thing to the Vader one, where you've got to redesign the case? Yes, it is a complete redesign of the case, but this time it's C-3PO. And um, they said that we could either use the vintage or the modern case. So I'm, I'm going with the modern case only because I couldn't bring myself to destroying a, a lovely vintage Kenner 3PO case. I don't know whether it still exists. Do you still have the Etsy shop, um, Nerdventions, as well? I do, but I haven't had much of any time to do anything with it. Is that purely somewhere where you just trade items you've got? I've never traded items on there. I've only made things to sell on there. Purses and plush toys and things like that. But I just haven't had any time. Are they all Star Wars items? For the most part, yeah. Some Doctor Who, but mainly all Star Wars. I'm surprised you haven't got any time with (laughs) such such little that you do, yeah. (laughs) Me as well. On the whole, you know, the vintage collecting hobby is a predominantly male hobby. Most of the people I come across generally men. How do you find the hobby? Yeah, it's it's been a very male-centric or dominated hobby. I never really noticed it as being an issue until the Facebook groups became as popular as they are now. It seems like there's a lot more good old boy club. I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but... um I, I see it a lot more in Facebook groups than anywhere else. For the most part, you can just kind of ignore it and shake it off, and it's not a big deal. But there have been times where I've left Star Wars Facebook groups because of it. Yeah, I must admit, I've noticed it a couple of times on Facebook as well. Certain topics and discussions. Does your husband, partner, if you have one, collect? I am single, and um, so no, it's just me collecting. I buy what I want, and I don't really have to deal with any of the ramifications. <laughs> Best way. So, why do you collect? Um, I collect because I love it. My dad collects toy trains, Lionel trains. From an early age, he would bring my brother around um, with me to the local coin store, and my brother would get comic books, and he would try and encourage me to collect something, and so I would collect Disney stamps. And um, it's definitely in the genes as far as everyone in my family kind of collects something. But it wasn't until high school um, that I was really thinking about all of the different things that I collected over the years. But Star Wars was the one thing that I really got into and I really enjoyed. And and I thought, you know, I could see myself collecting this for the rest of my life and I would be very happy. Uh, and that's kind of, it was around that time that I just made that effort. And, um, you know, I haven't collected anything since. It's just been all Star Wars. I just love it. I love the movies. I love the toys. There are so many things that are made globally that I'm always finding new things I didn't even know existed. It's always something new. It's always something new to learn. And meeting new people, having friends all over the world, It's and seeing collections and how people display things and what they collect, it's just been a wonderful community, truly. So when it comes to collecting, where are your main areas to collect? Do you have certain focuses or are you a bit like me that I, I will interview you tonight and I will probably go <laughs> hunting for a uh, an Ewok? I'm a bit like you guys in that aspect. Um, when I joined Sarlacc after college, I didn't really have a direction in how I was collecting. And 
I was influenced by a lot of the people in the area and how they collected and what, what they were passionate for. You know, being new to the club, of course, they all want to sell you the, the things that they don't want anymore. So I ended up buying a lot of that stuff. Over the years, I've now gravitated towards certain areas. Jedi is one of them. And that just will encompass the Ewoks and Ewok Village. And But then other things I've gotten into more recently are, you know, paintings of Kenner figures done by fans. And then there's the kitschy stuff I like. So I'll collect Star Wars Valentines and school supplies. I'll get into Sigma stuff. I love ceramic bootleg items. It's all over the place. And then if I see something that's really cool, I'll probably end up getting that and then making a little side focus on it. So it's it's a lot of side focuses, I guess. You're a bit like us then. You just buy everything. <laughs> yeah. I buy it if I like it. Deal with my feelings about whether or not I feel remorse on it later. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to delve into your Ewok collecting in particular a little later. Ewoks get a really bad rap generally from the original trilogy kind of generation. Can you plead a case then, right here, right now, and defend why everyone should love them? Well, you know, it's it's the classic case, the little guy, the Empire, and and here is a society of peaceful, loving, granted they eat humans, but let's put that aside for now, uh, beings that live in the trees and, um, you know, fight the bad guys with rocks and sticks and, uh, you know, their home was invaded for all intents and purposes and they were able to defend it with the help of their rebel friends. So I'd say they're pretty awesome. I love their homes that they make in the Ewok villages and um, all the little cute stories that they have to say with the, the animated show and, and the Ewok movies. So I've always been cool with, it's okay if people don't like the Ewoks. That's, that's their loss. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do get a bad rap, but, but as far as merchandise goes back in the day, it must have been selling because Ewoks are on everything from three, four years. Everything you can think right. of, isn't there? Exactly. They, yeah, they even sold on cereal boxes in Australia. So you know they were selling very well. You have quite a big involvement in celebrations. Something to do with the swag, I believe? Yeah. Uh, I love cataloging all of the swag that people bring to celebrations and um, kind of giving people a sneak peek or a checklist of what to expect. So I am currently working on a checklist for the SWCA um, blog that will show what's coming up. And I've seen some things, and they're pretty cool. When you refer to swag, what, what are you talking about? Are these things given away officially from the event? They're handmade items that fans, typically collectors, but not always, make for other fans. And um, I think it kind of started in a way at the first Celebration Orlando. And then over time, this evolved into people handing out buttons that advertised their collecting blogs or their websites or their podcasts to now people are just making handmade items or getting things manufactured to hand out for free that shared the passion of what they, they collect last year or last celebration. We had um, Star Wars FUK, I think made some tea towels of Han Solo and they were handing those out this year. I'm handing out tote bags that say Ewok battle swagging on them. And it's a picture of the Kenner Ewok battle wagon, but it's on a tote bag. So you can put all your, your swag in there that you can get from other people. Yeah, it's just, it's really creative. It's just a beautiful thing that's kind of evolved over the years in the hobby. And I think it's great. And I think it's worth documenting. 
Battle Swaggon. That's very clever. I like that. Battle Swaggon. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, sweet. I like that. Yeah, good one. It's, um, is it something that people can contact you to get their items put on? Yeah, absolutely. They can, um, contact me, message me through Facebook, um, or they could post on the Star Wars Collecting Track Facebook page. Um, and there's also a new page that started on Facebook. I think it's called, um, Star Wars Celebration Orlando Swag. And it's like a Facebook group that started just for people sharing what they're bringing and coming up with ideas and posting their questions, getting them answered. Nice. How, how many celebrations have you attended? I've attended every domestic U.S. celebration since Celebration 3. I have yet to go to a Europe one, but I really want to. As swag goes, what is the one piece of swag that really has been your favorite piece? Currently, the one that comes to mind, and it's probably because we've been talking about Helix a little bit, is the uh, the Death Star Helix coin, I think, that Darren and Grant made. Yeah, that was uh, Darren Simpson, wasn't it, from Anaheim? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. Those were awesome. You were just saying you were involved in the Vader case project at C- uh, Celebration 7. What was your design on? It was from my favorite scene in Jedi, The Burning of Vader. So it had a little funeral pyre at the bottom painted on the case. And then it had the trees painted, and then it just kind of faded up into Vader's head, into the night sky, bored a whole bunch of holes into the case, and wired it with fiber optic cables and did a whole star field that lit up into the night sky. Do you remember seeing that one? Yeah. Yeah, that's really impressive. I suppose it's all top secret what the 3PO case is at the moment. Um, no, well, I mean, I think I can share. I mean, I haven't worked on it too much yet, so I could probably talk about it. It's going to be, so far, the idea behind my head is Ewok related, of course. (laughs) And, um, I'm looking at turning 3PO into a tree and having his face be kind of the platform for an Ewok village and one of the eyes be kind of like a porthole in an Ewok house. And I think I'm going to call it the spirit of the trees or something. Sounds intriguing, that does, yeah. Yeah, I figure I can use all the little Junker Kenner Ewok figures I have. Cool. You're part of the Ewok Builders Club. Will they have a presence at Celebration? Unfortunately, no, only because, well, I mean, we'll be there, but we won't have any Ewoks there, only because the Ewok Builders Club was kind of a joke that was started with me and um, two other friends, and we were wanting to go down to filming locations uh, of the Redwoods, and um, we thought, well, if we go down, we should really have life-size Ewoks to bring with us, because that would be really cool. And so over the summer, we decided we'd figure out how to make these full-size Ewoks. So we went on the replica prop forum, and we kind of got some tips. And then um, Gus Lopez, who lives locally, had um, Kenny Baker's foam suit that he would have worn for Wicket when he was originally slated to play Wicket. And uh, so we took the foam suit, and we made a pattern from it. And then we had a lot of Gus's pieces for Ewoks, so we got to study the face masks and thing. We made... I think six Ewoks that summer with uh, six different people in Sarlacc. And we drove down, them down to the Redwoods and we took pictures of them in the Redwoods. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> and yeah, and so from that, we decided to make this thing called the Ewok Builders Club kind of as a joke, but it's taken on a life of its own. It's a very serious thing now. So we have a Facebook page and we've taught people how to make them. And um, last celebration in uh, Anaheim, we drove them down in a two vans and uh, we brought I think five or six down with us 
Um, but now we've had a couple different building sessions and we're up to almost 20 Ewoks, but they're all in this area so far. So it's too far to take them on the plane or, or drive them, unfortunately. Now, there is a photo I came across earlier, which I think must have been Christmas at your house. And you've got uh, quite a big Ewok sitting in your um, in your living room. Is that? I do. Yeah. Is that one of these? That's. Yeah, that's that's my my Ewok that I made, and I dress him up as Santa occasionally during the holiday time just to decorate. And uh, I made a suit for him based on a Ralph McQuarrie's uh, Ewok card that he did one year for the Lucasfilm Christmas cards. Put him in the collection room. It's it's a little weird. I'll admit it's weird. Amy, <laughs> I mean, let's get on to your collecting. What was your first introduction oh. to Star Wars? I went to the theater with my brother. And my dad. That's what they tell me. But my earliest memories of are of Jedi, I believe, come from watching it on Betamax at a friend's house. Um, so it probably was around 85 that I really started to remember watching Jedi. And then, you know, I, I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. My brother was the Star Wars collector in our family. It wasn't until the special edition, or not even special editions, the, the VHS uh Trilogy was released in 95. That's when I started to sit down and watch it over and over and over again. And then went to the store and started to find toys, and then I started to buy those toys. That just kind of ballooned from there. Do you still have your childhood toys? Yes. I have mine, and my brother uh, recently gave me all of his childhood Star Wars toys. Now, maybe incorrect in this, but I believe you now have every Ewok action figure, vintage and modern, that's been sold by Kenner or Hasbro? That is correct, yes. How many is that to date? They're in storage, but I would say nearing 40, I want to think, ballpark-ish. There's a lot. There are a lot, especially if you include all the different variants. We had eight vintage Ewoks at the time from the original line, which is a lot, really, considering 96 figures. Every time I see a, a vintage Ewok, if it's under $10, I can't hold myself and I buy it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm probably sitting on, and that's probably skewing my data, because I'm probably sitting on at least 60 Ewoks, just loose in varying states of array. Amy, does your interest go as far as collecting things like uh, the vintage carded figures, like the Lily Daddy ones or any other sort of foreign licenses? No, I... I've never gone after carded figures, and I'm going after the loose figures is kind of a new thing for me. And I'm also thinking about maybe getting one of all of the vintage line, but I never really got into it because you know I got into Star Wars in '95, really on my own. So the vintage stuff was never something I was super nostalgic for until more recently getting my my brother's collection, and I'm thinking, well, no, it might be nice to finish off what he started. But I've, I've never really had an interest in collecting vintage carded figures. Boxed vehicles and play sets are completely different, though. I've, I've got all of the boxed vehicles and play sets vintage for Jedi, for the most part. But I, I haven't gone into foreign boxed variants yet. The actual Ewoks are probably... Some of the figures that the price hasn't risen too much on card, is it? It's quite not too bad. The one price that I have noticed, or two areas that that have gone up, are the Power of the Force carded 
especially your Power of the Force vehicles, so like the Ewok Battle Wagon and the Skip, those have gone up a bit, and they've always been expensive, just because they're harder to find. Um, and then the carded Ewok and Droids figures, of course, those have gone up quite a bit in the last two years that I've seen, um, to the point now where I'm having a hard time. I, I think there's one Duloc I need to get, and I'm having a hard time getting it vintage at a decent price, which is surprising. So I'm just playing a long game on it. I, t- I take it you buy the, the packaging in the, for the boxes because of the artwork? Yes. Do you go down the route of picking up things like the... I'm trying to think of one here, but uh, the speeder bike, which has Chirper on the front. Would you buy a speeder bike because it's got an Ewok on the front? Yeah, totally. Any glint of an Ewok, and it goes even further. If it if it relates to the Ewok village in some way, I'll go for it that way, too. Like the Lego sets I've started getting now, because any Lego set that happens on Endor, I pretty much have. I have to make an aside and say that the Lego Ewok Village is probably the best Lego set I've ever seen, ever. It's just amazing. It's incredible. And if you liked the Ewok, um, the vintage Ewok playset, that, that Lego set was made for you, the vintage collector. Joe, I don't buy the Lego sets, but I have picked up the Ewok Village a couple of times. Yeah. Just uh, because I don't collect Lego, the price tag makes me put it back on the shelf, but. Um, yeah. I think myself that would be a vintage, vintage item. But obviously the vintage Ewoks, now we had this anticipation. They airbrushed out the first two Ewoks right. on the card. Can, can you imagine everyone's excitement when they realised what those two were? Well, so now that's the thing I'm kind of curious about, having not uh, very solid memories from that time, being a little too young for it. Were people excited when they found out it was an Ewok? Or were they a little bit like, oh, it's my, you know, it's like a teddy bear. Let's deal with that. I think it depends greatly on the age, because if I speak to some of the uh, collectors who are a bit older who probably went to watch the original film in the cinema, I think some of them state that they were they were not you know too keen on it. But you know, for the Return of the Jedi generation, which is sort of where I count myself, uh, we were really excited. I remember it yeah. being nothing but Ewoks for years. Eight Ewoks is a hell of a lot in that range, but yet no Kinesa, who I would think has got more of a... Well, she's not in, the, not in the movies, so she really didn't appear in any of the films, but she was in um, she was in all the children's books, and then she was in the coloring books, and so all of the things that they made geared towards preschoolers, she was in. Because she appeared in no end of merchandise outside of the toys, which is why I was quite surprised I didn't make a figure of her. Yeah. would have been cool to see her with the, the Ewoks line of figures. When you said you got back into collecting in 1995, coming from the vintage era, there was a big push for Ewoks towards the end, but from 1995 onwards, for the first couple of years, there wasn't any sign of much Ewok uh, merchandise being released. Has that changed in recent years? It has definitely, yes. One prime example would be the Disney parks. Um, Right. Yeah, and, and now Disney... For the last two years, they've been releasing a, a different plush Ewok every two months at the parks. We're up to 12 now of the plush Ewoks. And are they similar to the, the ones that we that were released back in the early uh, 80s? No, they're different. Um, they have an interesting face. The eyes are embroidered, and uh, they all have different hoods. They're kind of... 
I mean, they're not even similar to the ones that they made at Star Tours in the late 90s, or the early 90s. I think they're a little cuter, frankly. Yeah, right, because the, uh, the, the beginning of the Power of the Force 2 line, I remember they released an Ewok 2-pack and a hang glider, and I think that was that might be all of it for the first couple of years, but they've increased the line since then. Yes, yeah, they have. We've gotten, especially if you include other countries, um, Japan has, for some reason, a ton of merchandise that's still coming out with Wicked on it. Uh, they have Wicked bath towels. Um, there's Wicked, uh, there's an Ewok balance puzzle that came out. There's coin purses. They're doing um, handbags. Of course, now in the U.S. and I think other licenses, they have Loungefly and they've made uh, Ewok purses, Ewok messenger bags, Ewok wallets. <laughs> and now we have Ewok socks and so we're getting kind of more into the apparel side of things. I'm seeing a lot more uh, love for Ewoks in, in um, women's accessories, basically. It's like a whole new area that is really ballooning right now. But um, there's a lot of Ewok stuff coming out in that as well. Yes, that's really interesting about international markets. If you look at, um, on the Vintage line, uh, in regards to the Ewoks cartoon, there seems to be a lot of collectibles released in France. Do you have... Any reason why France was chosen to have so much? It's not just France, actually. Um, it's it's Germany, France, and Spain were three big markets. And then um, more, I think a couple years later, we were finding out that the Czech Republic showed the cartoon kind of around 1990 to 1991. And um, in that time, there were a lot of things that started coming out in the Czech Republic for Ewoks. Um, oh, really? Because, you know, the Czech... The show had been old, you know, and had been, it, it had run its course in other markets, but there it was new, and so they were making new things in the 90s, early 90s. Jerry and I, in our panel at the last uh, U.S. celebration, we discovered dozens of things for each year from 1984 to 94, basically, that were just for Ewoks. If you take into account anywhere in the world that something might have been made, we found something. Wow, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. You brought up sort of like apparel as well. One of the things I have noticed from collecting Ewok memorabilia is the amount of T-shirts and uh, clothes items, you know, uh, beach towels and things like that. Is this something that you collect yourself? And if so, is it easy to find this kind of stuff in America? Um, it is easier for me to find stuff that is from the vintage era that's clothing and beach towels. Those kind of show up more often. I think it's only because they made more of them when they came out. And then more modern Ewok stuff, I don't see come up very often just because I don't think they really manufactured many shirts. I know Color Me Tees, there were these Color Me Tees that they made, which were basically art kits of um, Ewok shirts that kids could color in their own shirts. And those came out around 85, 86. And, um, those are harder to get. Those do not come up as often, and I don't see them very often. Yeah, it just seems, especially in regards to clothing, that the, the companies that make clothes and sweatshirts and things like that, they would have such an extensive Ewok line, almost as big as the rest of the trilogy line put together. Yeah, surprisingly, no. Um, a lot of the clothing merchandise for Ewoks really died off by about 1984. Just bringing it back to the toys briefly before we move on to all the fun oddball items. I believe the Battle Wagon is your favourite 
item from Ewoks? Battle Wagon and the Village. It's kind of a toss-up, but currently it's the Battle Wagon only because I'm working on this swag project with Jerry Clark. And um, it's the box art is fantastic, but the toy itself has the best play value. It's a vehicle, but it's also a playset. It's got little elevator thing that you can trap stormtroopers in, and it's got little ladders on the side. It's got a drum. It comes <laughs> it's apart. It's got a lot of things going on. It comes apart as well, doesn't it? So you can actually build it as a, well, like a kind of fort type thing with sides up. It, the sides up? come off, but um, it's not. It's not like a play building toy. It's just that the sides come off or they go back on. Um, and then right. the ladders also come off and on. Now, both the Battle Wagon and the Ewok Village were rehashed for Prince of Thieves, weren't they? Yes. Have you have you gone down those lines of collecting those with the link? Uh, I am um, currently looking for a uh, Robin Hood treehouse box. I definitely want to get one. I don't have one yet. They're harder to come by, aren't they, than the Star Wars one? They are. And um, I have a friend that uh, got the box, just the box, for, I think, $10 on eBay. And so he's playing a long game. He's trying to get it in parts to eventually get the whole thing put together with the box. And it's almost easier to do that than it is to try and just buy a box one. The other thing I wanted to discuss before we moved on to Obwams was, of course, the preschool range. Yes. Which, now, I'm not sure, if people haven't seen these, can you just give a brief overview of these? Because these are quite a random few items. Okay. Yeah, I mean, think of the Ewok Village, but then kind of reimagine it for a five-year-old, basically, or a four-year-old. It's it's even smaller than the Ewok Village playset. It's portable, and the figures are not articulated. They're small. They're about two inches tall, and they're easy to be held and moved, and... And the accessories are all kind of playhouse-type accessories. Um, and they had three things that came out with this set. They had the, the play hut, the family, Ewok family hut. They had the fire cart, and then they had the Ewok family wagon. And each of these sets came with different figures with all of the items that came with it. So the fire cart comes with two figures, plus, you know, a little water pitcher and a, a first aid kind of caught looking thing and the family wagon comes with three characters and a little fire pot and things that you would have for camping say and then the the tree hut itself comes with one of the baga the little ponies and a wagon and then it com- comes with all the little things that you would have in a house like uh, chairs and a table and a little ladder and so, yeah, they're just super cute, and a lot of people mistake the figures that came with this set thinking that they were carded separately, but they actually weren't. All the figures came with the toy sets. Come with us now to the green moon of Endor, where the Ewoks are celebrating because Earth kids love their Ewok family hut. We can help the Chocolate Skywalker. Hurry, Ewoks. Let's take the wagon, Princess Misa. The Ewoks save the day. It's a galaxy of fun. The Ewok family hut comes with everything you see here. A Wicked the Ewok toy. New from Kenner. 
Amy, in regards to the kind of preschool stuff, are these original toys or have they been repurposed from other lines? That's a really good question. The, the Ewok Family Hut originally had its start as the Weebles Treehouse uh, in the late 70s. And it is basically the same set, but it's been reimagined for Ewoks. It's also been remolded in a different color. The um, the Weeble set had a green top to it. It was kind of leafy. Ewok version is basically the same shape, the same footprint and everything, but the top has like a thatch look, and it's done in a yellow plastic instead. Right, because uh, you know, a lot of the Ewok preschool stuff does seem a little familiar. I wondered if they came first or have been repurposed from other lines, such as, you know, there's a Ewoks walking telephone as well. I was wondering if that was original or reimagined from another line. The Ewoks telephone was original, but it's interesting. Um, Gus Lopez, in his collection, he actually has a couple of the prototypes of the phone where they were trying to do other things with it. So they actually had unscrewed the phone and taken it apart, and they took the Ewok part of the phone, holding the mandible for the phone, and instead they put a little uh, tray in there, and they were going to make a soap dish, an Ewok preschool soap dish. But that never left concept phase. And so the only examples in Gus's collection. But it's kind of interesting to see that they were taking things from the preschool line and they were trying to see what else they could make. Are they easy to get hold of these days? Um, they're, they're fairly easy to get a hold of. You see them on eBay fairly often and the price on them is decent. Like, you can get a box one for, for not too bad. People are starting to catch on to it though. I think as we see more vintage collectors that have finished off collecting all their carded figures, they're now looking at what other vintage things Kenner made. And so now they're kind of going into these these side areas like the Kenner Preschool Ewok line. And I think that's kind of driving the value and the price up a little bit. Amy, would you agree that they sort of use the Ewoks as well as sort of like semi-educational as well? I think there's a book by, is it Joe Johnson? Uh, Ewoks, How They Saved the Trees? Yes. In Joe Johnson's book, see, Joe Johnson's book came out in 83, and he did the art for it, the illustration. And the interesting thing about that book is that is the the first appearance of the Duloks. It was not in the cartoon series. It was in this Joe Johnson book. There were also, Kenner did some other things. So it wasn't just these play sets. They also did some education toys like the phone, and they had a clock for telling time. And they had like a little music box thing. Um, and they had a lot of, uh, you know, a different line that was not Kenner, but, but they made a lot of different children's books. And that was also something that came out at the same time the movie came out. It was definitely designed to appeal to the younger audience. They, I mean, they were definitely going for this preschool age and they were kind of looking to I'd say they were looking to foster the next generation of Star Wars fans. Uh, do, do you still count the uh, Battle for Endor and the Caravan of Courage as Star Wars standalone films along with Rogue One? Yeah, they're canon movies in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, they had theatrical releases abroad and they were shown on TV in the US, but they were shown theatrically. There are theatrical movie posters for them. And, um, they're just as much uh, Star Wars as the Clone Wars are when they released the Clone Wars movie in the theater, the animated one. That's just as much Star Wars as, as the Ewok movies are. And I think it's a little sad for some of us to hear that it's not part of the canon now. 
but to me, it's part of the canon. Their distinction on the, as to whether or not that counts as canon doesn't affect my opinion of the movies. In a galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. How are we going to find them? We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We help you. Now, a great adventure begins. It's an action-packed motion picture featuring incredible special effects from the award-winning team of Industrial Light and Magic. That's Mommy and Daddy. Sometimes when you search for the impossible, an unbelievable adventure unfolds. I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Don't miss The Ewok Adventure. Now on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. In, in regards to the sort of the standalone Ewok films, obviously we got a lot of stuff from Kenner in regards to the uh, Return of the Jedi line and the Ewoks cartoon. But was there much sort of collectibles and memorabilia in regards to the Ewok movies? Not as far as toys go. There were a lot of things um, as far as printed media. We had books. There were some children's books. I think there was uh, Shirelle the Witch. There was like a book about her, a children's book. There were movie posters, of course. Different um, overseas markets had different posters. You can get press kits, uh, record albums, storybooks again, and then... Uh, I think. Oh yeah, in Australia, they had a really weird food promotion that was part of Sunburst food drinks. I think it's like a fruit drink that's orange juice or something. And they had stickers from the movie on the back of the drink cartons. And then you could affix the stickers into this big hand-drawn mural poster of the movie. And there was like a Gorax in the corner and Ewok Village, and you would put stickers in from the film in the poster. A lot of the um, Australian sort of food-related items I find really hard to come across on the vintage line. Is that the same for the Ewok stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did see, I had the opportunity to buy one of the unused posters a few years ago, but it was several hundred dollars. I mean, it was it was a, it was such a high amount of money that I just, I had to think twice about it. And I thought, you know, maybe... Maybe our food completists in the hobby, like Gus or, or Duncan or Steve, probably should have first crack at it because it, it was a little too high for my taste for a piece of paper. But um, I totally understand the price in regards to the rarity of it because that is something that is almost next to nearly impossible to get. Another couple of items I've really sort of highlighted just by uh, in, investigating sort of Ewok-related items and a lot of the larger scale items, like there's an Ewok sit-and-spin sort of yes. toy. Spin Master, I think it's Spin Master, sit-and-spin. That was a really cool item. I got that one recently. It looks huge. Is it, is it big? It's big if you're two or three. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, you basically sit down on it and then you hold on to the steering wheel and then your, your bum slides around <laughs> on, on the spinning disc. I'm going to get one of those for Stuart. I'd love to see him on that. 
Um, the bicycles as well. There seem to be a lot of Return of the Jedi Ewok bicycles released as well. Yeah, there were, and um, and they had different sticker treatments on them. Um, there was like Wicked, and there's a Wicked and Nisa one with a Vega on it. That's pretty cute. I recently got an unused sheet of the stickers for one of the bikes in my collection, and it's pretty neat. They also had little decorative discs that you could put on the wheels and um, streamers for the handlebars, a little picture on the front of the bike. You could totally trick out your bike and have it really. One item of Ewoks I know nothing about. Maybe you could give us a little bit of insight. Um, I do see these items pop up from now and then, but I have absolutely no idea what they're related to. Something called Ice Capades? Yes, Ice Capades. What is, what is this? I have no idea what this is. It's a traveling variety show that we go to different cities, and it's a whole cast of ice skaters, figure skaters, that would put on an entertaining show for an hour and a half for children. Each year they would have a different theme. A lot of times you have the Olympic figure skater that won like a gold medal or something, and then they've gone into retirement. Sometimes this is what they would do in the 80s, is they would travel with ice capades. Ewoks on Ice Show is basically a bunch of characters that were wearing large Ewok suits, <laughs> skating around on ice telling some Ewok story. During the show, they would have programs, and they would have pennant flags you could get, and flashlights and buttons. And uh, so, yeah, there's surprisingly, there's a lot of merchandise related to this. Not so much in the merchandise realm of it, but but in the advertising. Once you get into the advertising, there are so many things you can collect from this Ice Capade show. No way. I've never yeah. heard of that. So there's an ice skated show involving Ewoks. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> Stu, have you ever heard of this? This is insane. No, yeah. It's amazing. Is there any footage of the ice capades? Or? That's exactly what I was going to ask. There's, there's a commercial from 1988, I think, that was celebrating the anniversary of the Ice Capade show because it's it's been in the U.S. since the 80s or, or not the 80s, the, the 20s or the 30s. It started as like an Ice Vaudeville Follies type show. And it's still touring the U.S. in some ways in that um, Disney on Ice is a big thing now. And so Disney has their own ice show. Um, and right now they're touring with, I think there's a Frozen one and then there's one for Marvel. It's like a live action Marvel show on ice. But, um, there was a commercial that was in 88 and I think there's like a three second clip of the Ewok show on it. No and it's way. like this retrospective of all of the ice shows that they had. And so if you get, look really quick and don't blink and, you know, can look past the grainy VHS quality of it, that's all that has been recorded or has come out. And it's on YouTube. You can, you can see it on YouTube, I think. Are these ice skaters dressed as Ewoks? They're dressed as Ewoks, yeah. <laughs> Giant, plush Ewoks with the cutest little faces. And they kind of look like... Um, they look like the Ewoks from the animated TV show. What's new in Ice Capades? Five dramatic productions, dazzling special effects, innovative choreography, and exciting live music. The Ewoks add their touch of magic. It's a surprise you won't want to miss. What's new in Ice Capades? Everything's new in Ice Capades. The fabulous show for the whole family makes an ideal Christmas gift. January 6th through the 11th at the Pacific Coliseum. Tickets at VTC, CBO Outlets, Eaton's, and Woodward's. Phone 280-4444 to charge. 
I'll tell you what items that, which I found a lot of with Ewoks on the side, and that was the furniture. The yeah. headboards, desks, picnic tables, table, toy chest, all sorts, isn't it? There's a quite big range. Have you, have you ever gone down that road? I have like one or two items from that line, and um, the line you're talking about, I think, is from the American Furniture Company, Toy and Furniture Company. They made a ton of different stuff, and it was kind of this particle board furniture that came in a box and some assembly required. And you could order it. Typically, it would show up in the ca- catalogs around the holiday time, the toy catalogs. And you could circle it and be like, hey, I want this. And parents would order it through the department store and it get delivered. And yeah, they always show these cool pictures. Um, R2 Toy Toter is an example of it. The to- Toy Toter from R- the R2D2 one and the vintage line. Um, you would see all the Kenner plush toys stuffed in it and you're like, oh, that's awesome. I need one of those. This is very similar. Like you'd see pictures of these kids playing around it and they'd have their Star Wars collectibles hanging out with them. I love the easel. I think you would, uh, you would use that well if you had it maybe to keep your little notes on for what you want to do each day, I think. And the rocking chair. Yeah. The rocking chair is cool. It's very cool. And the, um, the coat hook. The coat rack that they have is in the background. It's, it is a tree, an Ewok tree with a little village on it. Super cute. We've already discussed the plush Ewoks. Now, there seem to be a hell of a lot of them made, especially Wokwins. So there's the vintage Woklings that were released in the US, which were loose. And they came with two different kinds of tags. They had round tags and square tags. And then I think there were, they were also released in Europe, but they were on trilogy cards, and they came in boxes. And of those, I know there are four that came boxed like that. So I think there might have been less offered than there were here, because here they were loose, but there, there were only four boxed ones, but I'm not sure. That makes sense to me. I thought there was box was Wicket, Kinesa, Haplu, and Latara. Is that correct, Grant? That's correct. Those are the Trilogo ones, I believe. And then on oh. the walk-in... Yeah, those, but actually there were cart, there were boxed walklings. Four boxed walklings that are on tri logos. They were boxed in the UK, weren't they? Yeah, they come in uh, smaller boxes. You know, the large plush was on the Return of the Jedi one, and then you had the smaller uh, walklings, right. I believe, on the tri logo box. I'm not 100% sure. Amy, am, am I pronouncing these right for the walklings? It's Gwyn, <laughs> Milani, Wiley, Mookie, Lini, Nippet. Yeah. Right, okay, because I bought one of these recently as part of a, a podcast endeavor, and I have no idea which one he is, because all of my photos are black and white, and they all look the same in black and white. Mm. <laughs> Nippet's pretty distinctive, but yeah, and I think Wiley too, but other than that, they kind of start to look the same. And then there's Zephy too, which is a prototype that was never released, but I know there, I think there were maybe three or four of them made, maybe two, and they have surfaced, I know two people that have them and it's it's like a mother ewok that's wearing a backpack that holds a walkling in her back right that was that was yeah. advertised as well wasn't it it was yeah it was advertised in the um in the card yeah the, is that the, the fold-out card that comes with the uh with the plush ewok and would show you yeah, all the of the collection on it mm-hmm. ah right and what, what sorry what was the name of that one again that's zephy <laughs> zephy right excellent okay be careful! This place is crawling with biker scouts! Don't worry, they don't match for us Ewoks! From Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection, new Wicked W. Warwick and Princess Nisa each sold separately. Wait, Nisa, here comes a biker scout! Ayala! Let's go! Yee He's gaining on us! 
Wicked W. Warwick and Princess Nisa each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Now, you have mentioned already that you love ceramics, uh, Sigma and unlicensed ceramics. With the Sigma, do you, do you collect the whole range or is it just the Ewok items on there? Um, my real passion for Sigma is in the, the glazed ones that they have. I know that they had the whole Jedi line with the figures, but those have kind of this matte glaze. But the shiny glazed ones, those would be the tape dispenser, the Tauntaun teapot, the job of the hut bank. Those are the ones that I really go after and those are the ones I really enjoy. So, and they kind of, they're more, um, Empire Strikes Back focused. Both myself and Stuart actually collect these and are putting together a full run. What would you say is the most difficult of these Sigma items to come across? They all come up eventually. It's just playing the long game. The one that I'm still looking for that's very difficult is the Max Rebo Band yeah. music box. And I think it's stunning. It's, the colours on that are amazing. It's great. Yeah, I had a friend locally that finally got one, and he'd been looking for about 10 years. I went over to his house just so we could, like, turn it on and play it, because I was just dying of curiosity and wanted to see it. And it's even more vibrant in person. It's just, it's a great piece. And it's kind of odd that, the you know, that bright blue color that you get from Rebo, you really don't have in any of the other Sigma pieces. The R2 blue is a different different color blue. Yeah. What are your favorite Sigma pieces? There are some stunning pieces out there, isn't it? My top three are the tape dispenser, just for the sheer <laughs> weirdness of it. And I use it. I still use it. I use it for wrapping presents during the holidays. <laughs> and um, the Tauntaun teapot, which I would never in a million years dream of using. And the, the Job of the Hut bank. Those are the top three for me. Does your interest in Sigma items move to their range of glasses and cups and and stuff like that, and even towards sort of like the California original uh, ceramics that were made for, in 1977. I really like all Star Wars ceramics. I'm going to be honest right there. And yes, the rump mugs from California originals, those, I, I absolutely love those. I try very hard not to buy more than one of each character just because there's so many color variations kind of within a spectrum on it. You can get a darker Chewbacca or the Obi-Wan, like the super uh, ashen face, so you can get a lighter version. But, you know, they're all handmade, so they're all going to look different. You know, Stuart mentioned that you're into bootlegs. I've actually seen some bootlegs of the California originals. Is that, am I right? Yeah, they, um, they made molds of the California originals mugs, and they would have them at these craft shops where you could go and you could pick um, ceramics. We call them bootleg because they never got licensed. Um, but... Yeah, they they had rump mugs available. I've seen I've seen ceramic bootleg versions of NPC model kits, like the Vader model kit um, done as a ceramic, ceramic night lights, <laughs> light lamps, incense burners, pie birds, uh, mugs. I mean, when you get into the bootleg realm, it gets really bizarre really fast, and and the variety of items that are available. And it's pretty diverse. That's really interesting. Are these from multiple different sources and multiple different time periods? Yeah, it was kind of a cottage industry. And for the most part, the dates on them range from about uh, 1978, 79 to, bulk of them kind of go to about 83. So, you know, 
after Star Wars to Jedi is kind of the range in which you could see them in stores, and that's when parents were getting them and painting them up for their kids, or they were taking their kids to have them painted. I have several in my collection that just say Love Mom on the bottom of them. 1979, Love Mom. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. They're, they're fun. A lot of them, when they're not being directly copied from collectible pieces, they're, they're handmade, but they're hitchy. You know, 3PO doesn't look like 3PO, and Chewbacca looks nothing like Chewbacca. <laughs> kind of looks like Bigfoot, but they're just weird. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe them. That, that's really interesting, because um, I've got two pieces of bootleg ceramics, and I've never been able to find out where they came from or what time they were made. Um, are you aware of the HC Ford British stationery? Yeah. Well, there's like um, I've got like a Darth Vader and a Chewbacca, which originally was a pencil topper, but they've made these sort of I don't know maybe six inch ceramic uh, figurines out of them. Any ideas where they came where they came from or what time they were released? Interesting. I'd love to see some pictures. I haven't heard of anything like that. No. Um, I have an R2 that's about three inches tall, maybe, and it it was intended as a pie bird uh, when it was originally sold. So you would have cut little vents in it and put it in your uh, in a pie and put it in the oven, and it would have vented the middle of the pie. Um, and that was the intent of that particular piece. It wasn't as an action figure or a ceramic figurine. It was really it meant to have another purpose. And that, that's the thing that I've noticed with a lot of these ceramics. They had a secondary purpose to them. They didn't just sit on the shelf. They had lights in them and they lit up. Or um, this, this stone Yoda, I call it stone Yoda because he really looks stone, but he has these ear holes cut out and you put incense sticks in his ears. And um, he was an incense burner. Wow. So it's just, they're wacky. Might be interested in picking one of those up, actually. It just seems so bizarre that there's such a extensive bootleg uh, Star Wars range in ceramics. Endless, too. I mean, I've been to, uh, I've gone down to Steve's, and he has the whole back section that's not on display. If you ever go there, Rancho Obi Wan, it's like two shelves of just nothing but vintage bootlegs, floor to ceiling. And there's things in there I've never seen anywhere else. And there's things that I didn't even know they made as ceramic bootleg stuff. Some of them are 12-inch Kenner action figures, like Darth Vader Kenner action figure done all in ceramic. Is there much of a market for these? I mean, do these sort of bootlegs have any sort of monetary value to them? Um, they, a little bit, but mainly it's a market that kind of struggles to find itself because I think a lot of people that have them don't know what they are, and sometimes they mistakenly advertise them as like a, a prototype or, or something odd like that. I've seen that happen a few times. So a lot of times people don't know what they have, and so it's either priced way too high or it's priced way too low, and it's kind of hard to put a value on it because it's it's folk art, and it's one of a kind, and it's something that's kind of, it speaks to the early days of the collecting hobby, and it's things that kids had in their room on display with their Kenner figures, but it's something that they made themselves, or it's something that their parent made for them. So there's kind of yeah. that sentimental value to it. Yeah, I guess for that reason as well, it's not like a licensed item which you can sort of research. It's going to be quite difficult to sort of catalog and, and understand where these items came from. Yeah, Ron Salvatore did a really good job um, 
kind of summarizing the basic uh, categories that exist for bootleg ceramics. And he has that up on the SWCA blog. There is a an article he wrote up on on bootleg ceramics and all of the different variations and different characters and the type of things that you see. And he has some great examples on there. I was only reading that today, actually, and I came across your Halo mugs. Yeah. Which, um, the C-3PO one's incredible, isn't it? He looks very muscular. He looks kind of like uh, Maria from Metropolis. They, they are just an incredible range. Was there any more? You, you've got four on the SWCA. Um, R2, 3PO, Vader, and Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that all that there is for that range? As far as I know, those are the only four that had that particular style to them, yes. Yeah, they're amazing. I'm, are they hard to come by? Because I'm tempted to track them down. They're not, but there is something you need to be careful with in the in the bootleg ceramic realm, and that is these molds that they use to make them are so prolific. You could get a mold almost as easily as you can get the finished piece. So there's still people that are making these new, and they're painting them new. There really isn't a market for it enough for them to know that they need to fudge a date and say it's from the 70s. So that, that's not happening. They actually... Um, typically I'll see that they'll date it, you know, 2014 on the bottom, but, um, it's nice that they do that. So, you know, it's modern, um, but there are a lot of modern ones that are being produced now. So, um, you kind of have to know what to look for to make sure that you're buying vintage and not modern. Um, typically the crappier the paint job, um, the, the better the tip off is that it, it's probably a vintage item. It's the glazes are a little goopier and, the colors tend to fall on the 70s side, like mustards and browns. And, um, but the more detailed and colored and colorful it is, it's also very likely that it's a modern painting of a vintage from the vintage mold. Are the vintage unlicensed ceramics dated? Sometimes. Not always. Um, because when they were fired, the... I don't quite still know how the process worked, but there's there's the greenware uh, phase of it, so it's still soft, and you can inscribe things in it, and you can cut shapes out of it, and you can write on the bottom of it. And then there's the second part where you've fired it, and now you're at the glazing point, and you can paint it up, and then you put it back in the kiln again to fire it. But that's kind of a almost a two-day process between those two, because it takes so long to, to bake them in the mold, or the kiln, and... Um, and so on the vintage ones, for some reason, there were a lot of people that did do cutouts and they did inscribe things. And so you do see a lot of the writing on the bottom. And I've yet to see any that were faked, basically. I don't see anybody in the modern era writing 1979 on the bottom yet, thankfully. But um, a lot of the vintage ones are written on the bottom, but not always. With regards to collecting, you're obviously touching it tonight, but you're never going to run out of Ewok items to purchase. Is there any kind of range of vintage Ewok items that you'd like to delve into that you haven't as yet? Not really. I've dabbled in, you know, I've kind of had a start in just about every aspect I can think of, with the exception of some of the stuff they released in Brazil. So I'm probably going to start looking at food products and things like that from Brazil pretty soon. Wonderful. And if someone wanted to start out vintage Ewok collecting, what advice would you be handing out? Well, think about um, all of the different manufacturers there were in the different countries. 
And if you want to start on a focus, I'd probably narrow it down that way with a manufacturer or a specific country that, you know, what they release there. And that's kind of a nice little way to start with that focus. Nice. And what's the best place to research? Uh, the SWCA is a great resource, uh, especially for the vintage, um, seeing what's out there. Amy, one final question we always ask. Sadly, the Earth has had its day and we're all being moved to a new planet. There is only room for you to take one item from your collection. What are you taking and why? <laughs> I'll probably take my life-size Ewok cubby with me. <laughs> is that the one you built? That's the one I built, yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a whole I got used to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Amy, thank you so much for your time this evening. A huge thank you to everything you do in the community. You're so active, influential. I'm sure everyone like us appreciate all you do. Where can our listeners contact you and also listen to Collecting Cosmos, which we haven't even touched on? What do you discuss on there? Um, we do the miscellaneous of Star Wars collecting. So we focus on things like ceramics, um, pencil sharpeners. We had a whole uh, episode devoted to school supplies. Um, so we'll pick weird things like bathroom items and um, plush toys and just interesting side focuses within Star Wars. Well, Amy, thank you ever so much. We really do appreciate it and uh, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking about Ewoks. I told me to be chicken, fling, oh, I told me to be chicken, canoe dog fling, oh ah. Cody tried to yub now, Cody tried to glow, Cody tried to yub, hallelujah to Glow ah, you chop a glow ah. You glow ah, peach in the food, a duty Woodwork tools away. Make sure the cat has been fed and put into the garden. Grab yourself a salubrious beverage and take your seats. It's the Market Watch. This is where the empire ends. Deep down, Luke knew it was wrong. The good in his father was not all gone. Uh, Darth switched back and left, no doubt. Brought balance to the force. E walk it out. Now 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 E walk it out. And now a quick roundup of some of the interesting Star Wars items sold at Vectis in the UK on January the nineteenth, two thousand seventeen. We don't talk with much positivity towards the droids line of figures, but Vlix has always been the headline grabber. 
It's not the most attractive of figures, although it does at least add another chunky monkey to the list, which includes the Gamorian Guard, Rankle Keeper, Hank Carbonite's Neck, amongst others. Flix has always been the standout price-wise, and it's not unusual to see carded versions and pre-production fetch five figures. In July of last year, a carded glass leet sold for over £12,000. A loose one went for just shy of 2000 In this sale we have the Kenner First Shot, which of course the figure never went to mass market on the Kenner card in the US or UK. This version has been authenticated by Tom Darby and has been graded. It sold for £8,500, which, with fees, takes over £10,000. The original intention of the figure was to be packed with the Atat driver rifle, and that's probably as close to a Vlix as most of us will get. Miscards are one of those saucy devils who continue to amuse and surprise. There at times appear to be some logic to them when you see a Klaatu skiff on a Klaatu card, but when you see a Jawa on a Boba Fett 48C, it makes no sense. On Vectis, for this non-graded version, with a bit of a price label abuse on the card, got a winning bid of £1,900, with fees takes it over 2300 In the same month, a graded AFA 40 version sold for just over £1,000 on eBay with a lot of bidders. The grading was 40 for the bubble, 60 for the card, and 80 for the figure. I thought it looked lovely, but what do I know? Last year, in early 2016, a graded AFA 80 sold for £5,000 on eBay. Shipping containers are an item we've seen pop up with some frequency, especially Palatoy ones. Lot 358 saw a tatty 12-inch box with Princess Leia singles print on the side, but this came with a sealed, almost mint Palatoy Leia 12-inch figure with an extra baggie with loose belt brush and comb. This went for £460, and that does seem fairly high, but 12-inch Palatoy sealed layers normally average around the £300 mark, dependent on condition. If someone wants to recoup some of that, then the bagged-up accessories will be worth a fair bit, I would imagine. I wonder if this sale went to the same person who, last year in April 2016, won an auction for the Denise Fisher 12-inch layer with shipping box, which fetched £300. And seeing as we are talking trade boxes... Lot 357 saw a Palatoy plain brown box with no printing, just a little sticker in the corner denoting Star Wars figures, and that sold for £140. If there are any box-focused collectors out there, I'd love to talk shipping container prices with you, and it'd be fascinating to see how you display them. Recently, I've been getting a lot of messages, and I think you have, Rich, as well, about the last podcast and, and suggestions of what could be talked about, and it seems that we've had an explosion um, in the R2 pop-up market. Yeah, Pete. Um, obviously, we're all frustrated about rising prices. And what started the last 48 hours of madness off was an auction that appeared on, I think it was Java's Palace, Java's Court, whatever they call the auction one, um, with a loose, really nice condition, right? You know, I would, I would say virtually immaculate pop-up R2. And we watched it, and we watched it, and it creeped up to £300. We thought, ooh, that, that's getting a bit high. It ended at £400. And, you know, myself, a couple of admins of um, Echo Base, and a couple of admins from Jabba's Palace were like, wow, you know, where did that come from? And then, of course, exactly what you'd expect, another three, four um, pop-up or twos appeared with everybody looking to cash in. And it wasn't a one-off. Another one went for £355. There was a, a droid or two with coin for 435 
and it was just going crazy. And there's another one listed on there now, which was close to 300 the last time I checked. Um, it's probably higher than that. Um, so I thought, right, that's it. Enough's enough. And I made a post. Now, for a dipstick like me to make a post on one of the Facebook groups and to get some of the real heavy hitters in the community liking it and commenting, I was just, you know, amazed. I thought, wow, you know, I've, I've posted something and people are reading. But obviously, you know, they're like the hard hitters. We don't want them reading this kind of post. It's the newbies and the, the, the guys who've been in the hobby. And despite telling a guy yesterday, you've been in the hobby six months, you're still a newbie. I've been in the hobby for five years. I'm still a newbie. You know, it's it's not really a derogatory term. Um, you know, some people may want to take it that way, but it's not. Um, but it was a post designed for people just to read and have a think. And this is what I this is what I wrote in my post. For anyone who hasn't read my post on Yavin, please look at this for the intended purpose of it. The only way to stop these ridiculous price rises is to do some research and spread education. I want as many places as possible to see this. What you see what you see here is an R2 pop up for $150, bought in January this year. On Star Wars Tracker, you can see many of them under £200 in the last six months, and about seven around the £150 mark. I bought a Droids R2 in immaculate condition in December for £200, and several people on Yavin have posted prices of ones they've bought, sub £200, many recent, including one December for £150. A card at Power of the Force one sold on eBay for £373 yesterday. Last night, a card at Power of the Force one. $500 on eBay, and I just bought a graded one on the Trilogo page of a pop-up R2 Saber for $500 as well. Why should I bother? Well, some people prefer to live in a bubble, and I don't and don't want this information to get out. Personally, I don't think communities should operate like that. Some guy offered me £270 for an R2 if I found one for him. Sod that, find your own. There are many of them out there. I got ridiculed at times for caring about what people spend with their money. I have no personal motive here. My collection's virtually complete, and I'm happy waiting years for the items I want at the correct price. But throwing money at common figures is damaging the hobby. Grail, please. If anyone thinks a loose R2 pop-up is a grail, you're in the wrong hobby. All I'm asking is for the community to think before they throw their money at items. eBay exists, despite what some people are trying to do. Even those who can afford it, would you rather pay £200 or £400 for exactly the same item? I know what I'd rather do. And that led to a lot of debate. And most of it was good. It, it got 30 odd likes. A lot of people said, you know, good, but people aren't going to read it. Some people come back on and said, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. Fine. It is your money. You can do what you want with it. Okay. Clearly, you're not reading and you're not getting the point. One guy went and posted six screenshots of eBay of R2s that were like 300, 400 pound plus clearly didn't understand what I meant by the term average. I've got three prices for you here. These are um, R2 pop-ups that I found on the Star Wars tracker over the last 12 months. £118 was the lowest last month. £224 is the average. And there were two that were above £450. One of them, when I clicked on the link, the guy who bought it had 25% of his bids and was a new ABR with the same seller. So that suggests a little bit of suspicion going on. £224 is the average price of an R2 pop-up. Now still, I think that's high, but that's fine. That's what it is now. £400, 
£300, they are not the going price. Some guy came on and said, it's been £300 plus for ages. No, it has not. Okay, go and do your research, put a little bit of time into it. Yak faces, final cape jowers, you can pick them up at reasonable prices. You just don't have to have it tomorrow. Yeah, Rich, I think you've done some sterling work there. And you said 224 was the average? That's correct, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I, th- I think the work which you've done recently is maybe making some people think because, you know, we, we've we've all had bargains in the past. And it was the pop-up R2, which I think was my luckiest purchase, um, which I had when I, when I was collecting my vintage. And this is it, just with time and sometimes a little bit of luck and patience, you can wait and you can get a bargain. You know, we see it all the time on new acquisitions where people are getting good steals and good scores and stuff. And, um, yeah, I got given my pop-up R2 with uh, decent saber but really rubbish, almost looked like it had been burnt um, sticker free by a guy who was who had listed some Star Wars figures and I said to him, Oh, have you got any more of these? Have you got any more of these ones here? And he said, Well if you if you successfully win any one of these, um, I'll throw in this um rubbishy R2, which I've got, which looks like it's been burnt. And he showed me a picture and I saw that it had the pop up R2 and it is completely legit um saber. So I got that for free, um, bought uh, another one which had a repro saber and then uh, used that decent R2 with my decent Sabre and flogged the other one on at pretty much cost. So, yeah, just by being a bit patient and a little bit fortunate, I ended up getting a decent one for, for nothing. You know, and these things happen. We, we talk about it, and, and with a little bit of time, you can be lucky. So, um, yeah, £400. Oh, well. That's ridiculous. I mean, I, I bought mine off Bram, I remember, a couple of years ago. What, 80 quid, 85 quid, if, if that? And look at that! In in next to no time, it's doubled, tripled. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Ben buy a glassly carded one? It's celebration. Um, I think the the celebration in Orlando, I think it was, for less than that. He uh, bought, think, yep, he did four hundred and thirty-five dollars. I want to see. Four hundred thirty-five dollars um, a couple of years ago was a, yep. a lot better exchange than it is now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he po- he posted that in in the response to one of the things, but you know. Uh, Lee Bullock bought one loose for £150 in December. I bought a droids one for £200 in December. You know, it's it's just mental. And I think part of the problem is, is, is not only that people are throwing money out because they want everything now, it's because they're wanting the instant gratification that comes with it. I, I, don't, I tend not to post limelights now because I don't see the point of it unless it's something that's, you know... Um, Yes, there's there's the twelfth of that set I've now completed. There's a nice nice shot of the twelve together. I like I like to see that. I don't want to see all twelve of them arriving one month apart. If somebody bought a loose pop up or two and posted on the forum, I would browse straight past it unless there was a story behind it. With that rise of R2 pop-up prices, I think it's worth we start to consider slapping preservation orders on a number of mint on cards, or mocks as I'm going to refer to them from here on. It appears yellow bubble power the force, mock values are blurring between minty loose and beta carbacks, and this lack of clarity is causing potential problems in the hobby. A few examples on my watch out list would be the Imperial Gunner on Power the Force card, and it can easily sell for under £100. A loose mint figure sold in 2016 for £231. A Lando General Power the Force mock averages at £104 and have gone into beta levels at £64. 
mint loose Lando generals due to the premium of the gun and cape will fetch mint values of over 150 to 180 pounds with graded sniffing the undercarriage of 200 pounds. Any unscrupulous person can look at the value of opening a beta mock and profiting off the loose coin, a card back with a bubble and a highly gradable card fresh figure which can fetch double the purchase price of a beta mock. Whilst I have no evidence on this happening, the prices are suggesting that the temptation will be too great for those people only entering the Star Wars collecting communities to make quick profits from an eager market wanting mint loose figures. Other mocks in danger with loose mint prices exceeding beta or yellowed bubble mock values are Luke Poncho, EV99, Barada Amanaman and my favourite price pixie, the A-Wing Pilot. Every time I hear the, it's mine, I can do what I want with it. I have to question your actual involvement and point of being in the hobby at all. That isn't the attitude and it certainly isn't the norm, thank goodness. Across Facebook groups and forums, those people displaying such notions are quickly corrected and mostly re-educated. There are plenty of people like me willing to buy that beta mock and keep them in a collection to be cherished despite their yellowed bubble or wrinkled card. Talking of wrinkled and aged, we don't open up and sell off bits of our parents, so we shouldn't do it to our mocks. This month on Star Wars Trekker Top 5, the highest price card in Ewoks. All prices achieved in 2016. At 5, this little munchkin managed to get a book written about him. It's a graded Tebow Kenner 77A for 577 quid. Warwick was apparently the father of Tebow, and that's as interesting as this little fluffball gets. Aside from his prize, which puts him at number 4, a graded Kenner 92A for 819 Brexit coins. He's a good, he's a good Sangler Shaman. Not sure this magical little witch doctor was part of that band, but you never know. A Logo in Meccano 65A went for 843 UK salves. And number two, this furry little bundle was lucky enough to share dinner with our beloved princess and make her hair look real pretty. I hate him for that! So Wicked W Warwick on a Kenner 77A for 873 British groats. And at number one, this piggy nose little furbag is technically the father of Luke, Lehan and Chewie as he adopted them into the tribe. And that is reflected in the price someone paid of £1,488 for Meccano 65A Chief Chirper. Don't forget to join us next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Seeing as our lead interview this month is talking about Ewoks, I thought only fair to delve into the market of an Ewok focus collector. This month, Scott Haddo, as known as Hooch on Star Wars Forum UK, came highly recommended. Scott is based in New South Wales, Australia, and I actually had to get up early to catch him. Scott, tell me about your Ewok obsession, and do you have a focus? I have a Tubo focus I'm working on. So, yeah, clicking Tri-Legos, whatever Tivo came on. Um, you know, like Power of the Force, Ewoks from Jedi's variants. But now I'm clicking modern and vintage Ewoks. If it's got an Ewok on it, I'll buy it. <laughs> Have you got uh, one of all the Ewoks on, on cards? At the moment, I've only got all the Ewoks on Tri-Logo. I've got the rest of all. Actually, I still have them, but I've got them all packed away. Power of the Force, Rombas. I actually I had a case of Power of the Force Rombas. You had a case of Power of the Force Rombas? Oh my goodness. Yes, I, I, bought a, um, I bought a case of Power of the Force Rombas. All, all clear bubbles um, last year, actually. I've only just recently traded 
the last one I had that I was selling or trading about two weeks ago. What what is it about them that, that you uh, that you like then? What what's what drives the Ewok obsession? It was my um my girlfriend actually. I was off doing my own, you know, trying to do the '96 run, but I think I think it's been called like um like a around the world run or something like a card from every country. Yeah, I think that's what I, I think I've heard. Um, seen it being typed as like a worldwide run or something. But I, I got up to '94 and every. And on the side, because I was buying that, and the girlfriend loved Ewoks. So, wherever we went to a collectibles fair, she wanted, um, she saw an Ewok that we never had, and was up with an Ewok, she would want to buy it. So, she had her little wall with Ewoks, and I had my run. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, it just sort of, um, it grew on me, and I ended up packing all the rest away, and let Ewoks, and plus, the more people that said they hated Ewoks, the more I love them for some reason. I wanted to be different. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but uh, when I when I saw Return of the Jedi, I mean, I was getting to an age where you know I was getting to sort of like, oh, you know, maybe Star Wars is it still for me? And uh, I have to say, the Ewoks did kind of kill me off <laughs> when I was a kid. Although um, I, I'm kind of impartial to an Ewok now. I've, I've still, I, I did get my first mint on card one recently, so. I've started down that slippery slope, but um, I'm not sure become a, a, as obsessive as you sound like. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but then again, well, who, who who is? <laughs> I am 42. Okay, so, so about the same age. So yeah, nine years old when Jedi came out. Yeah. What was the uh, what, what what was the impact of Ewoks on you then at, at that age? Oh, I just thought they were silly silly little bears. <laughs> So, how important is eBay to your collecting? Looked at eBay, I look at eBay every day. Seeing, you know, I've got my watch list is like, you know, ten pages long in eBay. You know, so I've always sort of keeping an eye on the market that way. What's the most you've paid for? Uh, uh, Yuhu, or however you pronounce it, um, Italian Tebow, the glue stick. It was two years ago, but I paid uh, seven hundred and fifty US. A guy on eBay um, was selling a few. He was selling them all, like just every day he was listing one up. And I always liked the T-Bay because it was in the bag. I sent him a message. Done a, we done a deal off eBay. I paid it through PayPal. Done, you know, done it all to cover myself. But yeah, done it um, seven hundred and fifty. I mean, what a bizarre bit of marketing. <laughs> oh yes, yes, Ewoks will help sell glue. What's kind of like the hardest figures to get? Because, I mean, for me, my perception of Ewoks would be that there are plenty of them on cards. What would be the hardest for you to get hold of? The hardest, actually, I've found so far, and it's not expensive, is just a Tebow with a Anakin offer and a assortment sticker, the black assortment sticker. Yeah, struggle to find them. And plenty of card backs around, but I struggle to find that mineral card. Would you say that's your Holy Grail item? I have the Yuhu. I have an Italian sticker tri-logo. Name your Holy Grail. Ian Sanderson owns that at the moment. The <laughs> upside down Trilogo Tivo. The bubble is actually sealed in the top right corner of the card. So how much is uh, how much is Ian wanting for that, or was he not going to part with it? No, he's not going to part with it. I missed it by about five minutes when I was up for sale. I drop hints every now and then about it. <laughs> we'll have to go around his house when we're over there and uh, and have a word on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
which of other car bucks were them? Yeah, they did come out with an Italian import sticker. I do have one of them on a tri logo. I was the Italian with the glue sticks. Um, I have seen a clipper card back, like a clipper uh, wrap on a T boat. But yeah, Meccano, like there was no Ewoks on Meccano. Uh, actually, no, there is a log rate Meccano. Sorry, there is. Matt Bath on the um, forums. So I'm pretty sure I've seen him with a Meccano log rate. Actually, I do have a Toll Toys log rate. So I do have the Australian an Australian uh, log rate. What was it kind of like the spread of Star Wars figures in Australia? I mean, I mean, what actually came out of there? I mean, do you actually remember getting this sort of stuff as a as a kid? Because I mean, uh, I... yeah, I do actually. I, I still remember having a um, as a child. I remember having a Nunum on a, with a Nunum offer, and I always thought that was quite odd. Now you look, now you look at the price of what they go for. I wish I never ripped that thing open. <laughs> I mean, in fact, going through Tebow's, um, it seems the most common. Is the is the seventy seven A? There's one hundred and sixteen yep. uh, record over the last couple of years. The hardest to get seems to be the PBP. There's only, only been yep. one one mentioned. All the rest of them have got have got reasonable figures attached to them. Don't, don't get into that regret thing. Don't you'll, you'll beat yourself up forever on that one. You just gotta <laughs> let it go. Let let it go, Scott. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's decided to join the conversation now. <laughs> Hey, it's her fault. Bl- it is a... my fault, thank you. <laughs> this whole Ewok thing is all your fault. So, so what's the next thing from Tebow then? When, when, once you've exhausted Tebow, are you gonna you gonna mo- keep moving through the Ewoks? No, I think I'll just stick to Tebow. Oh, I'm always I'm always finding something. So I think it'll be a long time before I, and because I've done like the '96 run, then I went to doing the '21 back run on all stuff like again like through Canadian Palatoy, like a bit of every sort of card. Then I gave up that to do all the Ewoks. So, 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 what, what is it about Tiba then that, that, that interests you most? I mean, is is it the figure itself, or just you just pick a random one? I've always liked the name over all the others, and plus it was one that came on a Power of the Force card, and a it came on Jedi, Opalus, Power of the Force, Trilogo, and Yuhu. Isn't there a um a sort of stripey variant of Tiba? The dark grey stripe variant, dark grey, light grey. How easy is that to come across? I mean, you sit quite often on some of the, the forum sale groups. A lot of people confuse like Letty with you know the Kenner stripe variant. They look the same. It's just the, obviously the country of origin stamp on the leg aligned different. But yeah, I suppose that's like a lot of the figures. You know, they're all classes being Letty, but they're not actually genuine Letty's. And is that something you got on cards? And the stripey variant does that force you to collect um, two or three of the same? Mm. The same car bike. Yeah, yeah, probably does. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't gotten any variants yet. I've just been concentrating on variant cards before I actually move on to variant drives or variant figures on a card. Is there any sort of variations in his accessories at all? It does come with a white hat, or that class is a white hat, so it's like a really pale, um, like a really light tan. I've seen that on a Trilogo and a Canadian card. I haven't seen that on a Kenner card yet. And does that fetch quite a big premium? I mean, is is there a huge difference between that and a standard one? Probably only around about twenty dollars more okay. compared to compared to others. I'm quite confident I'll I'll get them all. I said like I've I've only been doing a Tebow run for maybe twelve months now, okay. and I've already picked up the Italian stick, and I thought that was going to be the hardest one to get. And it's all easy easy now, I reckon. <laughs> you say that now. I guess picking a figure that is you know from a, from Jedi onwards is probably a bit more easy than it is if you'd gone for like you know a twelve back or a, a twenty one back, where you know some of those prices can be ridiculous. I mean, I guess with Ewoks, it's not... Look at the price on Tracker. I mean, there isn't anything that you go, oh my goodness, that's hideous. I mean, even even the PBP on here went for £196. 
you know, not a ridiculously silly figure. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to find out if anything's gone for like a grand Ewok wise. I haven't found uh, one yet. I've decided to glue stick Ewoks. I don't. I, no, I'm pretty sure there's none that have actually hit a thousand dollars. Hey, just you wait. As we've already covered, prices are getting silly. So there's, a, there's that day may come. You don't know. I, w- I would think the YooHoo one would probably be the one that would, I guess, in various conditions, would would be fetching. You know, silly prices. I guess the, the you know that that's probably the thing that would that would get into the you know stratosphere of of daftness. Yeah, I say probably that. Then the PVPs, yeah, imagine that under a hundred US. I mean, the, the cheapest I've paid for. I think I got a assortment sticker seventy seven back, and I got it posted from America for less than um, fifty dollars US, and postage was like twenty four dollars US. Wow. Does most of your stuff come from the US? Sure, I'll, I'll buy from anywhere, but more probably the US. Not much seems to pop up in Australia really now. I've got more bargains on eBay and forums than I have on, on Facebook. Facebook's definitely opened up the, you know, the market for people to, to start selling, but it does seem that people are still getting bargains off eBay. I mean, it's almost kind of swung around. It used to, you know, for, for a little while, Facebook seemed to be the place where where a lot of this stuff had become available because people don't like paying the fees. It mm. seems to have kind of opened up that market for the more obscure things. I'm hearing this a lot more. People saying, oh, I got a real bargain off eBay today. I've been lucky for that reason. I've you know, picked up the bargains on eBay for badly spelt names, and, <laughs> but I've never had a problem selling them. I've been told I sell stuff too cheap. What's sort of like the collector's market out there? I mean, are there a, are there a lot of fairs and, and that sort of stuff that doing the rounds? I mean, I mean, do you, do you ever do like meetups in Australia? Or is it just too big a country to kind of do that? There used to be bigger collectible fairs. Um, there's one over in Western Australia that's actually quite big. It's around three times a year. And the rest are on yeah, the East Coast, like down in Sydney, four times a year. But um, one of them actually folded because the, the the guy who actually was the organiser was in some fraud scam. So mm-hmm. that fair no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> a huge thanks to Scott Haddo, a.k.a. Hooch, and his girlfriend Michelle for spending time with me talking through the market of his Tebow collection. Right, now I want to welcome back Amy Schoberg for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Amy? I am. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Return of the Jedi. Favourite Star Wars scene? Burning of Vader at the end of the Jedi. Caravan of Courage or Battle for Endor? Caravan of Courage. Your favourite on-screen character? Leia. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Well, I've already met him, but I'd meet him again. Ewan McGregor. He's your uh, pash, is he? Yes, he is. <laughs> um, your <laughs> favourite figure as a child? Uh, Wicket. And your favourite figure now? Still Wicket. Which figure do you wish they'd made? Uh, probably Teak. I would have liked to have seen some action figures from the, the Ewok movies. Your favourite vintage Ewok? Vintage Ewok. Probably Lowgrade. What is your favourite vehicle or playset? The Ewok uh, battle wagon. Oh, the battle wagon. I was expecting the village then. Oh, I love the village too. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? It doesn't really count because they've already done the Ewok village, but I'd like a modern Ewok village. What is your favourite card back image? Anything from Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Which vintage figure do you think most resembles you? Farm boy Luke. It's blonde. Your favourite Star Wars book? I like the courtship of Princess Leia, even though a lot of people don't like it. It's not that bad. But then the Thrawn trilogy is also really good. What is your favourite oddball line? Um, Sigma, without a doubt. What is the last vintage Star Wars item you purchased? Uh, purchased, I actually got it as a gift, but the Star Wars Star Wars Stride Line shoes 
uh, with Ewoks on them. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? Well, I don't have one. I always, I'm always on the lookout for new things. Well, Amy, thank you ever so much. It's been great having you on. I really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me again. Our rapid fire question for this month then what is your favorite foreign license for toys jez yes mate for me without a shadow of a doubt well actually i've got loads of doubts so i've written down three different things but i'm gonna settle on meccano something for everyone starting off with the with the jowers which i think could fit in pretty much most people's budget and it's a product place within my collection um the meccano jower um, straight up to some of the, the Star Wars ones, uh, which are just, you know, you can't even get reseals nowadays. I mean, the Luke X-Wing one would be brilliant. The thing is with Meccano, Stuart from May, you've got your regular cards, which you're familiar with, but with the Meccano logo and then the square ones, the different colored uh, Meccano logos. The, the just difference is it just goes across the entire range. The fact that Meccano stayed with them as well as opposed to, you know, the, the three different versions of Japanese. Um, hopefully no one's picked one of those. Um, yeah, Meccano. Beautiful. Uh, Grant? Uh, hi, buddy. Yeah, I'd have to go with the, probably with the Takara line, uh, just Ooh. because it's got, it's got a bit of the old uh, vintage kind of stuff in there. It's also got a lot of their die-cast stuff. They've got a six-inch range there, which is quite interesting. They've got some of their sort of uh, rocket-firing robot toys and more diecast figures and transforming X-wing ships, and I think yeah, it's uh, walking R2D2s and stuff like that. I think it's a pretty strong line, probably the strongest line outside the Kenner line. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely some really obscure and exciting stuff there for the uh, for the Star Wars collector. Rich, well, I did have the Takar relations as well because. I like the C-3PO with the two missiles that shoot from the chest and the Darth Vader with the glow-in-the-dark lightsaber and the crossbow and the R2-D2 with, which shows the brief clips in the Star Wars movies, firing the plastic missiles. But Grant stole in that one, so I don't want sloppy seconds. So I'm going to say the Leddy license because I think, you know, the, the different colour capes that they came out with, the different sculpts, the... Even making something like the Klaatu Skiffguard make so much different with that fluffy skirt, I think it's great. So I'm going to go with Letty. Nice, Pete. Uh, it's not really a toy license as such, but anything with a non-English written Star Wars logo, I really do adore. So like, especially the Swedish one, the Krig. I just love that stuff. And one day, I will own a piece. Do you know what? You've inspired me there. What came up the other day that I hadn't seen before? Star Wars Chinese comic. Now you think how crazy that is because we're talking well behind the Iron Curtain there, 1970s, 19, early 1980s. I only saw the cover of it, and the cover, like, you can tell it's Star Wars, but it's obviously things are drawn incorrectly, yeah. and I've never seen anything come from China that's vintage before, so that's dead exciting. They even have Star Wars over there. Then they wouldn't have had it licensed because it's, it's like communist China. No, but, no, but I mean, did they have any? Did they even have it? I mean, 
is there any kind of like recollection of anyone in China having Star Wars? Like, even like on some kind of illegal bootleggy thing? Uh, not, just... I, not that I know of. I don't even think they got the films till the very early 90s. The Chinese yeah, Mom Theater. That is probably it, Rich. Bizarre. That's probably the only Chinese Star Wars related thing ever. Because cause that, that, they always struggle with the markets, don't they, of, of getting the films over there and making lots of money out of it because there isn't that history and that that uh, longevity to the films that we have in the kind of the Western world. So There's a, there's a severe lack of karaoke in Star Wars. <laughs> It can be fixed at Celebration now. Yeah, it can be fixed. <laughs> what about you, Stu? Well, I think the Takara is a great shout, but I too have Meccano down, Jez. I, I love the square cards, and I've also got a little bit of love for the um, the Meccano land speeder box. It's an item I'm desperate to add, so I have to go with the Meccano as well. It's so. interesting the way the guys have answered, because I just naturally assumed um, card backs and the logos on the card backs, and that's why I went for that. But as soon as Grant started talking about the Takara figures, you know, you talk about the Chewbacca and everything else, I thought, yeah, actually, yeah, you've nailed it there. And I think he might have swayed me. So, um, yeah, I think the Takara, from a range point of view, is great. Really, I can put you, um, I can put you after Grant most weeks on questions if you want, Jess, so you can just click him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not true, because, you know, when we did the quiz earlier on, Grant was wrong, wasn't he? So, and I had to correct yeah. him on that. So, uh, he's not always right, as our little Welsh fellow, and uh, nor is his rugby team. Well, Rich, um, let's move on from that. Have we had much feedback from 32? Not a massive amount of feedback, and certainly no any what we normally get. So, I'm going to start off with Tant of Eleven, guy called the 89th Chris. Um, he commented on the production audio, and I always chuckle when I read stuff like that because remember the days that we used to let Stu do all of the editing and all of the compiling imagine imagine doing all that now Stu eh? um, so Chris appreciate that you know and all the comments that you have made on Tantive 11 um, we do read them all and uh, fantastic keep them coming but it, it is always nice to show when group efforts do get rewarded because all of us do our own sections and we all put our own little twists and spins on it and uh, you know help us out from time to time Chris, <laughs> Um, Christian and Nico are ploughing through all the episodes. Um, they're up to, I don't know, 29, 30, somewhere about there. And obviously they've picked up on the the great interview that Stu had with Marco and... Oh, his name escapes us, Stu, help us out. Ozio. Ozio, that's him. Marco and uh, Ozio. So it was, it was great um, to see that one getting lots of positive feedback too. Whenever I see something like that, I always wonder if Chris Fawcett has caught up yet because he's always uh, wanting to quickly point out that he's a few episodes behind. Over on Star Wars from UK, we had a lot of talk about the Rebel Transport, and it was something that I just couldn't believe. I was really surprised. A lot of support for Jez. I think a lot of it was sympathy support, because obviously he was quite traumatised as a kid. But then a lot of people, you know, coming on saying, actually, you know, it wasn't that bad a toy. You know, Ed, Ed said it looked like a turd, but it was actually a genuine good toy. So I'm thinking, perhaps the word genuine towards Jez, um, I don't know. But it was clear that loads of people enjoyed the Rebel 2 Transport talk. A few of them had said that it was a shame that we didn't link it in the market and talk about the new prices on the market section. So we've let Pete know that. So next time Jez goes off on one, we're going to allow um, Pete to follow that up with market talk. So we we'll tie the two together nicely. We had a lot of feedback on market, and that's not something we get that often. Um <laughs> Scott Cato, who um, he won one of our competitions a while back, he really enjoyed listening to the reviews of the rising prices and the information on the Star Wars tracker. And a lot of people asking when's the app coming out. And you know, Jared Cope, I've sent him all the feedback on the Star Wars tracker app, um, and I've pointed lots of people in his direction. So we are, well, certainly I am. I don't know if anybody else is, but we are currently beta testing the Star Wars tracker app for iPhone. And I've got to say, it's fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to get that being released. Jason Smith commented on the Jawa and he explained that the Jawa bubbles widened to ensure that the cloth cape 
didn't stick to the bubble seal because obviously with the cloth being a little bit more yeah, what's the word I'm looking for um, sticky outy sticky outy right that's as good as anything with the cloth cape being a little more sticky outy than than the than the vinyl cape it was much more likely that it was going to get trapped in the bubble so fair point Jason that's a good one a few comments on the Ron artwork a lot of people love that artwork I'm not sure Ron loved it I think traumatised may be the right word but I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon I'm sure that that's going to come back in a few years time to haunt Ron and finally this was a fantastic post from um, Ricky Cleverly and he posted a link to his Dixie Club collection over on Stores from UK as soon as he said there oh guys I've got some Dixie Cups I thought oh well I'm going to click on the link and I'm going to see half a dozen cups my word have you seen how many dixie cups that guy's got mm-hmm. yeah it, it was just staggering <laughs> it was it was it was boxes of dixie cups it was it was all laid out as it was if having a dixie cup party you know when back in the 50s when you know the likes of jez and pete might have had tupperware parties well th- this was like he was having his own little dixie cup party and and he's inspired me now to go and get my own dixie cup so i'm going to get a set of dixie cups but it's all interesting to know that ricky's obviously done some research on that and he's realized how big an area Dixie Cup collecting is um, lots of different sizes lots of different characters so it's all fantastic great stuff thanks for that Rich I was really interested in listening to that feedback um, I would be grateful if any of our listeners out there could give us any kind of information about the uh, the black paddy toy stickers and uh, you know try and see how many uh, figures that they've actually showed up on also going back for a few episodes still got two questions I'm really curious about uh, one of them was uh, release date for the Clipper mail away for the Darth Vader figure was it 1983 for Return of the Jedi or have I got that completely wrong and I'm also quite interested in the Italian um, carded figure 4 packs um, how were those carded figures actually attached to the header card that comes with it was it by some kind of glue or staples or, or anything else just you know if anyone has that information out there I'd be really grateful to, to know about that kind of stuff yeah, so keep all your feedback coming, guys. We really appreciate it. We read every single one. We respond as many as we can. Stu, if anybody wants to leave us feedback on episode 33, how should they do that? They can contact us on show at vintagerebellion.co.uk. Find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion. On Twitter at SWTVR Podcast. If you want to listen to our back catalogue, you can find us and all our shows on iTunes or directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com I would recommend going back to 13 and earlier before we got Jez a lot sharper in those days. <laughs> Huge thank yous to our guests this month, Amy Schoberg, Jamie Brown, Jamie Benning and Scott Haddo. Uh, hopefully next month we'll be able to give you some information regarding the Vintage Rebellion's involvement at Celebration. But for now, it is goodbye from Rich... Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Happy Valentine's Day, Rich. (laughs) Goodbye from Jezebel. (laughs) Cheers, guys. See you next time. And goodbye from Pete. I really love the internet. They say chat rooms are the trailer park of the internet, but I find it amazing. And until next time, it's goodnight from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. 
All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Um, other things have been happening on there as well, Jez. What, on Jabbers? Yeah. You, you, do you know, like, when a good mate of yours tags you, and then a couple of other people tag you as well, because they weren't sure where they got the first tag, and then you get tagged in again. Um, well, oh, yeah. Yeah, a good mate of yours has um, put something up on Jabbers Auction and agreed to split the money 50-50 with your charity. Some money already raised for you as well to join your, your healthy fund. I must have missed that. You must have missed that, yeah. Yeah. No, what was that, Rich? Seriously? I must have missed that, mate. <laughs> no, I, I'll cut that bit out, Jez. Um, no, I, I sold a, um, a, a graded Zuckus or something, and uh, I tagged you in the top, and then it got a bit of a running joke, because quite a few people tagged you, and it was kind of like, uh, where's Jez? And I just went, oh, you just must be busy, don't worry about it, let it run. And it didn't go for a massive amount of money, but... Uh, a lot of people were talking about it, so I didn't worry oh, about that. I, I'll cut all no, that. Dude. I'm no, you... you. It was funny though. So many people were tagging you, Jez Allen's and Jez Allen's and Jez. I wondered where that came from because they were starting to do it in other posts as well. Yeah, the were. How did Jez? How did you not see it? <laughs> this is an outro, isn't it? It went across like two or three different groups of people tagging Jez Allen's. Yeah, I, I saw that, and, and then there was just other random stuff from people sending me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> other people's sales pages. People were just tagging yeah, me. Where's the money for you? Oh, you see, look, look he's, he's got too big for his Stormtrooper costume now. He's, uh, <laughs> he's out there celebritising himself, and uh, people are wondering, and he can't even bother to look. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, Terrible. I, I, I was probably very, very drunk. <laughs>